Let's talk Wonder Woman 84. Here's how today's show is going to go, guys. I'm going to spend the first few minutes giving you my thoughts on Wonder Woman 84, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then we're going to spend the majority of the time here today taking your live questions. A little bit different than the regular John Campion show. If you want to fire in a live question on these special open spoiler discussions, use the Super Chat feature in YouTube and we will get to your question. I already see a bunch of you guys are sending those in. And hello to everybody who's joining us here on this Sunday afternoon. So uh, let's not waste any time and get right to it, shall we? Let's talk about Wonder Woman 84. Okay. I, you guys know, I have, if you watch the John Campia show, you guys know that I have not loved the trailers. I have not loved the trailers for Wonder Woman 84. That said, I have also had a high level of belief in the movie because it's Patty Jenkins. Patty Jenkins is like one of my top 10 favorite filmmakers working right now. Um, again, her movie monster is like one of the best directed movies I've seen in a long time. The job she did with the first wonder woman, incredible, especially with a lead actress who is say limited in her capacity and her thespianism ability. What Patty Jenkins was able to accomplish in wonder woman 80 with wonder woman. The first wonder woman movie was absolutely incredible. Especially when you consider the state of the DCEU at the time, the DCEU badly needed a film that a lot of people could embrace and enjoy. And Patty Jenkins delivered it and was great. So because of that, even though I haven't really liked the trailers, um, I have still been very excited for Wonder Woman 84 simply because it's Patty Jenkins. That's it. That's enough for me to be excited about it. So I watched Wonder Woman 84. What did I think about it? Well, I've watched it twice now. I've watched it twice. And here's where my thinking is. After the first viewing, I was like, I don't love this movie. I don't love this movie. But there was enough redeemable things in there that I kind of felt like, hey, but I'm glad I watched it, you know? It's, it's not as nearly as good as the first one. I did not love this thing. But I thought it's worth the watch. And there certainly are a number of highlights in it. There are several quite good things in the movie. We'll talk about those specifically in a bit. But, you know, I couldn't help but feeling a little bit disappointed in the film. Overall, enjoyed it. Couldn't help but feel a bit disappointed. So then I watched it a second time. And I got to say that while the highlights of the movie were still there for me, the things that I think worked in the movie were still there, but the weaknesses of the film kind of stood out even more to me on the second viewing. And I went from, it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, but it was still pretty good to mm, this, this for me, this movie's a push. Uh, I, I it's, it's got some decent things in it, but honestly, I could have been perfectly okay had I not watched the movie. And quite frankly, now, I don't think it's terrible. There are a bunch of people running around right now saying this movie's just terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. I honestly, I don't see it. I mean, I've watched it twice. I don't think it is the dumpster fire or the car wreck that some people are painting this movie to be. I certainly also don't think this movie is the glorious triumph that some other people are painting it to be. I fall very squarely in the middle. I was overall disappointed with the movie. Um, just several things that I would never guess, you know, Patty Jenkins would do in a film. 
she did here. But hey, even Steven Spielberg has a bad day at the office. So let's talk about some things specifically here. Let me start with the opening scene on Themyscira. The opening scene on Themyscira, I thought was great. I was having, I just, I remember sitting there watching it the first time and and just realizing, man, if the whole movie is like this, not on Themyscira, but I remember thinking if the whole movie was like this, um, we're in for a really good time. The one thing that bothered me about the Themyscira scene is this, and it's a problem that took place then throughout the entire rest of the movie. And that is this, um, their sense of how physics works didn't really work for me. Here's what I mean by that. You could see in that first, uh, sequence on Themyscira when like little Diana was doing the backflips and then to go through the tunnel in the backflip, right? There's a way to do that, to make it look real, but the way they did it in the shot, it just looked totally faked and CGI'd. Like you'd see little Diana running and then doing a flip and the flip looks good. And then all of a sudden she goes straight and goes through the tube. And it's like, that didn't look like remotely real, even though there's a way you could have done it to me. It didn't look remotely real. And I think that's, that was a problem for me that played through for the rest of the movie is the fact that the, their, their sense of physics just didn't work. Like they'd be doing, they would do something in a motion and then all of a sudden the motion looks real and like authentic. And then all of a sudden it does something like really wonky. It's like that didn't look authentic or real at all. Minor nitpick, but that's the one thing I didn't like about the opening Themyscira scene. Other than that, the opening Themyscira was actually quite good. I thought the opening scene on Themyscira was quite good. Then we move into the main plot of the film. And I got to say, that's where, for me, the big weakness of the movie was, was the, the overall main plot, the, the dream stone, the wishing stone, the I'm now the G- I mean, I seriously, I thought Pedro Pascal was going to start talking in Robin Williams' voice. I'm a genie in a lamp. Like, that's what I kind of thought he was going to start doing. Um, it, it, and that overall was kind of lame. And then they set up these rules about how the wishes work. And then they completely violated their own rules going throughout it. Um, and then, you know what, let me, let me start before I start going down this big hate train about the things I didn't like, let me talk for a couple of minutes here about the things I did like first. Okay. Let me talk about the things I liked first thing. I liked number one. Um, I loved the performance of Kristen Wiig. I loved the performance of Kristen Wiig. Listen, I, I will tell you right up front. I like Kristen Wiig very much. But when they announced that she was going to be playing Cheetah, I was like, really? Is is Kristen Wiig as great as she is? Is she the right fit to play Cheetah? And I I didn't know, but I'm like, okay, well, she's talented. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. When I saw the movie, I'm like, yes, Kristen Wiig was a great choice to play that. She could play the powerful, like when she was beating the crap out of the guy who tried to assault her, it's like, holy crap, she can go dark. But when she's playing the, the mousy kind of nerdy part of the character of Barbara, she's obviously she's Kristen Wiig. She can pull that off. Great. And I thought that she was able to make that transition beautifully. And so one of the things that I was worried about in this movie being the casting of Kristen Wiig as Cheetah actually turned out to be one of the strengths of the movie uh, that I liked, uh, that I liked quite a bit. Speaking of strengths, I may not have loved the way 
the Lord character was written, but the way Pedro Pascal plays the character was perfect. Uh, again, I'm not I'm not a big fan of this character in this movie and the way it was written and, and what they used him for. But understanding that that's the script that Pedro Pascal got, and then you the actor's responsibilities now do the best you can with what this character is. I thought Pedro Pascal did a really good job when he was playing the insecure, self-doubting kind of thing. He played it great when he was playing the more like that type of a character trying to now come to grips and handle with what does it mean to have this kind of power? I thought he played it great. Uh, Peter Pascal's performance was completely fantastic, but let me tell you about the best part of this movie. And the best part of this movie was the same thing. That was the best part of the movie of the first Wonder woman. And that is the performance of Chris Pine. The, and it's unlike the, Peter Pascal Lord character where, okay, the character wasn't written great, but Pascal did a great job. What they do with Trevor, Steve Trevor is great. He, it's the, the, he is the best written character in the movie. His dialogue was the best dialogue in the movie. And Chris Pine again brings it. So unlike Pascal, who had a questionably written character, Chris Pine had a great written character. The, the Trevor character was beautifully executed. And then Pine brought it and elevated it even more. And one of the big reasons why, you know, when they announced that they were bringing Chris Pine back for this movie, I, I, I remember saying this like almost a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, was when you look at the first Wonder Woman movie, uh, Gal Gadot is not the strongest actress in the world. Therefore, you need to put her opposite somebody who can really do the heavier lifting. And Chris Pine did that in the first movie. He also did it in the second movie. You know, they really needed, like, Gal Gadot was at her best when she was opposite Chris Pine. You know, when, when she was in a scene with um, Kristen Wiig, she was okay. When she would be in a scene with uh, Pedro Pascal, she was okay. But when she was in scenes with Chris Pine, Chris Pine, much like he did with her in the first one, Chris Pine seems to be able to elevate her a little bit. And those scenes work the best. Honestly, most the best scenes in this movie are the ones where it's just kind of Diana and Steve talking. And I am telling you what, I am grow every year. I am growing more and more in my appreciation for Chris Pine. I mean, really, I used to just think he was a, a cool actor and I like seeing him in things, but the more he does, the more I'm, I really appreciate just how good uh, Chris Pine really is. And and I dig him a, a great deal on that level. So that's something I thought was really good too. Um, another thing that I thought was good about this film, music. The music was great. One of the things I was afraid of, I thought I was a little bit afraid that they would overuse that incredible iconic Wonder Woman music, you know, like I thought they would just play that every scene because it's such cool music, but really they only used it in certain parts of the movie and they even varied up, varied it up a little bit. And then even in between that, I thought the music and the rest of the film was done really, really well. One other thing I'll say that was really good about this film was I thought they really did make me feel like it was set in 1984. It, I never once felt like, 
oh, that's kind of a modern, you know, that felt more like out of 2005. No, they really, they said this movie was set in 1984. They did a really good job of setting it in 1984. And so I'll I'll give it that as well. Another good thing I'll say, in the trailer, the look of when Kristen Wiig fully manifests Cheetah, in the trailer, I thought it looked really bad. I'm not saying it looked great in the movie, but her full manifestation of Cheetah to me looked a lot better in the movie than it did in the trailer. I I don't know why it just kind of played itself out in the right context better. And for that reason, it it really did quite click for me and, and it worked. Other than that, um, that's, that's where a lot of, and you know, but by, by the way, too, some of the, the combat, some of the action sequences were pretty decent. I did like the scene when they're, um, in the middle East and she's like, they're fighting the motorcade and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was pretty good. I had a little bit of Indiana Jones vibes from that, especially when she's under the car. See, did any of the rest of you get that Indiana Jones vibe? I certainly did when she, when she's sliding under the car, I thought that was pretty good. I thought the fight with Cheetah at the end was actually pretty good. I felt pretty satisfied with it. Nothing to super write home about, but I was pretty satisfied with it. The biggest problem with that fight with Cheetah at the end was it didn't carry a lot of narrative weight. You know what I mean? Like in Captain America Civil War, when Tony and Cap start to face off, that is carrying with it all of the narrative that have played out to that point. While I do think the fight between Wonder Woman and Cheetah was pretty solid, it didn't carry narrative weight with it. I mean, really, at the end of the day, her fight with Cheetah was just a little doorway she had to go through to get to where she wanted to go, which was to get to, to Lord, right? And so it lacked a little bit in its narrative push. But still, overall, not a bad scene. Not a bad scene. Oh, can I also mention, I think maybe my favorite scene in the movie? I think my favorite scene in the movie, it involved Kristen Wiig, uh, again, as Cheetah. And that moment where she's still just regular Barbara and she's walking through the park, right? She's just walking through the park and she comes across the one homeless dude and the way she just talks and interacts with that homeless dude and the very fact that she brought him something like there was a horrible scene in the movie where Diana and Barbara are having dinner together and it starts off with this really awful fake laugh. From Gal Gadot, ah, oh Barbara, you're so funny and you're so warm and personable. You know that old adage in movies, show don't tell. Well, I feel like that one scene of Kristen Wiig walking through the park and then stopping and talking to that homeless guy and bringing him something that was showing us what Barbara's character was really like, right? That was that was showing us what her character was actually like that she was actually warm and that she was actually friendly and that she was actually a kind person. And that showed us, I cringed both times I watched the movie and I'm not blaming, by the way, I'm not blaming Gal Gadot for this scene. She didn't write it, but I cringed both times I was watching this when it would start. Oh, Barbara, you're so funny. And you're so warm and personal. It's like, oh, come on. Come on. Can we? Anyway. But seriously, that scene of of Barbara walking through the park, one of my favorites. One of my favorites. All right. Let me touch on a bunch of the things that I didn't like about this movie. And I'm sure you guys will bring up a lot more as we get into it. 
Um, for, I, I already touched on this. Just the overall plot seemed kind of weak. It's really, a, we're doing Aladdin, Genie in the Lamp. Maxwell Lord is Jafar. Really? I, and that, that, that's, that's what we're doing in the whole thing about wishing for a million wishes. I wish to be the stone. And then they break all the rules about the stone that they kind of set up as they went. Now, that was kind of weak. Um, as, can we talk for a second about the invisible jet scene? Can, can we talk just for a second about the invisible jet scene? And why th- that scene just bothered me a lot. I love the idea of bringing in an invisible jet, right? Because that's, I mean, that's a cool idea to have. But they're flying in this jet, and then all of a sudden she goes, well, you know, my father turned Themyscira invisible. I only tried this once on a coffee cup, but let me try this now. Boom! And then she's able to turn the whole, it's like, really? For like a century? You've never done this for a century, and, and now just all of a sudden you did it? And by the way, let me talk about the flying scene. Let me talk about Wonder Woman discovering she has flight, which she somehow, by the way, some tragic accident must happen to Diana between 1984 and the events of Batman versus Superman, where she forgot how to fly. Just throwing that out there. But so here's Diana. This is why this bothers me. And I'm going to contrast this to the first flight scene in Man of Steel. The first flight scene in Man of Steel is just, oh my God, that gets my heart pounding and my blood rushing. And I th- that's I just get chills watching that scene when Kal-El flies for the first time and the camera cuts and the music and the emotion. And it's just one of those freaking awesome moments in comic book movie history. I love that scene. Let's contrast that with the Wonder Woman scene. Wonder Woman for centuries has never been able to fly. That's just not one of her powers up until this point, right? In the movie, Diana doesn't fly. That's just not what she does. But now, and she's had centuries to do it, but now she's sitting in, in a cockpit with, uh, with Steve Trevor, and she goes, you know, I don't understand flying. And, and he talks about basic aviation. It's, it's riding the wind. Just talking about basic aviation. And now all of a sudden, whoa, wow, I never thought about it that way. I'm going to flap my arms like a little birdie. And look, oh, wow, I can fly. Never knew that. Never knew that I can fly. Now, what you can, if you wanted to play devil's advocate, you could legitimately say, well, John, you know, Cal, Clark Kent, he had been on Earth for a number of years and he had never flown. True. But the difference between the Wonder Woman first flight scene and the Man of Steel first flight scene is the, is the transitional moment. Like for Cal, he had just discovered the Kryptonian ship. He had just met the avatar of his father. He just found out what his true lineage is. He was standing in a Kryptonian thing and all this kind of stuff. And there was a brand new revelation about the very core of who Kal-El and Superman was. It was a total transformative moment for Kal-El. He dons his family's crest and, and a, a Kryptonian uh, costume for the first time. 
as he comes walking out. And now he has a fundamental understanding of questions he had always searched for. A fundamental understanding of, let me see if I can get this up here. Uh, a fundamental understanding of who he was. Questions that he had searched his whole life for answers for, right? Questions he had no answers for his whole life. And he searched for answers to these questions. And now he comes out of this life transformative moment. Now he knows what he is. He knows who he is. He knows where he's from. He understands so much more about him. He's donning the family crest, all that kind of stuff. And in that transformative moment, he understands his power goes beyond even what he expected or even what he already knew. He wasn't just strong. He wasn't just fast. There were new understandings about the very core of who he was. Now, transition that or compare that to the first flight in Wonder Woman. Diana had a chat with Steve Trevor said, oh yeah, flying is just like riding the wind. Cool, I can fly. I never knew, centuries I didn't know that. I've, I've been around for centuries and I never knew I could do that. Wow, all because Steve Trevor said, yeah, flying's like riding the wind. You compare that, that was the transitional moment, that was the transformative moment compared to the Man of Steel one. Now, granted, I'm a little biased. Man of Steel is one of my favorite comic book films of all time, but that's one of the reasons. It just plays those out far more effectively. So while they mimicked the Man of Steel first flight scene, and, and it was very inspirational, seeing Diana sailing through the air and, and understanding, wow, I have this power to fly. There was something very special about that, yes. But overall, it was just like, really? Just like that, she, she can fly? From nothing more than a conversation with Steve Trevor. That felt very awkward. It felt very forced. And it just took away for me, what could have been a very special moment. What they really should have done um, is had that conversation with Steve Trevor and then couple that conversation with Steve Trevor to make her think maybe about one of the lessons she got back at Themyscira. This would have been a great moment to have another flashback to Themyscira. Maybe in a conversation with her mother or with Robin Wright, or with one of those characters, a conversation where they taught her a lesson where she never really understood the meaning of it, but now suddenly something in the words that Steve Trevor said to her made her realize what those lessons were she was getting on Themyscira back when she was a child. And maybe she puts those together to create that transformative moment where it's like, I can fly. And, and I don't know, I think it just would have made the moment much more special. I think it would have made the, the moment much more special. Um, so anyway, uh, there's that. Uh, what are some other things I didn't like about this movie? Well, I, I don't know. I I could go on. I think at the end of the day, also the cheesiness of the film, like I get it, the movie is set in the 80s, but that didn't mean you had to make the movie like it was a movie made in the 80s. Make a movie today that is set in the 80s. Don't make a movie today that is also made like it's done in the because like the whole mall action sequence, there were some pretty cool visuals, but in the midst of all that, like saving the one little girl and then looking over the girl, 
It's like, come on, really? Really? And I'm not even going to complain about the continuity between Batman versus Superman. It's like, wait a minute, I thought she was hiding out from the world for all these centuries. I'm not even going to worry about that. They can change their mind on that if they want, so I'm not going to worry about that. But just a lot of things just never clicked. A lot of things never worked. Um, There were some highlights, some great performances, some decent action, some special moments. I really surprisingly liked the Barbara character. Uh, I thought the Max Lord character was fairly weak, although Pedro Pascal brought a great performance. But overall, I got to stick with, I think this is a, at best, mediocre movie, certainly well below the standards that Patty Jenkins is capable of. Um, This is at best a mediocre film. And as a mediocre film, I, it tremendously disappointed me because Patty Jenkins work is just so good. And she did such a great job also with that first Wonder Woman film that, you know, I read one critic say this, Patty Jenkins took the wrong lessons from her success in the first film. And I, I read that before I saw the movie, so I didn't know what they meant. But now that I've seen the movie, I totally get what that one critic was saying. Patty Jenkins brought over the wrong lessons from her incredible success in the first one. And again, I, I, I'm going to, most of you guys will disagree with me because a lot of you guys love this film. A lot of you guys completely hated it. I'm neither. I am very much down the middle. I don't mean to do that on purpose, but that's where I am. But it is neither a very good, no, nor a terrible film, but just overall, the word I use for Wonder Woman 84, unfortunately, is disappointing. So that's where I'm kind of at with it for now. So anyway, guys, that's just my kind of take on it. Let's now get over to you guys and see what you guys want to say and talk about with Wonder Woman 84. So let's not waste any more time and let's jump into it. We're going to start things off here with Ojman, who writes, I wasn't blown away, sadly. The beginning was surprisingly really bad in my ass. I kind of like the beginning, the Themyscaris, other than the physics of it all, which kind of felt wrong. But other than that, I thought the Themyscira thing was pretty fun. Anyway, the beginning was surprisingly really bad in my eyes. I really like Pedro though, but WTF was the accent he had. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really clear on what the accent was. Um, but Hey, it made it unique to the character. So I was good with that. All right. King of the Hills 34 writes, I just watched this movie to me. It was cheesy, but I embraced the cheese and was along for the ride. Got to watch it in a theater, which is always nice. I mean, I, I really do wish I could have seen it in a theater. There were scenes like her first flight, like the, um, uh, the car action sequence. There were a number of scenes that I thought, man, this would be a lot better on a big screen. So I kind of, I'm kind of jealous that you're there. And yeah, like I said, to me, there were decent things about it. There were some smiles. There were a couple of thrills. There were a couple of good performances, but overall, yeah, I, if this movie didn't exist, I wouldn't miss it. Let's just say that if it didn't exist, I wouldn't miss it. I don't mind that it exists. I'm okay that I saw it, but if it just never came out, I don't think, but, and that raises a good question. What was the purpose of this movie? What, what was the purpose of this movie? It, it didn't further the, the mythology of Wonder Woman. It didn't play any sort of transitional moment for her in her life. At the end of the day, the movie ends being very much in the same place that the movie was at in its beginning, 
Wonder Woman's just living in the world. She's kind of quietly behind the scenes saving people. Although, I mean, obviously she would be caught on camera, but whatever. Again, the movie ends and I'm just left to ask myself, okay, that wasn't terrible, but why, why does it exist? What was the point of the movie? And I, right now I can't answer that. Maybe one of you guys can as we get through the, uh, the questions here. Okay. Next up, uh, Jake C writes, and you thought assemble was bad. Wonder woman murmurs to herself, this huge monologue from 20 feet across the room and the entire earth hears it and renounce. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I got to give you that. That was dumb. Okay. In the midst of all the good of, of a number of the good things going on in the movie, that was really dumb. Like, didn't she destroy the satellite? It's like, you have to do this. You have to renounce your wish. And I'm sorry. But if the only way this works is if every single person on the planet who made a wish has to recant it, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There are a lot of people not recanting their wishes. There just would be a lot of people not recanting their wishes. You know what it felt like to me? It felt like an homage to that scene in the dark night on the boats when, hey, you can save boat number one. You can save yourselves if you blow up the other boat, you know, that sort of thing. But that was a small collection of people literally deciding not. I don't want to kill all those people. This felt like it was trying to play off that a little bit. It just for me, it didn't work nearly as uh, it didn't work for me nearly as effectively. Somebody in the live chat, Angel's raising a great point. Say nobody or was it Angel or was it somebody else? Somebody. No, it was uh, Iron Cates writes in, in the live chat. Nobody on earth wor- wished for world peace. Wouldn't that have just fixed everything? One person wishes for world peace. Really? There's nobody who would have wished for world peace? Wouldn't that have kind of fixed everything? I don't know. Kind of interesting. Um, let's see here. Uh, Initial D's writes, I was beyond disappointed. The mall scene set the tone and it wasn't a good one for me. I wanted to like it, but it was boring and super cringe. Why? You know, it's, that's the funny thing. It's a tale of two stories at the beginning of the movie. First, Themyscira, which I thought was a very strong opening. I, I thought that seriously, other than the physics thing about, you know, that's not how gravity works. So anyway, aside from that, I thought the Themyscira scene was really fun and I thought it set a great tone. And then we transitioned that into a totally different thing with the mall scene. And I agree with you initially. It, it, the mall scene did not work for me. There were a couple of things that were half decent about it. But overall, yeah, that mall scene just didn't click with me. Didn't click with me. You know what I did like about the mall scene, though? Let, let me throw this out there. One of the things I liked about the mall scene, both times that I watched it, was that the criminals who were stealing from the jewelry shop, when the one guy who's clearly an ex-con because he's saying, I don't want to go back, he's holding the little girl over, right? They could have made all the, the robbers the same one-dimensional kind of evil villains, Right. But like the other robbers, when they saw the dude holding the little girl over the edge, I felt there was a little bit more verisimilitude there because the other, even the other robbers were like looking at the guy and say, what are you doing? Put the little girl down. And I don't know. I, I feel like the easy thing in that scene would have been like, yeah, bad guys. Yeah. Hope you threaten that little girl. Yeah. As they twirl their mustaches. Right. I, I thought it was a really interesting and a really cool choice 
that Patty Jenkins made to cut to, to even the other robbers saying, look, we're not murderers. We're here to steal, but you're holding, you're threatening the life of a little girl. Dude, what are you, and they could have been running away. They could have been running away before the police got there, but they were like, they stopped and like, what, put the girl down, dude. I like that. I like that. But yeah, overall, the, the mall scene didn't work for me, unfortunately. Uh, Daniel Weissy writes, Wonder Woman 84 made, made me like Pedro Pascal less. Well, you know, here's the thing. The actor can only, all the actor can do is take the material they're given and make the most out of that. And I think Pedro Pascal did. I think Pedro Pascal got handed a fairly weak character and made the best of it. I, I don't know that any actor could have done a better job with it. Uh, Chuck uh, Liloff just sends in a super chat. Thank you, Chuck. Appreciate that. Uh, Initial D's also writes in one of two. The beginning mall scene was beyond cheese. I couldn't believe what I was watching. You can do 80s cheese and not make it cringe. Uh, where was uh, the nostalgia? Script and pacing just wasn't good. There's so many issues. I don't want to beat, beat it up too much. The only positive was the message. You know what? You raise a really good point. If you're going to make a movie called Wonder Woman 84 and you're going to make such a big deal out of the era bring the nostalgia. Do you guys remember hot tub time machine? You guys remember that hot tub time machine? I love that movie. I absolutely love that movie. Like to death. I think it's amazing. That movie was a straight up comedy, but also had beautiful nostalgia in it. Right. They really made you feel like you were in inhabiting the era. There was excellent nostalgia. They would they would always do these little things, and sometimes they were cheap and gimmicky, but you just it made you reminisce. If you were alive in the eighties, like like I was, if you were alive in the eighties, even if you were pretty young, like they would do a lot of things in the movie that just made you stop and reminisce and smile. There was no nostalgia in Wonder Woman eighty four. You know what I mean? They they just didn't bring that element to it. Like, yet you make it such a big deal that this in the 80s, you do the title sequencing, you put 84 in the title, and it was still kind of missing that that sense of that warm nostalgia to be a part of it. And I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I'd have to think about that a little bit more, but I, I, I'm glad you brought it up initially. All right, next up. Tom Gemavir writes... Okay, but can we just appreciate Hans for a second? Oh, yeah, the, again, for me, the music was a strong point of the film. That was, I thought the music was very, very well done, right timed, right placed. It just, it was an effective part of the movie. Absolutely, it was. All right, uh, next up, we got Ryan Holman who writes, was interesting to see Pascal go from a great dad last week to a crappy one this week, though he did kind of redeem himself at the end. Yeah, I mean, and listen, one of the things that I do appreciate is when a movie sometimes like the bad guy just being a straight up bad guy, that's very effective and that works. But sometimes it's also really cool to have a, the villain or the antagonist of your movie just be somebody who's just kind of lost their way a bit. And Peter Pascal, they go a lot out of their way to say, you know, Lord isn't an evil guy. But he is getting caught up in something where his own weaknesses are causing a lot of damage. And that's interesting. It wasn't executed particularly well, but that starting point for your antagonist 
can be very interesting. He is a dude who legitimately loves his kid, but may not be very good at showing it properly. There, there's, there's interesting things there. Like, and honestly, I thought that was an interesting starting point for that character. That could have been a lot more effective if they just executed a little bit better. All right, next up. Uh, Initial D's writes, hope she doesn't write squadrons. I'm worried now. I'm not worried at all. Like I've seen some people like writing things like, like now I, I have no belief in Patty Jenkins anymore. It's like, give me a break. Patty Jenkins made a movie that won Oscars. She then made the first Wonder Woman movie. Listen, every director has a bad day at the office. Every, even Spielberg has a bad day. Even Scorsese has a bad day at the office. This was Patty Jenkins. To me, this was Patty Jenkins' bad day at the office. And it wasn't even terrible. Like, I'm sitting here complaining about a lot of the things I don't like about the film. But honestly, overall, I don't even think the movie was terrible. I, I just didn't think it was good. <laughs> and there were certainly terrible things in it. But to me, it's a bit of a push. But I one subpar movie, don't let that don't let that cloud your judgment. I am still as psyched as ever for Patty Jenkins to do uh, Rogue uh, uh, Rogue Squadron. I'm as psyched as ever for it. I think like every filmmaker, you learn lessons from every movie you make. I think Patty Jenkins being an excellent filmmaker, she's going to learn lessons from this one and then she's going to move on. And let's face it, make what we're learning more and more is that trying to make movies with Warner Brothers, particularly trying to make comic book movies with Warner Brothers, is a little bit challenging. They bring some unique challenges, but uh, we'll we'll see what, what happens there. Anyway, Danny Sanchez writes, um, What a disappointment. Pedro's bad face acting, Gal's bad wire acting, mall scene when she flies, so many cringe moments. I wanted to love this movie. I wanted to love it too. I wanted to love it too. Again, I don't think it's terrible, but I, I I do put it squarely in the disappointment bin. I put it squarely in the disappointment bin. Um, let me, t- you know, you bring up Gal Gadot. Let me, let's, let me address Gal Gadot for a second. This comes up quite a bit for me because everybody knows when they first cast uh, Gal Gadot in Wonder Woman, I was not thrilled with the casting choice. Mostly because she wasn't a very good actress. I mean, that's the, the main, she's not a very good actress. She really hadn't done much. Um, and what few little things she had, she had never led a movie before. And what few things she had done previous to that, she was never particularly impressive. I mean, but let's call it what it is. Gal Gadot is also male or female. One of the most breathtakingly beautiful creatures walking the face of the earth, male or female. Like there's, there's just no taking away from that. Just stunningly beautiful. And by the way, off camera, I have over the years become a bigger and bigger fan of, of her. Like when you saw her at the um, uh, DC fandom event, like you have some really experienced actors who do a lot of press junkets and do, they have a lot of experience. Gal Gadot owned it. Like Gal Gadot owned that fan event. Like her personality off camera, uh, by off movie camera, when she's doing, when she's promoting a film and she's just uh, kind of geeking out and being herself, whatever, it's hard not to be a fan of her. It's it's hard not to be a fan. I've, I've grown to like her more and more and more. She is still not a great actress. What I found in this movie was 
Patty Jenkins, she's Gal was unable to take like Pedro Pascal did. Pedro Pascal took some very, very cringy moments with that character and elevated them a bit. Gal is still not at the point of a, of, of an actress. She still does not have the ability to take material and elevate it. She just doesn't have that ability. And that's okay. I still believe she has gotten better. I think every time we see her, she gets better. And what Patty Jenkins did in this movie, as opposed to the first Wonder Woman movie, is Patty Jenkins gave her slightly heavier material. When you watch the first movie again, you go back and watch the first movie again. They didn't give her any heavy lifting acting wise. They didn't give her any heavy lifting to do. They kept Patty Jenkins very brilliantly kept material to her that was within her wheelhouse that she could do and, and carry it. Okay. And in Wonder Woman 84, I found that they gave gal slightly heavier acting moments to try to do. And like the first movie, I don't think she could elevate the material, but she pulled it off. She pulled it off. Not great, but I, I don't find that her performance was distracting in, in being negative. You know what I mean? She was able to play the scene and make it work. And she was able to do that in a movie where what was being asked of her as an actress was a little bit harder than what was asked of her in the previous movie. And I think we continue to see Gal Gadot get better and better. I do. I still think we continue to see her getting better and better. Is she there yet? No. This movie makes that clear. She's not there yet. But, uh, but again, I, I thought she did a, a perfectly okay job doing what was needed to make certain scenes work. And her physicality clearly is a strength of hers. Her uh, Gal's physicality is clearly a strength. So anyway, just thought I should get the, that elephant in the room out of the way. Okay, let's get back over to it, shall we? Um, do, 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 that was Danny. Next, we go to Scott Brown, who writes... Um, I haven't been this disappointed in a movie since Justice League. Completely different tonally uh, than the first one. There's no sense of purpose, and so many things make no sense. And WTF was that ending so confused. Oh, well, you know, by the way, let me say this. The ending, I thought was great. I thought the ending was great. Let me let me just bring this up here for a second. Um, uh, Linda. Linda, the, the ending for me... And I can't find any pictures of it, but the ending for me, the Linda Carter post credit scene was fantastic because they did something with Linda Carter's post credit scene that I haven't really seen other post credit scenes do. Like a lot of times, like let's say the A team movie with Bradley Cooper and Liam Neeson, right? They had some of the original actors from A team make cameos, but they were just kind of pointless cameos, right? Bringing Linda Carter in playing the Amazonian who was the original Amazonian in that gold armor. Cause remember uh, Diana says I searched for her forever, but I couldn't find her. I only found her armor. Linda Carter was her and for her to show up at the end and, and to actually tie in a cameo of Linda Carter into the story of the movie. Bravo. I thought that was great. Come on, give credit where it's due. That was great. Because they could have just had Linda Carter pop up. Oh, hello, as, a, as an ice cream salesman or as a snowman saleswoman. Hello, isn't Christmas time a wonderful time? I mean, they could have done that. 
but they made her, um, they made her that character that she was, that they were referencing the original owner of the gold armor. And I thought that was a really cool way to kind of tie off the movie in that mid credit scene. But anyway, that's just me. I thought that was an incredibly creative, well done, felt good, great part of the movie. I, I thought they did a really good job with that. Um, anyway, let's move on here. That was Scott. Who's next? Uh, Murray Reich writes, Wonder Woman 84 had some good moments. Seeing Pine back was great, but overall the movie was disappointing slash underwhelming. I, I agree with that. Uh, first one was way better. I also agree with that. I think the better movie this past weekend was Soul. Very heartwarming. Yeah, I enjoyed Soul quite a bit. I didn't think Soul was like the best Pixar movie, but it was quite good. It was really quite good. And, and it was very heartwarming and stuff like that. Also, the Steve Trevor thing. Just the way they brought him back was kind of weird. The way he he comes back and he's got to inhabit the body of somebody else. That that was a little bit odd. That was a little bit odd to me. But anyway, yeah, overall, I got to agree with you, Murray. That's my that's pretty much my thing. It had good moments. It had some good elements to it. There are redeeming there are redeeming things about this movie that make me go, "Oh, somebody really liked this movie." I get it. I, I can understand why I may not agree, but I get it. Why, why a lot of there will be, there are a bunch of people out there that really, really enjoyed this movie. And I get why there are redeemable things about it. Unfortunately for me, somebody who was very excited for this movie and really liked the first one. Um, I think the way you put it disappointed slash, um, uh, underwhelming is, is kind of my feelings on it too. The way I came out of it, unfortunately, Murray. All right, next up. Scott Brown writes, why are we going backwards in comic book movies with this cheesy BS? Why go back to the days of Batman and Robin, Catwoman and Sam Raimi, pure garbage? I don't know what you mean by that, Scott. Like, why are we going backwards in comic book movies? I, because I think that's like saying that every comic book movie that has come out in the last five years has been like that. They obviously haven't been. I, listen, a lot of people were wondering why have Wonder Woman set in the 1980s? Why not have a Wonder Woman movie after the events of Justice League? To me, I understand and I agree with the decision to set the movie in the 80s because one of the reasons the first Wonder Woman movie worked so well was that they isolated it completely from the rest of the DCEU. By setting it in the World War I era, they could make it truly a Wonder Woman movie where Wonder Woman was unique in the world. There wasn't a superhero on every single on every single street corner, right? They made Wonder Woman unique in the world. And that worked for me. And so the idea of let's do another Wonder Woman movie and let's again isolate her from the rest of the DCU to really make who and what Diana is special and unique in the universe. Unlike today's Marvel and DC movies where, yeah, like every, every, every single street corner, it's like the boys, right? Every single street corner has 15 superheroes in different costumes standing on top of the 7-Eleven patrolling for crime. And there's nobody special in the universe anymore. By, ha by isolating Wonder Woman in a certain period of time, you give her that uniqueness, that specialness. Doesn't mean I love the way they executed it, but I, I still like the decision with it at any rate. All right, next up, uh, Danny Sanchez writes, uh, don't know your thoughts as of now, but who's to blame for this mess in your opinion? Gal's wire work was bad in my opinion. Uh, love you all, brother. Uh, bring on the filthy. Who's to blame? Well, listen, whenever 
a movie is great and whenever a movie is terrible and whenever a movie is somewhere in between, the primary first person you have to point at is the director. And I say that you guys know how big of a fan I am of Patty Jenkins. I love Patty Jenkins. But if you give credit to the director when things go great, and it's not just the director, but the the director is the primary person. That's where the buck stops. The buck stops with the director. And we heaped, and I heaped mountains of praise on Patty Jenkins for the first movie, well-deserved. But when the movie goes south and doesn't work, the first person you have to hold accountable is the director. And now there's plenty of blame to go around. The studio, the script, all that kind of stuff. You know, there was other decision-making processes that are weird. But you have to start with the director. That's true of when Steven Spielberg makes a bad movie. That's true of when Christopher Nolan makes some questionable decisions. That's true of when Patty Jenkins makes some questionable decisions and makes a, 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 a mediocre movie at best. Got to hold her responsible. So yeah, the first person we got to look at is the director. All right, Scott Brown writes, uh, it was like this movie took place on a different planet than the first like logic didn't exist in. Hmm. Let me try this again. It was like this movie took place on a different planet than the first than the first grammar matters, guys took place on a different planet than the first like logic didn't exist i'm wonder woman and i think happy thoughts and i kind of fly now yeah again i the i already went into the flying stuff the the flying thing was so badly handled and i'm sorry but by making your movie two and a half hours long you've given yourself plenty of time to flesh things out you've two and a half hours is plenty of time to flesh everything out. And by the way, this was a movie that did not need to be two and a half hours long. Did not need to be two and a half hours long. But uh, yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming. It did. It, this movie felt like it was on a different planet than the first movie. I, I completely agree with that. All right, next up. Justin Smith writes, a World War One pilot. I thought of this too, man. I thought of this too. A World War One pilot jumps in an 80s fighter jet Flips a couple of switches and off to Egypt we go. Said pilot was also amazed by outdoor trash cans. Poor script, in my opinion. Wonder Woman 84, not wonderful, but gal's an awesome Wonder Woman. Yeah, I'm not so sure if she's an awesome Wonder Woman, but she's 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 getting better. She's getting better. Um, the other thing about that whole scene, about really? So just flying's flying, you know how to operate all this advanced technology. The other thing about that scene was this: was really? That fighter jet is just parked there, fully gassed with the keys in the car and the ignition, and just anybody can just jump into it and go? Really? Like, that that was the other thing to me. But yes, I had that exact same thought, man. It's like, oh, I mean, look, there are, there are basic principles to flight that I'm sure Steve Trevor would have picked up how to learn to fly that plane probably quicker than most people. But having never been surrounded by that kind of technology, just hopped in, oh, uh, great, ready to go, yoink, and away we go to Egypt with apparently enough gas to get there and back. Oh, and by the way, Diana's never done this before, but she's going to turn it invisible too. I I mean, yeah, Justin, I get you. That was kind of weird. All right. um, For what it's worth, Justin also writes, I hope she left a note uh, for the scarf guy at the end of the film to wash his sheets. <laughs> yeah. There's a, by the way, I I could be wrong about this, 
But remember when Steve Trevor was trying on all the different outfits and he had on that outfit with the scarf and Chris, Chris, uh, Chris Pine goes, who would wear this if I'm not mistaken? And I could be mistaken. I believe there was an old magazine cover where Chris Pine actually wore that outfit. So I think there was a little bit of an inside joke with that scene. If I'm right about that, then that was pretty funny. If, if I'm right about that, that was pretty funny. And yes, uh, be careful about your, if your bed sheets are a little damp in places, just, just wash them. Uh, Initial D's writes, uh, John, did you see my tweet about, uh, to you about my wonder woman, 84 plot prediction on the John campus show a whole year ago. It took a lot of time and effort to find it. Please look at it. I don't think I've seen it yet. I haven't really been on Twitter much the last 48, 72 hours. Um, but I'll try to go through my Twitter at some point here, uh, soon enough. All right. ZOMG ruler writes, uh, liked wonder woman 84, but I wasn't sure about the inviso jet. You, yeah, again, it's just, I love the idea that the invisible jet makes an appearance. That's fun. That's fun. But bringing about of, well, I've never done this before, but I have magic wizard powers. Woo, look at me go. I'm going to turn this plane invisible. I've never done it before. Been around for like, I've been practicing for decades and the best I could do was like a cup. But now I'm just going to be able to just touch the jet and I can turn invisible because I'm a wizard. I watch Lord of the Rings. And Gandalf the girl. I can do whatever. Anyway, yeah, that that was, again, cool idea to bring in the invisible jet, but just bring it in in a better way than that. That's that's the only thing about that. Uh, okay, next up, um, the Jedi, uh, the Jedi Brandon writes, uh, since Wonder Woman 84 was just okay, has your excitement for Rogue Squadron been tempered? No, not in the least. Listen, Again, everybody's got to understand, every director has a bad day at the office. If you expect perfection from every director every time out, it doesn't matter if it's Christopher Nolan, Steven Spielberg, uh, uh, Scorsese, it doesn't matter. You're going to be disappointed at some point. I have seen enough from Patty Jenkins to know that she is a world-class filmmaker. Wonder Woman 84 was her bad day at the office. And, you know, every movie has a million different moving pieces that could affect certain things, whether it's the studio, whether it's other forces, whatever. Bottom line is this. If this was Patty Jenkins's first movie that I had seen, then yes, I'd be a little bit worried about Rogue One. Yes, I would. But it's not the first Patty Jenkins movies I've seen. I know how good of a movie maker she is. I know how talented of a director she is. So just because she had one bad day at the office, and by the way, there are a lot of people who really like Wonder Woman 84. I didn't, and that's okay. But there are a lot of people who really liked it. But to me, just because she has one bad day at the office, does that suddenly take all the great stuff she's done and throw it out the window? No, no. So no, it doesn't lessen my excitement one bit for what she's going to bring to Rogue Squadron. Not at all. All right, next up, Aaron writes, what a mess. Practical effects slash CGI were terrible. Listen, I got, I, I'll, I'll give you that, man. A lot of the effects were very badly done. Like even simple effects, like Wonder Woman running fast in the background behind her. It's like that totally looks rotoscoped. Like that totally looks green screened. Like even some of the simple stuff just didn't look right. And oh my God, you've had years to work on this one. Like this movie was supposed to come out originally like a year ago. You've had forever to get the visual effects right in this. So yeah, I, yeah, there's just, there's no excuse for that one, Arn. Absolutely not. Ben Rayner writes, 
Hey, John, 84 was a solid movie. Uh, wish a few things were f- fleshed out a bit more. Steve's return would have been nice for a clear for a clearer explanation. Wasn't a huge fan of Max. Cheetah felt rushed. Cheetah. Well, here's my main problem with Cheetah, because I really do like the character. And I really do like, like I said earlier, I really like what Kristen Wiig brought to it. But she wasn't an important part to the story. You know? She she wasn't important to the movie. Even in the big climactic battle, she was just a stage that Diana had to get through to get to Lord. So it, it, it was it was a little bit misused. It was kind of unfortunate. I do think they could have done the Steve's return better. They could have come up with a better mechanism for Steve's return. Because I think that moment could have been great. That moment could have been great. Instead, it was a little bit awkward. Like, first of all, how did Steve even get into that party? How did Steve even get into that party to see her? I, I mean, I don't know. There, there were a number of things. But again, I get why you would you would thought it was solid. I get why why it was solid to you. I think there are redeemable elements of this movie that put it in position that some people could really like it. Maybe even a lot of people could really like it. I get it. I do. But yeah, there were a lot of those weaknesses along the way as well, Ben. I, I completely agree with you on that. All right, let's move on here. Next up, uh, John Argord Rodriguez writes, I love Diane and Steve. I, I Those those were the best, uh, really, when it was just Diane and Steve, those were the the most redeemable moments of the movie for me, for the most part. I thought that's, the movie was was firing on all cylinders when it was the two of them together. But anyway, uh, but their goodbye felt awkward because Steve was still professing his love and Diana thought he was done. Uh, so she left and Steve had to scream his final words just because because uh, she just left. Here's the thing about that scene, though, John. Here's the thing about that scene. When you really think about it. I think they had to do that because what they didn't want to have to do was have that awkward moment that she says, I renounce my wish and Steve disappears. And now that guy is there, that guy whose body Steve has been inhabiting. He's there and he's like, where am I? Who are you? What's going on? Like all that kind of stuff. I I feel like that wasn't a good moment in the movie to have that scene. You know, it wasn't a good moment with them saying goodbye to now suddenly have this new character show up. Huh, wh- what am I doing here? Why do I feel so strange? Who are you? Why am I not in my apartment? Like that moment would have ruined what was a pretty good moment. Their goodbye scene was a pretty good moment. Did it end awkwardly with her just walking away and then renouncing her wish? Yes, but they sort of had to do it that way to avoid that other nonsense. You know what I mean? So I get it. I I, I think it was making the best of a difficult situation. It wasn't great, but I don't know if there would have been a much better way to do it in that particular circumstance. But you raise a good point. All right, next up, we've got um, Marie Seifring writes, Wonder Woman 84 was okay, not great, 6 out of 10. Uh, Gadot and Pine have nice chemistry. I liked Wig. Pascal's over-the-top take on Max Lord didn't work for me. Plot was convoluted. Plot was convoluted. CGI, not good. Soul was better, thanks. Yeah, I I don't think there's... 
there's much doubt that Soul was the better movie. Like two movies came out on Christmas Day, Wonder Woman 84, Pixar Soul. Uh, Soul was the better movie. Now, there is no shame in coming in second place to a Pixar film. <laughs> like there's no shame in that. It's like you lost a fight to Mike Tyson. Okay, no shame in that. Um, it's not like it was, I don't know, Power Rangers 7 and it was the better movie than yours. No, no, no. You lost out to Pixar. That's fine. But I completely agree, Marie. Um, they it just, uh, convoluted plot, despite the fact that it was two and a half hours, could have been very simple. The whole MacGuffin of the, the Dreamstone was very odd. How did it get into that shop, by the way? And how, here's a good question. How was Maxwell Lord, this bumbling con man, become the only guy on the planet smart enough to trace the ancestral path of the Dreamstone. And he's like one of the only guys in the world to know what it truly is and find out where it was going to be. It was at that jewelry shop and blah, blah, blah. How is this guy who's portrayed in this movie is really not much more than a bumbling con man be the only guy on the planet to be intelligent, smart enough, and wise enough to figure that all out? There's a good question for you. Anyway, now maybe I'm just nitpicking. Maybe I'm just nitpicking. All right, thanks for saying that in, Marie. All right, next up, Samuel Shin writes, one of three. Mixed bag, uh, a step back from the first film, but there are some amusing moments uh, within what is an extremely paper-thin plot of a film. Completely agree. Uh, good romance, again, from Pine and, and Gadot. I agree. Uh, felt this was Gadot's best performance as Wonder Woman. I agree. Still not great, but but continues to improve, continues to get better. Uh, villains were meh, wanted more from Cheetah, so did I. Especially once I realized how good Kristen Wiig is in the role, then I really wanted more of that. Uh, thought the visual effects were good, except when uh, when she was running. Hoping the third film will be contemporary. The MacGuffin used missed more than it hit, 5.5 out of 10. I, I, I mean, seriously, Samuel, I you just basically hit all the notes that I've been saying. I, I completely agree with you. Now, of course, news just came out, and Robert and I will talk more about this on the John Campy Show tomorrow. Uh, news just came out about they've already greenlit Wonder Woman 3. It's going to get fast-tracked, but we all knew that was already the case, so no big news there. Not to mention, I wouldn't doubt, and, and again, we'll talk about this on the John Campy Show tomorrow, but I wouldn't doubt at all if part of Warner Brothers moving Wonder Woman to HBO Max and getting Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot on board with it was we will give an instant green light to Wonder Woman three and give you an X amount of budget. There was probably a little bit of that involved. I don't know that for sure, Miss Samuel. I don't know that for sure, but you know what? I firmly believe directors learn from their successes and their missteps. I think Patty Jenkins is going to learn a lot from what didn't work in this movie. And I'm predicting right now, Wonder Woman three will be the best one yet. I really do. I feel very confident in that. I think she's going to take some of the things they tried in this. She'll figure out what didn't work and we are going to get Wonder Woman 3 and it will be the best one yet. That That is my prediction. That is my guess. We'll see though. All right. Thanks a lot for that, Samuel. Jake C writes, I wish everybody was a dinosaur, a three-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. And what happens when you have conflicting wishes? Like I was watching that. Okay. You just suddenly at, look as made wishes for everybody around the world, right? Everybody make a wish. Okay. So then what happens if somebody, 
makes contradictory wishes. What happens if, and forget three-year-old, John Campia probably would have done that. I wish everybody was a dinosaur, right? Okay, but now a three-year-old up the street says, I wish everybody had, I don't know, I wish everybody looked like, who's a, who's a five-year-old have a crush on? I don't know. I wish everybody looked like Big Bird. I don't know, I'm making something up. Okay, you now have two contradictory wishes. What happens then? Do they split it up? Do they make half the people look like dinosaurs and half the people look like Big Bird? I don't know. They didn't really address that. You get into these big, big things, and it's like they didn't stop to figure out how would the logic of this work? And really, would everybody renounce their wish? Like, I'm sorry, the five-year-old kid who wishes for everybody to look like dinosaurs, all right? Does that kid magically hear Diana's, oh, you have the power to save the world, everybody. You must renounce your wish. You think that five-year-old kid's renouncing his wish? And do they need, and, and what is it? What's the percentage here? Is it like, I don't know, Congress, you need 70%. Like how many people have to renounce their wish for it to be effective? Because I'm telling you that five-year-old kid isn't renouncing their wish. Does everybody have to renounce the wish? Do you need at least half the people to renounce their wish? I mean, I don't know. What's the rules? What's the math? I don't know. Maybe I'm asking for too much. All right, next up, Marie Seifring writes, uh, what did you make of Diana suddenly being able to fly without a plane? I, I, yeah, I addressed that one a little bit earlier. Uh, it While the flying felt emotional and visually it looked really cool, um, I, it just, it wasn't, it just really centuries. You've been alive for centuries. And just because Steve Trevor said, flying is like riding the wind. Wow, I, I can fly. What? How did you get you can fly from me saying flying is like riding the wind? I don't know. I just can fly. It was it was a missed opportunity. It could have been and should have been much better. It could have been and should have been much better, Marie. All right, next up, Pablo uh, Zaniga writes, movie was okay. I thought the invisible jet was, uh, was clever though, but I did feel like it was way too long. Hope you had a good holiday. And again, like I agree the having the invisible jet was a good idea, but it's almost like they went, Hey, you know what we should do? Have the invisible jet pop up. That's a great idea. How should we do that effectively? Eh, just, I don't know. Uh, have Diana cast a spell. Really? That, that we're going to have, Diana become a wizard and cast a invisibility spell. Yeah, yeah, sure. Everybody will just be happy that the invisible jets there. Uh, okay. We'll have, should she put on a wizard hat? Nah. Okay. Well, she'll cast a spell it, again. The jet was a cool idea, but having a cool idea does not remove from you the responsibility of bringing up a good way to, implement the idea or, or have the idea take effect. Anyway, that's just kind of my take on that. All right. Next up, uh, Christopher Benson writes. So wonder woman has been fighting crime in the open for decades, even, uh, had a skirmish at the white house, but no one knew who she was in Batman versus Superman logic be damned. Oh, dude, listen, if we want to go down that path, she can fly. Now she can fly really. Cause I didn't see her flying in, in, Batman or Justice League, or we didn't see her fly then. They're they're playing with the canon. They're playing with the continuity. And you know what? That's fine. If you want to break canon to tell your story, I'm okay with that. Story comes first, 
So I'm okay with that. But yeah, what happened to I've hid away from humanity for so long? Really? Like what? One weekend? Like what happened to that, Diana? I've stayed hidden away. No one could ever see me. Really? They've got pictures of you from like 1910, but mall cameras couldn't pick you up? No, no traffic cameras picked you up running across the street and pushing cars out of the way. You haven't been doing a good job, Diana, keeping yourself hidden away. But yeah, but but I accept it, Christopher. I, it happened. I accept it. We move on. All right. Eric Lynch writes, John, I love the scene where Wonder Woman has to leave Steve and she learns how to fly. Uh, it is so great. Best scene in the movie. Uh, again, I disagree about the flight scene. I, I thought that was a ruined scene because there was there was nothing there was nothing to say why couldn't she fly before and why can she fly now? You know, we talked a little bit earlier in this stream about contrasting that to Man of Steel where Cal uh, Clark goes through this incredible transformative moment, f- finding out who he is, finding out what he is, understanding his heritage, being in a Kryptonian vessel talking to the avatar of his long-deceased father. All these things created a transformative moment where he walks out of the icy mist in the Superman costume bearing the family crest, and now he understands how much and what he really is, far beyond what he thought he was before. And in that transformative moment, he takes his first flight. With Diana... Hey, Trevor, how do you fly? Oh, just ride the wind. Wow. Okay, I'll ride the wind. And suddenly she can fly. It it was a, a missed opportunity. But I am with you on the whole final Steve, um, Steve and Diana scene where she renounces it and she, she he, he's got to go away. You know, I, I did like the scene. It ends a little bit awkwardly, but that's how the scene had to end. And uh, I did like that scene, Eric. I got to say, I like that scene. All right, next up, Eric also writes, I have read a lot of Wonder Woman comics, and as a comic book fan, uh, this wasn't a good comic book movie, but it is a wonderful Wonder Woman comic movie. Hey, listen, again, I'm not going to disagree with you. I mean, I, I don't agree, but to me, there was enough solid things in the movie there were enough redeemable elements to the movie that I totally get why a fellow film fan would look at the movie and feel like they really enjoyed it. I get it. I, again, I don't share that experience. I walked away from wonder woman 84 more disappointed um, than anything else, but I didn't think it was terrible. But at the same time, there are enough good things in it that I totally get why somebody would like it a lot more than I do. I also get why somebody would hate it a lot more than I do. Like I'm disappointed in the film. I I don't think it's a good movie, but I didn't think it was a dumpster fire like some other people do, but I get why they think it is a dumpster fire. Just like I get why you really enjoyed it. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about movies, man, is all of us as film fans, we have these different experiences with the same piece of art. And I think that's wonderful. I think that kind of diversity is really wonderful for a fan base. So I'm glad you enjoyed it, Eric. All right, next up, Eric also writes, I really hate the hate Wonder Woman is getting. Might be a bad movie, which I don't think it is, but at least it's better than that awful Justice League. Well, wait a second, Eric, time out. Time out. He says who? Like, 
You're saying, I hate the hate this movie's getting. At least it's better than Justice League. Well, now you're saying that, but somebody else is out there going, I hate the hate that Justice League is getting. Like, says who that it's better than Justice League? To me, this Wonder Woman movie is not better than Justice League. I think it's better than Catwoman. I think if we want to get more modern, I think it's better than Birds of Prey and the Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. I think it's better than that movie. Um, But I disagree with you. I, I don't think it is better than Justice League. But again, that's the beautiful thing about it. But listen, in as much as you, if you want to embrace that you love it, like I embrace that you really enjoyed this movie. That's great. But you're going to also have to embrace that there are going to be other people that that really didn't like it at all, right? That, that there are people who hated it. You got to be okay with that. You know, that doesn't mean you're not allowed to love it and that you shouldn't say why you loved it or why you enjoyed it. But um, you got to be careful not to start throwing out things like, this movie shouldn't be getting hate. It's better than that movie. Well, says who? says who so i hey man just enjoy the movie and celebrate that you enjoyed it i wish i enjoyed it as much as you did all right uh eric also writes john wonder woman is my favorite superhero of all time so i sort of feel like i'm compelled to like this movie even though i can't i I oh even though i can see the problems in it and you know what nothing wrong with that if wonder woman is your favorite comic book hero of all time then of course you're going to have a soft spot in your heart for the movie and there's nothing wrong with that There are a lot of people who Batman is their favorite superhero of all time. So they probably approach the various Batman movies with a little bit of soft spot for him, right? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Look, movies are art. And art hits all of us in different ways. One thing of art may hit somebody as the most inspirational thing they've ever seen. It might hit another person as a completely boring piece of garbage. The important thing is, what reaction did it elicit in you? And if you watch that film and it made your heart happy, forget about it. That's all that matters, man. That's all that matters. And just because it didn't do the same thing for other people, unfortunately, like me, it didn't do that for me, but that's okay. And uh, I'm glad that you liked it, man. I'm actually just a little bit jealous that you had a better experience with it than I did. Okay. Uh, We keep moving forward here. Eric also writes, John, I do not like how they automatically started wishing for stuff uh, with the stone, not establishing what the stone is or its name. I mean, that, listen, there's a lot of things they could have done differently with the stone. They went a little Indiana Jones with it. Oh, it was in this time period and it was in the Roman era and it was in the Egyptian era. They got to that a little bit later. You know what almost would have maybe would have been good for it? A little bit of a pre-roll. Let's go, let's say take Lord of the Rings, right? Let's go back to the first Lord of the Rings movie, Fellowship of the Ring. How did Lord of the Rings start? It started with Kate Blanchett giving this pre-roll to the movie, telling a little bit of the tale of the Ring of Power. You know, seven to the Dwarven Lord, like uh, three rings were given to the elves, seven to the Dwarven Lords, nine kings were given to the king, or nine rings given to the kings of men and blah, blah, and one master ring forged in secret. And then he poured all of his malice and ruled to dominate all life, you know? They gave that little bit of a pre-roll and that served the movie really well moving forward. It kind of feels like not necessarily that they should have completely, um, that they should have just completely copied, um, that they should have just copied Lord of the Rings. I'm not saying they should have just completely copied Lord of the Rings, 
but I think some other movies have done a, like a little bit of a pre-roll. And I think a pre-roll in this instance maybe would have got us a little bit more on board with the movie right from the beginning if we understood the power and what was at stake, it might've set the, it might've set the table a little bit better. Maybe who knows? Maybe not. Uh, all right. Next up, uh, Tom Gillard writes, it went from, it was good to, uh, it was good, not great to, well, that was disappointing, but not a bad movie to know that was bad. I need to stop lying to myself. I had a little bit of the same experience. I mean, like, like I said, I've watched it twice now. And the first time it was, it, I didn't love it, but it was, it was worth the watch. It's worth the watch. It's worth checking out, even though I didn't love it Two on my second watch was it's not good. I still don't hate it though. There are things in it that I hate, but I don't overall hate the movie. I just don't see myself ever watching it again. Uh, I, I didn't particularly enjoy it either. There's just too many weaknesses, too many good things for me to throw it out, but too many weaknesses for me to really care about it. And I'm kind of left, Tom, like I said before, I'm kind of left in this position of why does this movie exist? I'm not quite sure what the point of the movie was. Anyway, uh, Eric writes, John, this movie uh, retcons the DCU movies uh, that has Wonder Woman in it because Wonder Woman 84 makes her fly and she didn't know how to fly in all the other movies. That doesn't mean it retcons the other things entirely, right? It does mean they're breaking canon in some places, but it doesn't retcon. Like, for instance, them showing Diana flies does not throw out all the other movies. It doesn't throw out Batman versus Superman. It doesn't throw out the entirety of those things. They are breaking canon, and they're retconning a couple of elements. But I don't think it, on a larger scale, retcons the entire DCU at this point. Oh, Diana flies in this movie. That means Batman versus Superman, Justice League. None of them exist anymore. They don't exist. No, it just means they broke that one little bit of canon. That's all. Uh, next up, Dan Hensley writes, uh, sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you for that, Dan. Appreciate that, man. Writes, Wonder Woman 84 embraces the cheesiness of the 80s. Uh, is extremely ambitious and packed with goodies. I can see why some might not enjoy it as much as the first. It's very different in tone, but I loved it. Pedro's arc made the movie. Hey, listen, again, I like what they did, at least from a starting point point of view, that this is a flawed guy who's not an evil guy, who just whose desire for success and status and power cause him to do some bad things as a starting premise for a villain in a film that can be very effective. You can do some really good things with that. And I think Pedro turned in a very good performance. I do. Uh, I think Pedro turned in a good performance. Uh, that said, you know, it just, it, there are some people who are mentioning it's just too convoluted. And, and I agree with that. Um, there are also things in it that they did that, just contradicted itself. You know, there's just too many things they did in there that was just contradicting itself. And I, I just, I can't get on the same page. Was it ambitious? Yes, it was pretty ambitious. And I don't think, and sometimes listen, I want filmmakers to swing for the fences. One of the bits of hypocrisy of us, um, of us film fans, one of our bits of hypocrisy is the fact that we are constantly saying 
we want filmmakers to take chances and try big daring things and try doing things really different. But then when they do try doing something really difficult or really different or very ambitious, we want to throw them under the bus. Now that doesn't mean if they try something really ambitious and it doesn't work that we should pretend like it worked. No, we say it doesn't work, but then let's not gang pile on the director, right? Let's not gang pile. Let's say, okay, listen, it didn't work. It didn't work, but at least they tried something ambitious, right? And, and I'll say that about Wonder Woman 84. I don't think it really worked what they were going for, but hey, full credit for trying something really large in scale, like something that literally causes um, causes um, wishes to be granted and things like that. I, I get that, and that's good, but it doesn't mean the movie works. So I think there's a middle ground uh, in all of that, I, I, th- I really do feel like there's a middle ground in there somewhere, but I, yeah, again, I won't take away the, the movie was ambitious. It did try a lot. I just, a lot of times, the more ambitious you try to be, the harder it is to make something really effective with it. And that's why some movies don't try to be all that ambitious because it's easier to hit something successfully when it's not quite as ambitious. I think what they were trying to do with Wonder Woman 84 was very ambitious and then it came up short. It came up short, but that's just kind of me. All right. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, Dan. All right. Uh, the Wakandan Forever writes, they did it. Two things I had to see uh, as a Wonder Woman fan, Invisible Jet and Linda Carter. Uh, I was a kid again. It was 1984. I loved every second of it. Well, here's the problem, though. I think the problem with us as fans sometimes is, you know, just just have an Invisible Jet. And then, okay, they drop in an invisible jet, but they didn't do it well. I, I mean, it's it's all subjective. That's how I feel about it. I feel like they didn't do it well. I, I don't think just putting something in there and saying, there it is, that suddenly makes it good. You know what I mean? Just like in that one Transformers movie, that awful trans, so many of the, all of the Transformers movies, except the first one are terrible, but, and Bumblebee, Bumblebee was great. But, you know, you could say, oh, all I want to see is Optimus Prime riding Grimlock with a giant sword, right? Great. They put that in the movie, but the movie still sucked. So it's, it's a little bit more than just putting in those, those little Easter eggs we want to see. But the Linda Carter scene was great. Give credit where it's due. And they didn't just... See, that's, that's, that's the thing exactly. The Linda Carter thing was perfect because... They didn't just go, oh, we got to show Linda Carter and then didn't care about how they worked. They showed Linda Carter and then they tied her into the story as the original Amazonian warrior who wore the golden armor. That was great. I wish they had given as much thought and consideration to the other little gems they wanted to drop in the movie, like Wonder Woman flying or the invisible jet or other things like that. I wish they had given more things that sort of consideration that they gave the Linda Carter uh, mid-credit scene. But anyway, there's that. All right, next up. Uh, Wakanda Forever also writes, I laughed, I cried, I fell in love. Cheetah was on the prowl, grr. Uh, Max was a sleazeball. Steve is always great. Ending got me better than the first. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed that level. Again, I did not find it to be nearly as good as the first one. But the Steve Trevor character was great. Chris Pine gave a terrific performance. I really like what Pedro Pascal did, even though I thought he was given a, a, a questionably weak character. Uh, I thought the uh, I thought Kristen Wiig 
was far better suited in this movie than I thought she would be. I thought she really, she elevated the material she was given. And I like that. And it had some pleasant moments. Again, I don't think it's anywhere near as good as the first. Uh, nowhere close, but that's just me. I'm glad you, you liked it more than I did. Wakanda. All right. Ghostface 1999 writes, Hey John, um, did you catch the Batman versus Superman Zimmer theme? A beautiful lie. When Wonder Woman was giving her speech to Max, uh, was it an Easter egg, a tie into Batman versus Superman? I don't know that you'd call similar music notes within the same cinematic universe being an Easter egg. Like the moment in justice league where you you hear where Zimmer works in notes from the original Superman theme, right? Like they work that in. That's an Easter egg because it's something from like outside of that cinematic universe. I don't know that I would call using musical overtures or notes taken from things already within that same cinematic universe as being an Easter egg, but that's just semantics. But I thought the music overall in the movie was great. Seriously, Ghostface, I, I thought I thought the music overall was just a really one of the strong points of the movie. It really was, to me at any rate. All right, Ghostface also writes, Wonder Woman was giving that speech to the entire world, but with with that music in the background, it seemed like she was talking to Bruce Wayne. Your thoughts? No. No, I, I, I don't. I don't. I didn't get that at all. Um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, in this movie, Bruce Wayne would have been eight, maybe ten. Yeah, Bruce Wayne was probably 10, 11, or 12 years old. He was out there in the world somewhere, 10, 11, or 12 years old. But no, I I, I did not get in any sense uh, any sort of a connection there that she was talking to Bruce. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty cool that you're thinking along those terms. But personally for me, I, I didn't get that at all. All right, next up, James Welsh writes, um, bit convenient when Max goes to the president and the satellite, oh God, dude, I thought the exact same thing. And the satellite plans are right there in the Oval Office. Bit convenient how Diane just drives past Max. Yep, that was an entire country. She just knows he went to some country and drove right by him. Bit convenient how Wonder Woman, how a World War I pilot automatically can fly a modern plane. James, I completely agree. Let's talk about the satellite plans though, right? That was like just in the Oval Office, these giant place cards up on easels saying we're dominating satellite communications hijacking plans and just out there in the open in the Oval Office. It's like, really? Really? But whatever. It was a convenience. And then, yes, they just happened to be on the same road that Max Lord was driving on in the opposite direction. It's like, really? An entire country. You just happen to be on the one road that he was on. Okay, sure. And as far as Steve being able to pilot the plane, yeah, we've gone into that. We've gone into that uh, on a number of occasions. Um, So yeah, there was that. All right, next up, uh, SK Zhang writes, Hey, John. Uh, the lawyer, Diana sleeping with Steve, uh, who is a stranger's body. Does that, is that considered rape? No consent from this man. You know, that's more of a philosophical question. That's more of a philosophical question. It was that man's body, but he was not present, right? For all intents and purposes, while Steve was there, that was Steve's body. So whatever happened, the body was Steve's choice. Once Steve left the body, it became the other guy's body again. So I would argue in a court of law that as long as Steve Trevor was the one inhabiting that body for that period of time, it was Steve Trevor's body. 
So that's that's how I would feel philosophically. But yes, that question also crossed my mind. It's like, what happens if this dude was like a virgin and he wanted to keep to stay being a virgin until he was married? What if he was like one of those old fashioned dudes? Is he here's here's a question. Here's a question. This is the deep stuff. This is the heavy stuff. This is stuff we're all wondering. If that dude was a virgin. Is he a virgin anymore? Huh? It wasn't technically him sleeping with her. It was his physical body, but he wasn't inhabiting the body at the time. What say you? This is the important questions we need to address, guys. This is the heavy stuff. If he was a virgin prior to Steve sleeping with Diana, is he still a virgin? Deep question. Deep question. Okay, next up. Um, James Welsh writes, uh, I feel WB copy and pasted Barbara's backstory from Catwoman. A beautiful blonde dressed up to look nerdy uh, is shy and unpopular. Then wham, gains powers and changes. She even looked like uh, Pfeiffer. Um, I, th- here's why I, I don't agree with that, James. The reason I don't agree with that is because that is a trope that has been used many, many times, just minus the supernatural stuff. You know, a, a cute, sorry, a nerdy, mousy girl comes into something that is empowering. Take out the supernatural superhero stuff, like uh, some kind of event in her life that makes her feel empowered. And then all of a sudden takes off the glasses, blow dries her hair, puts on better clothes. And all of a sudden now she's the hot girl in school, right? Like she's all that. We've seen that trope a million times. Let's not pretend that Catwoman uh, was the 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 movie that kind of introduced that, right? Let's not pretend Catwoman was the one. So no, I, I don't think for a second that that was um, the Wonder Woman film like copying the Catwoman thing. That is a very, very standard, common Hollywood trope that has been used great and has been used badly in, in some places and sometimes. That's my take on it. Interesting comparison though, James. All right, next up, Patrick Conway writes, Are we expected to believe that parents of dying children who wish to save their kids renounce their wish because of Diana's speech? Dude, that, no, that, that is a beautiful example of that. Like I was saying earlier, if the only way this works is that everybody who has made a wish renounces the wish, then it is preposterous to think that everybody renounced their wishes. Like fine, if you, if like 25 people have been given wishes, you can make a case and convince me that 25 people could be talked into unwishing their wish. But Max Lord broadcast to the whole world. There would have been tens, if not hundreds of millions of wishes being made in those moments. And you're telling me the five-year-old kid who wanted a pet dinosaur is going to recant that wish? Are you telling me, this is a great example, Patrick. Your example is better than my kid with a dinosaur one. You're telling me that a parent who wished for their child to be free of the terminal illness they have would recant their wish? No. And and again, like one of the other viewers wrote in earlier, why didn't somebody just, in the midst of all the chaos going on, why didn't somebody just wish for world peace? That's all it's going to take, right? According to the rules of the movie, just one person had to wish for world peace, fixes everything. And then what happens with contradictory wishes? But no, that's a great example 
Um, that's a great example, Patrick. That's a great example. All right. Uh, Taki 75 writes, um, I wasn't a big fan of wonder woman and never understood your confidence in Patty Jenkins. It's not like she is a Kubrick or Scorsese level director. I disagree. I mean, let me, let me back that back, back, set that up. Do I think Patty Jenkins is one of the single greatest filmmakers of all time? No, I don't think she's that level. Um, but she's incredibly good. All you got to do is go watch monster. Like there's a Charlize Theron only has one Academy award. (laughs) Most actresses have none. Only one. Charlize Theron has an Academy award. You know who directed her to that Academy award? Patty Jenkins. Charlize Theron has worked with a lot of other directors and never been directed to an Academy award since then. There's a reason for that. Um, and that movie is a masterpiece in storytelling. It's fantastic. And then she comes out and does Wonder Woman and she did a great job with Wonder Woman. Not everybody loves Wonder Woman. All film is subjective, but I think you'll agree the majority of people really do like Wonder Woman. And I'm one of them. I thought the Wonder Woman was great. Thank you, Patty Jenkins. But, uh, but yeah, that I don't necessarily mean, I don't think she's on Spielberg's level or necessarily a Scorsese, but she is one of the great filmmakers today. I think she's one of the best filmmakers out there today. Maybe not on the Mount Rushmore of all-time great filmmakers. No, I'm not, I don't want to get carried away, but she's really good. And to deny that, I, I feel like it's just ignoring her past work. But I, I, that's just me. It's all subjective. It's all subjective. All right, next up. Taki also writes, funniest thing I read about the movie from uh, James, uh, from James uh, Burra Danelli's review, Kristen Wiig seems like she got lost on the way to the audition for cats. I don't agree with that, but that is funny. <laughs> I don't agree with that at all, but that is, that's a good line. That's pretty damn funny. I like that. All right. Uh, next up, Ryan Loner writes one of two. Did I miss when that guy who Steve possessed gave consent to sleep with Diana because neither of them seemed to give that a second thought. Again, I think from a philosophical point of view, the assumption is as long as Steve isn't happening, that body, it's Steve's body. And Hey, let's face it. If Diana didn't renounce her wish, that body permanently became Steve's body. But the question then becomes what happened to that guy? That's the one thing I didn't like about that thing. Like, why didn't he just manifest? Nobody made a wish for some guy to lose his life because the guy whose body that belonged to while Steve was there, he lost his life. He no longer had a life. So that was always weird to me. But again, I get past the whole consent sleeping thing because while Steve was there, it was Steve's body. So that's, that's kind of what I hold on to there. Uh, Ryan also follows up with, and then there's the scene where we're supposed to think Barbara is evil for beating up the guy who was assaulting her. So this was directed by a woman, right? Well, no, here's the thing that it, it wasn't that's you. I, I think here, Ryan, honestly, I think you're totally misinterpreting that scene. The point of the scene in showing Barbara beating the shit out of that guy who tried to assault her before. That was simply to show us the transition in Barbara, right? That Barbara was now changed and not just that she was strong. Like we already, they did a scene showing us her physical change, right? So they had a scene of her going to a gym, lifting the weights and all that kind of stuff. That showed us the physical change. But now they needed to show us a scene that showed her personality changing, her whole persona was changing. 
in number one, how she interacted with the homeless guy and the guy who tried to assault her in one part of the movie, kind, mousy, fearful, but generous to, to the homeless guy. Now we need another scene to, to demonstrate to us that total change. Now she was rude to the homeless guy. Mind your business. That, that's a change. That's a fundamental change from who she was before. To, and now it wasn't just that, oh, I'm physically capable of beating this guy up, so I'm going to beat him up. No, there was a mentality change as well. And I think just like the movie needed to give us a scene to demonstrate her physical change, it also needed a scene in the movie to represent how she was mentally changing. And I, I, on that level, I thought that scene worked. I thought that scene was actually very effective in that way, but that's just me. All right, Christopher Benson writes, um, this was just a big budget canon film. I'm not quite sure what you meant by that, but sure. All right, Nick Christopher also writes, so Wonder Woman uh, kidnapped and raped a man for a week in 1984. Again, that body was no longer that other guy. That body was now Steve Trevor. And it was going to be forever from then on, unless Diana, you know, uh, rescinded her wish. And so I think that's kind of the explanation for that. All right. Jake writes, I gave the movie a six out of 10. I'm roughly maybe a little bit lower, but I'm in that neighborhood myself. Uh, I gave the movie a six out of 10, gave the first a seven, but did she become cheetah because she saw Diana wear a cheetah printed boot for, for two seconds? Don't laugh. Anne asked the same thing. I was watching the movie with Anne. And when she looked down at her shoes and saw the shoes and she says, Oh, I like your shoes. And then goes, Really? Is is that why she becomes Cheetah later? I choose to believe, and I could be totally wrong about this. I choose to believe that that was just more like a little wink. I think that was more just like a little Patty Jenkins wink to the camera. It's like a little, but no, I do not think the reason she became, and it, but by the way, she goes, I want to be an apex predator. Is, technically speaking, is a Cheetah really an apex predator? Not really. They see a lion. They run pretty fast. I, I mean, I don't know. But there's. I thought. It, I just thought Jake was a little wink. I just thought the print on the shoe was a little. I don't think it was really meaningful to the movie. But that's just me. All right. Next up, uh, Mad Modigan's Cardigan writes. I like that name. Um, Steve has to come back. So. Time travel? Nah, can't do that. Aha, a wish. In fact, why don't we build the entire movie around making wishes? Yeah. Listen, I'm, I wonder. No pun intended. Wonder Woman. I wonder if that's not the way it went. I wonder, see, theoretically, the way it should work is they have what their story for the movie is. Now that we have the story for the movie, how do we use a certain mechanism to bring, what mechanism do we use to bring back Steve Trevor? And well, well, our story's about this dream stone, it grants wishes, let's use that. It feels like, and I'm not saying this is what they did, but it does feel like they said, well, okay, first priority, we need to bring back Steve Trevor. We have to have, Chris Pine has to be in the movie. How do we bring him back? Make a wish. Okay, cool. Let's build a whole movie around that. It, it, Almost felt like they, I'm sure they didn't, but it does kind of feel like things happened in that order. All right. Jake writes, did Diana have non, everybody wants to know about the sex with the guy. Did Diana have non-consensual uh, sex in this movie? Imagine a male superhero has sex with his dead ex-girlfriend through taking over a woman's body like WTF. Ha ha. Well, I, again, 
again, to me, if I were in a court of law arguing this, while Steve Trevor inhabited that body, that other guy didn't exist. It was at, for that time, while Steve Trevor was back on earth, that body became his. And so in that time, um, here's, here's a way of looking at it. Let's say I own a car and I sell you the car for $500, some car, this argument's sake. I sell you the car for $500 and you own the car for one week. The following week, you come back and say, would you mind buying the car back for me? I realize I don't really need it. And I say, sure. So I give back your $500 and I take back possession of the car. Whatever you did with that car while it was yours, I'm not responsible for, right? If you were speeding hundred miles over the speed limit and got caught, that's not my response. It's, it's not my car. If you, uh, you know, robbed a bank with it and used it to get with it, that, that has nothing to do with me because during that period of time, the car was yours. It's not mine. And to me, that's sort of the same thing with Steve Trevor. While he was on earth and was back to life, that body was his. And so therefore, anything done with it or against it had nothing to do with that other guy. That's the way I see it at any rate. All right. It's crazy how many people are thinking along those lines. Garrett Couch writes, imagine Steve Trevor's avatar coming home to find clothes all over his apartment and used condoms. <laughs> Why? Hey, I don't think there probably was. A, I don't think, I don't even think Steve Trevor would know what a condom was. Right? Would Steve Trevor even know what a condom is? Anyway, uh, find clothes all over his apartment and use condoms. Why not just have Steve appear out of thin air? No, I agree with that. I, I'm i not quite sure I get why, even going by the mechanisms of how the Dreamstone works, why did he have to appear? Why was it necessary for him to appear in somebody else's body? How or why d- does that make sense? There was really no explanation for that. Why did he have to be in somebody else's body? I, I feel like they should have come up with something, some mechanism better than that. Uh, so anyway, that that's just me, Garrett. I, so I agree. That was kind of a question mark for me. Uh, Craig Stratton writes, why can't a pilot from World War I fly a jet plane? Again, we addressed that a little bit earlier. I, I get it. There are certain fundamentals of flying a plane that would be the same in a plane from World War I to today. But how he just instantly knew how to operate all the the, the technology in it, that was a little convenient. Uh, 24 Savage writes, uh, Jay Corden in Cats looked more real than Cheetah. You know what? I'm going I'm to disagree. I thought in the trailer it looked terrible, but for whatever reason, I felt like in the movie itself, it worked a little bit better for me in the movie. I don't think it was great. I don't think it was great. But in the movie itself, I, I got to admit, I thought it worked a little bit better than I initially did. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Samuel Varg writes, um, Wonder Woman 1984 was okay. Sorry about the caps, but holy moly, Soul was the best animated movie in years. Both Gal Gadot and Mr. Pascal did good, though. I thought Gal did okay, which, I mean, isn't bad. I didn't think she did. I thought Pascal did a really good job, though. I thought he did a really great job. You know what? I think I had a, a jump. Did I have a skip? Hold on a second. Uh, 80s, Wakanda Forever... No, I don't think I did have a skip. Okay, uh, are we expected to believe the parents of dying? Yeah, there, there's that one. Uh, did I miss from the guy who see? Yeah, there is that. Uh, gave them. No, okay, I think we're all we're all good. We're all good. Okay, so where do you uh, look more in the cheetah? And uh, yeah, so I I didn't think Soul was that great, but I did really enjoy it. 
I thought it was a good, solid entry into the Pixar lexicon. I don't think it's like one of Pixar's top two or three best movies, but I also thought it was it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, not No, better than good. I thought it was really good. I thought it was a really good movie and, and easily for me, the better of the two movies that came out on Christmas. I'm with you on that, Samuel. All right, next up. The Jedi Brandon writes, uh, Wonder Woman 84 is very backwards thinking to me. Returning to the Donner style from before the superhero film Golden Age is so backwards and not a good idea. I agree. Like, like I, let's go back again. Uh, I'm always looking for excuses to do this, but let's go back again to Hot Tub Time Machine, which I think uh, I don't have the picture for it anymore. But let's go back to Hot Tub Time Machine, shall we? Okay, so in Hot Tub Time Machine, Oh, good. I found a, another version of it. Let me let me bring up Hot Tub Time Machine because I'm always down to talk about Hot Tub Time Machine. In Hot Tub Time Machine, they made a movie that was taking place in the 80s. Uh, and this is a picture from Hot Tub Time Machine too. but let's just say Hot Tub Time Machine. They made a movie that took place in the 80s, but it still was made as a movie that was being made today. A story about characters in the 80s but made with today's stylings. I don't understand why so many parts of Wonder Woman 84 felt the need to also make the movie as if you were making the movie in the 80s. That that didn't work. That didn't work. I'm not saying a trope like that can't work, but again, when you look at Hot Tub Time Machine, they made it beautifully nostalgic. There was a lot of great feeling nostalgia in that movie, but it never felt like a movie that was made in the 80s. It felt like a movie being made with the stylings of today, but setting in that era, and that worked great for Hot Tub Time Machine. It could have worked really good as well, I think. I think it also could have worked really well in Wonder Woman 84, they chose to go in a different direction and you know, the rest is history. So yeah, uh, I'm with you on that Jedi. All right. Next up, Calvin, uh, Severo Pano writes, Hey John, I didn't hate the movie. Neither did I, I didn't hate it. Uh, but I felt it was meh. Uh, but the first one wasn't great either. I, I disagree. I thought the first one was great. Uh, so that makes me a bit worried about rogue squadron. Should I be hope you'll have a great 2021. Well, I mean, it all depends. I mean, if you're really, concerned about rogue squadron i would now go back and watch monster go back and watch that then tell me if you're worried about rogue squadron i am certainly not now i also have the benefit that i actually did think the first wonder woman was really good i'll even say great a top 10 greatest comic book movie of all time no but i thought it was great nonetheless i, th I thought the first especially when you're considering how challenging making a dceu movie at that time was at any rate um, I thought it was great. So uh, personally me, I'm not the slightest bit worried about, uh, uh, about Wonder Woman 84, not in the slightest or about, uh, sorry, uh, about uh, rogue squadron, not worried about rogue squadron in the least. All right. James Argenta writes, um, one of two, when Wonder Woman 84 focused on human elements of gal slash pine slash wig, it worked when it focused on the stone. It did not. That's not a bad observation. Wonder Woman 84 reminded me of the disappointment I had in Iron Man 2. Hopefully Patty, uh, repass same star Wars success. John did in the star Wars and maybe collab with someone like John did to make it great. Well, John didn't, John Favreau didn't need to collab with anybody to make Mandalorian. Great. He was going to make it great regardless, but, Patty Jenkins has already shown that she can make a great Wonder Woman movie. 
She did with the first one. She already proved that she make other stories great. She, she proved that with other films she's made as well. She's a great filmmaker, but this was not her best day. This was, was not her best day. And by the way, I agree. Like you look at the moments that really work in this movie. They are the human moments, right? By the way, one of the better scenes in the movie as well that I found very oddly effective was that one scene in the movie early in the film when she's sitting by herself in that outdoor cafe and the waiter comes along, says, excuse me, are you waiting for anybody? And she says, no. And the, the loneliness of the waiter picking up all the plate and the napkin and the glass and taking it away, they held on that. They kept that one camera shot, that one angle of the waiter just taking all those things away as Diana sat there alone. That was a really effective shot. That was a very effective scene. Uh, the scenes between Diana and, and Steve, those were effective scenes. Uh, the scene of um, of uh, Kristen Wiig walking through the park and coming across the homeless guy and talking to him and giving him a hot meal and stuff like that. The, the moments when Wonder Woman 84 was really working was all the stuff that had nothing to do with it being a comic book movie. And that's not good for a comic book movie. But yeah, the strongest parts of this comic book movie was when it really didn't have much to do with it being a comic book movie. And that's not necessarily a good thing. But yeah, I'm with you on that, James. I am with you on that. All right, next up. Uh, Raymond G writes, film was a mess. Why did Trevor have to take somebody's body, uh, but other stuff just appeared? Cheetah... Cheetah because shoes. No, no. They, by the way, the movie never said that she became cheetah just because of the shoes. They never said that was never implied. That was just a simple little wink of the eye. There was nothing more to that. Um, he can fly jets, wonder woman, a side character. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of that I agree with, like we've gone over that. Why did Steve Trevor have to appear in somebody else's body that I, I don't get that. Listen, the guy wanted the, the oil mogul, wanted his ancestral homeland. A magic wall was able to just magically appear around the country. Why couldn't Steve Trevor just appear manifest? Why couldn't that have happened? I don't know. I mean, it, it, that, that part made no sense to me. So I, I get you on that, Raymond. All right. Uh, next up, uh, where are we at? Double crit writes in. What are your ideas on how Wonder Woman versus Cheetah could have played out better? I wanted her to use the invisibility powers or something else actually cool. I Listen, I got to say, I, I was pretty satisfied with the Wonder Woman Cheetah fight. One of the, the top great comic book movie fights of all time? No, but I thought it played out pretty well. It was a back and forth fight and I thought it was visually well done. It had uh, enough visceralness to it that I felt, you know, kind of engaged in the fight. Um, the invisibility. Yeah. Listen, if you are Diana and suddenly now you have the magic wizard powers to cast an invisibility spell, I'm Harry Potter. I have an invisibility cloak. Yoink. You, you might've thought that Diana might've like, I don't know, touched herself and say, I want to be invisible and she's invisible. That would have gone a long way in a fight. I, I mean, seriously, if she suddenly found out she had the power of invisibility, 
and the power to turn things invisible. Why would you not be using that all the time? Hmm? Works for Sue Storm. Why wouldn't she be using that the all time all the time? It's like, wow, Barbara's pretty good at fighting now. Do you think I should turn invisible? Hell yes. You think that might give you a little bit of a hand up? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but that that is it would have been interesting to see if they went that way. All right. Uh, let's see here. Next up, uh, Augustine Boyas writes, I really wanted to love this movie. I was hyped because of the good reviews, but it didn't work for me. I can't believe I enjoyed Soul over Wonder Woman 84. Well, hold on a second, uh, Augustine. <laughs> it's like, man, Pixar never makes good movies. I can't believe I like Pixar. Honestly, Pixar may not just be the best animation studio. Pixar may be the best movie studio, period. Like, they just constantly crank out world-class stuff. So it, it's there's no shame to putting out a movie the same weekend as a Pixar film and your movie not quite being as good as the Pixar film. There's no shame in that because Pixar makes excellent films. But yeah, listen, you know me. I, I was very excited for this movie. I didn't like the trailers, but I still had all the belief in the world in this movie. I still don't think the movie was terrible, but... I I stand here today before you, my brothers and sisters in film fandom, as a disappointed movie fan. Uh, I was disappointed. Still have all the belief in the world in the franchise. I still have all the belief in the world in Patty Jenkins. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you I think this was a bad day at the office and I wasn't disappointed. It, 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 uh, it was and I was. All right, Michael Joyce writes, Hey, John. Took a friend to see it in, at Christmas. I actually loved it, and I got the movie's message. But Maxwell Lord, I had a major issue with. Well, listen, I, I don't think you're alone. But And I'm glad you loved it. Listen, there are, as much as we're, we seem to be focusing a lot on the negatives in the film, and there are a lot of negatives to talk about, we shouldn't lose fact of, sight of the fact that a lot of people really enjoyed it. And I get it. There, There is fun to be had in this movie. Um, there are good, redeemable elements to be enjoyed in this movie. And for some people, I think those parts are going to stand out a lot more and you're going to walk out with a really great experience. And I think that's fantastic. I wish I could say that I had the same experience. Hell, I wish I had the same experience. I wish I had the same experience. But overall, yeah, for me, it was pretty disappointing. But listen, the important thing here is, Michael, that you enjoyed it. And I'm glad you did. And I and maybe I would have enjoyed it a little bit more if I actually saw it in a proper movie theater setting. There, there are certain scenes like flight, the, the car action battle scene, the fight with Cheetah. There are certainly a number of scenes in this movie that I'm sure certain would have been more enjoyable had they been on a big screen. But, um, but yeah, it is what it is. But I'm glad you liked it, man. And that's what's important. All right, next up. Uh, Michael Bradley writes, uh, hello, John. Hello, Michael. Overall, I liked Wonder Woman 84. I think its biggest sin will be it's not as good as the first one. That being said, I definitely got a Batman Returns vibe to it. Dude, listen, Michael, you're not the first one to tell me that. I've had a lot of people make that comparison. Kind of kind of bringing up, this was kind of like the Batman Returns to the original Batman. I've heard a lot of people say that. And yeah, it is a shame that, listen, I didn't need Wonder Woman 84 to be as good as as the first Wonder Woman movie, because to me, the first Wonder Woman movie is excellent. So you don't have to be as excellent as the first one, right? Just be good. And for me, unfortunately, it didn't meet that criteria. It wasn't, it wasn't good. Not terrible. I don't regret watching it. Um, 
And, and again, I think there's a lot of redeemable stuff that I can see why a lot of people would quite enjoy it. Uh, and I think that's important, Michael, like you saw the same things I did, but you had a good time and that's the key thing. And I'm glad you did my friend. All right. Emmanuel Perez writes, it was an okay movie. The plot that moved the movie was disappointing. Completely agree. Uh, I don't see how it moves the wonder. I don't see it, how it moves the wonder woman world forward. Thank you. You just said it better than the way I said it earlier. Cause I, in earlier in the show, I was saying, I don't quite see the purpose of this film. Like what did this movie do to evolve our understanding of wonder woman? What did this movie do to evolve the mythos or where she is as a character? Cause really to me, this movie ends exactly where it began. Wonder woman is out in the world and she's doing things as secretly as she can. And this is the exact same thing as the beginning of the movie. And it doesn't really move much along, but I like the way you just said it. I don't see how it moves the Wonder Woman world forward. I agree completely. I agree completely. Because listen, when we get to Batman versus Superman, she's still not over Steve Trevor, right? She's still very, very hung up on Steve Trevor. And so, I, I mean, I, I get it. What was, with all the good stuff that I think is in the movie, what was the purpose of the movie? Because even one-shot movies that don't aren't meant to be franchises or anything like that, you have a lot of development. You have things that happen and change in that world from scene one to the final scene. Not just because it's a uh, it's a comic book movie or part of a shared cinematic universe or anything. It is a different thing. And what was the point of it? That what that was a big question I've had for the last twenty four hours. What was the purpose of this movie? But anyway, that's just kind of me. All right. Um, Sebastian uh, Sanhueza writes, one of two. Hey, John, Merry Christmas to you, uh, good sir, and a Merry Christmas season to you as well, Sebastian. I might be in the minority here, but I enjoyed Wonder Woman 84 a lot, even more than the original Wonder Woman. Um, uh, Max Lord turned out to be more complex than I initially expected. I agree with that. He was more complex of a character than I thought he would be. And the learning to fly bit gave me goosebumps. They reminded me of, of that similar bit in Man of Steel. Well, we've talked about the comparison with Man of Steel. Again, they also made the invisible plane work, which is a great achievement in and of itself. Well, the one thing I will say, Sebastian, about the invisible jet was, while let's forget how it turned invisible, them being in the invisible jet was pretty cool. And the idea of bringing it in was great. But again, the flight stuff. When we compare the first flights of Wonder Woman versus the first flight scene in Man of Steel, that's where it really, to me, comes up wanting. That's where, to me, it really comes up wanting and, and hurting, to be quite frank. Uh, because, again, you had that, for those of you who might have missed this earlier, because we've, we've been going for two hours now, but in Man of Steel, Clark goes through this major transformative experience. He finds out his alien heritage. He steps foot inside of a Kryptonian spacecraft. He meets his long-deceased father. He finds out about who and what he is for the first time in his life. He dons the Kryptonian uh, costume that we now know as a Superman costume and bears his family crest. He has gone through a major life transformation in that the answers he had been looking for his entire life, he finally found them. And he now knows more about himself, the truth about himself, than he ever had in his entire life. And through that transformative experience, he realizes he can fly. 
And then we get one of the most beautiful scenes in any comic book movie ever of the first flight of the Man of Steel. Amazing scene. Wonder Woman 84? I don't understand flying, Steve. It's like riding the wind. Wow, I never thought of it that way. I'm going to try flying. After I cast my magical wizard invisibility spell, maybe I can fly. Like, it just, it didn't have the same grounding um, narratively, narratively, the same grounding narratively that the Man of Steel. So when Man of Steel flies, it's coming off of this incredible transformative experience he has. When Wonder Woman flies, it was an afterthought. Hey, I'm in the sky. Hmm. I remember Steve saying something about flying is like riding the wind. I'll try that. Flap, flap, flap. And now she's flying. It just didn't. It, it could have been and should have been as breathtaking and beautiful a moment as when Kal-El first flies. But it, because it, ha- it didn't, it didn't come with that transformative moment that for me, it just didn't work. But hey, man, listen. There are things to like in this movie. And it it was beautiful when she's flying around. It was beautiful when she does the classic Superman pose as she's flying. And that was pretty cool, too. I like that. All right. Pedro Lopez writes, "Uh, John, I know you've been critical of Gal Gadot's acting, but I have but I have no issues. I know she's not the best, but her acting is serviceable. I, I listen. I agree with that. I think we are at a point now where I think she is serviceable. And hey, that's better than some. Uh, Anyway, and I thought she was good in this movie. Regardless, this movie was a sloppy mess. Here's the thing, though. You can really tell, like, the difference. This is why they had to bring Chris Pine back. And I said this before. When they first announced that they were doing another Wonder Woman movie, I said, you go back and watch my old stuff. I've said forever they had to bring back Chris Pine. Because you need him in those scenes with Gal Gadot to do the heavy lifting uh, acting wise of the scenes to really make those scenes work. And there's something about their chemistry together that I think there is a definitive recognizable difference in how well Gal Gadot is able to come across when she's in a scene without Chris Pine versus when she's in a scene with Chris Pine. Pine seems to have, their chemistry is is such a way that I feel like Pine is able to help her elevate. And I think her best acting is done when she's in a scene with Chris Pine. And if for no other reason, I thought that's why, um, I, I thought that's why they really did need to have Pine back because of that. But again, I think she is getting, she's improving. I still don't think she's great. I still don't think she can actually carry a film yet, but I believe as we see every time she comes out, she's getting a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And they're able, the directors that work with her are able to give her slightly more challenging stuff acting wise. Like if you go back and look at Gal's other stuff, the directors are constantly protecting her from having to do much that requires the heavy acting lifting ability. But you see as she progresses, the director she's worked with, including in this movie with Patty Jenkins, they give her a little bit more emotional stuff to do, just a little bit more and a little bit more, a little bit more. And she continues to be able to rise up to it. So I, yes, I have been totally justifiably so very critical. And I still don't think the casting of Gal Gadot in the first place was a wise choice. I think Wonder Woman would be much further ahead now had they gotten a real solid actress when they started this. But that being said, 
she continues to improve and she continues to get better. And I, and you simply can't deny that she's not great yet. She's not at the point where she can personally and solo elevate material like a Chris Pine can, like a Pedro Pascal can. She's not there yet, but there's no denying she continues to get better. And if she does continue that path where she continues to improve and work hard and get better, I, I, Hey, listen, I, I think there's a lot of upside at this point moving forward. I think there could be a lot of upside as, as we move forward, we might be getting to the point now where we might actually start seeing in future movies, Gal Gadot actually starting to elevate some material. We're not there yet, but it may not be that far off because again, she continues to show improvement. That's just my take on it. At any rate, uh, thanks for writing that in Pedro. Okay. Next up, Sebastian writes, uh, oh, sorry, we already did Sebastian's uh, three-part question. Uh, movie Idiot writes, John, I am so shocked Patty Jenkins directed this. I feel like this is her worst work by far. I'm not going to disagree. I'm not going to disagree. Uh, this, I think this was, she is a great director. This was not a great movie. It is her worst effort yet. Yes. But you know what? I still thought the movie was at best eh, okay. And if eh, okay is your worst, then you're doing okay. Again, I I have all the belief in the world in her. I believe Wonder Woman 3 is going to be the best Wonder Woman yet. I think she's going to learn some lessons from this one. This was her first. This was Patty Jenkins' first misstep. This was the first time she's really had a misstep to me. So I think like, and every director has a misstep, even Scorsese and Spielberg. And like other great directors, she will learn from this. And I think Wonder Woman 3 will be the best Wonder Woman movie yet. We'll find out. (laughs) I could be wrong about that, but that's what I believe. All right. Swimmy writes, uh, bad day news, uh, John. Wonder Woman convinced me to give my to give my wish back. Looks like little Timmy is going to have a bad day with Latin leukemia returning. Somebody else brought up the same thing. It's like, really good. Wait a second. Time out. Are you telling me somebody wrote in a little bit earlier in case you missed it? That there's some parent out there who wished for their child's terminal illness to go away and you think they're going to recant that wish? You think they're going to take that wish back? No way. No way does that happen. So yeah, yeah. I just, somebody else, you see, you're totally right about that swimming. Uh, Next up, Scott D writes, a lot of people online talking about Hans Zimmer's blatantly just ripping off parts of John Murphy's, uh, uh, Adagio in D minor from the movie Sunshine thoughts. Listen, here, here's my constant thoughts, especially when it comes to music as a musician myself. You've probably heard the gag, but about 70% of the songs you've ever heard are the same three chord progressions ever. D, C, G. If you can play D, C, and G, you can play 70% of the songs you've ever heard on the radio. There are only so many musical notes. There's only so many musical notes, and they can only be played in so many sequences and orders. And so when you get movie, you're going to hear things that sound similar to some other things, but it's not necessarily them ripping things off in the least. Listen, if I go back and watch this movie again, which I probably never will, 
But if I do go back and watch this movie again, and I purposefully and specifically try to listen for those similarities, maybe I'll come away from it thinking, wow, there's no getting here. That was so similar that it had to have been lifted from this. But I, I doubt that. I doubt that. I, I certainly didn't notice myself, but uh, we'll see. We'll have to wait and see, Scott. Thanks for bringing that up, though, man. Uh, Michael Bocar just sent in a super chat to be supportive. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate that, man. Uh, Sears Maxwell writes, Hello, John. Longtime listener. Well, thank you, man. Appreciate that. Uh, thanks for all you do and been following your journey with great interest. Thank you, uh, Senator Palpatine. Appreciate that. Congrats on the new home and love from Melbourne. Uh, you are a huge reason why I enjoy the art of film on a deep level. Well, thanks so much for that, man. I appreciate that. And yeah, for those of you who don't know, Ann and I just bought our first house. We're very excited. We love the house. We're getting some renovations done on it right now to really make it our home. So we move in at the end of January, but we have bought it already. It's We've got our work crews over there working right now, and I'm so stoked. I'm so stoked. to. We've been wanting to buy a house forever, but buying a house in Southern California in the Los Angeles area is not easy uh, or cheap. And so we finally decided with Ann now working from home and me working from home, we decided we could move a little bit outside of LA. So we moved out to Riverside, which is a little under an hour outside of Los Angeles. And it's where Ann grew up. That's where her family is. So we went about an hour outside of LA and we were able to get the house that we wanted for much less money. Then, because we were trying for like a, over a, almost a year and a half to buy a house in LA, it just wasn't happening. Like literally a 900 square foot house. Have you heard me whine about this yet? A 900 square foot house in like North Hollywood, which is part of LA Greater, in North Hollywood, uh, two bedroom, one bathroom, 900 square feet, was running in excess of $800,000 American. $800,000. For a two-bedroom, one-bathroom, little shack of a place, 900 square feet, I've lived in apartments bigger than that. And we tried for a year and a half to find something. And we ended up getting out to Riverside and ended up getting a place that has is infinitely larger, like more than twice the size, uh, beautiful views, uh, a pool, all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, even after renovations, we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars less. Why am I talking about this during Wonder Woman? I don't know. This is because I'm so excited. Screw y'all. I'm excited about finally getting a house. I'm going to talk about it for a second. Damn it. Um, and we ended up just by finally being willing to move a little bit outside of LA, because now again, like I said, Anne lives at home or lives at home and works from home. Now we have that flexibility and uh, it, it was, uh, it was, it's great. And I cannot wait to give you guys a full tour, um, uh, a full tour and uh, show you guys the place. I'm very excited about it. Can't wait to set up a new studio in there. And, uh, yeah, I'm very excited. Anyway, sorry, enough of that sidetrack. Let's get back to it. Shall we? Uh, anyway, thanks again for saying that in Sears Maxwell. I really appreciate that, man. All right. Next up, Suthius, uh, sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you. Suthius who writes, Hey, uh, hey, mister, thought both movies have physical antagonists, the doctor slash Ares and Cheetah slash uh, Max. I love how the true villain of both movies is mankind itself, whether directly or indirectly influenced by the powers of the gods. Seven out of ten. You know what? That's actually a really interesting observation, Suthius. I had not thought about it on that level. That is a good observation. 
when you really get down to it, the the real thing being fought against is the darker nature of humanity. We have our better nature and our darker side of our nature. And that was definitely true in the first Wonder Woman movie. And really at the end of the day, it's, it is what is true in the second one, the, the constant human drive and desire to have more, right? That's what Maxwell Lord's always gone on about more, more. And really that was, that's truly is what at the end of the film, even though I do not like the way the film in, ended at all, but the end of the film it's the recognition Diana has that what we truly have is about all of us as humanity struggling against our inherent flaw and weaknesses, whether it's, you know, our constant, you know, uh, uh, habit of going to war in the first one, or whether it's that, that, that in instilled greediness that we all have, there's, there's a sense of greed in all of us and that always wanting more than that. That is a really good observation. Suthi is that sure? Again, I still don't think that makes the ending of the movie better. It, it, I still thought it was a very, very poor way to end the film, but that said that does make it more interesting to me. You know, I said, I'll never watch the movie again, but I might go back and watch like the final 30 minutes again and look at it through that lens. Cause I think that's a really sharp observation. All right. Anyway, next up, uh, Jeremiah Walker, uh, just sends in a super, uh, wow. Like a $50 super chat just to be supportive. Jeremiah, thank you so much, man, for that and supporting the channel on that level, dude, seriously, deeply. Thank you for that, dude. I, I wish you sent in something for us to talk about as well, but thank you, dude. Very, very much. Um, okay. Uh, next up again, still blown away by that. You didn't even attach a question to it. Thank you, dude. Uh, Suthius writes, I love the way she moves in the first movie, fast, strong, and powerful. The way she moves in this movie was just a little cheesy and campy for me. I, there was something, there was always something visually just not quite right. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but to me throughout the film, there was always just something not quite right with the way she was moving or whether it was the way she was acting or whatever, just whether it was when the CG was just not quite good or the compositing and the green screen and things like that just wasn't quite right. And, and they even used uh, a few other techniques as well. There was just always something physically off. And I, I, I still can't really put my finger on it, Suthius, but I agree with you. I, I do agree with you. Okay, next up. Uh, that Norwegian guy writes, Pedro Pascal waking up before shooting this movie. Well, Nicholas Cage mode on. I don't know that I'd say that. I don't know that I'd say that. Again, I, I think, remember, actors do not make up the lines they say. There's, there's some rare examples when, you know, there's some ad-libbing going on and yeah, sure. But for the vast, vast majority of the time, the actors take the characters that are handed to them and all they can do is act that out the best that they can. And my gut feeling coming out of this movie was that Pedro Pascal did as well with this character, not a great character, but my feeling was Pascal was able to take this character as it was written in all of its flaws and made the best out of it that any actor could have done. So again, to me, I didn't think the Max Lord character was all that good of a character, but I thought Pedro Pascal delivered a performance that was 
pretty much as big as the potential of that character would you would allow you to do. So I don't I don't think he did the the whole Nick Cage, well, let's just act in this movie to get a paycheck sort of thing. I, I don't think he did that. I think he actually did quite a good job notwithstanding and understanding the, the material that he was given to work out to bring this character to life. I don't know that many other actors could have done much better of a job, to be honest with you. That, that's just kind of me. All right, thanks for that Norwegian guy. All right, David Tapia writes, if Cleopatra is also a mixed bag, uh, any concerns for Patty's rogue squadron? Well, I mean, that's that's a huge, that's a huge question mark. I I don't know. It, because... Look, I believe Gal Gadot is getting better. I think she is improving. I still don't feel that Gal Gadot as an actress, as an actress, can carry a movie. Uh, she's, sorry, she's not Kate Blanchett. She's not Charlize Theron. She's not, um, you know, she's just not on that level. She's not an Octavia Spencer. She's not the type of actress who has that much talent that you can put the camera on them and they can carry the movie. She's not that. And because of that, I mean, she's getting better and maybe at some point she will be at that level. I mean, I don't know. Maybe she will. Maybe she won't. The, the guy I often use an example is uh, Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum was terrible, like just terrible for a long, long time. But he kept getting better. And now to me, he is a legit leading man now. I, I now look forward to seeing Channing Tatum stuff. And that very well could be Gal. She could be that the next one to do that. But right now, she's not. Sorry, she, she's not. And you take a movie like Cleopatra? I, I don't know. I have some worries about that. But listen, if we watch, look what Patty was able to do with, with Gal in the first Wonder Woman movie. That was pretty good. We'll see. But look, I'll say this. As of right now, I have zero worries about Rogue Squadron. Zero worries. Yeah, this one was a bad day at the Officer Patty Jenkins, but that doesn't, you just got to look back at all of her work. And you know, she's a great filmmaker. If, hypothetically speaking, Cleopatra was to come out and theoretically speaking, Cleopatra sucks. If that were to happen, then yeah, two in a row. Okay. Yeah. Then I, maybe I'll start getting a little bit concerned about rogue squadron, but again, that's a big, if now we're talking in hypotheticals and theoreticals, as of right now, I have zero concern. When you look at monster, you look at the first Wonder woman. I have zero concern about rogue squadron right now. As a matter of fact, I think having a stumble right now might really work in her benefit. Cause I, I, like I said, Patty Jenkins has never had a stumble. Patty Jenkins has never had a bad day at the office. And now she has. And I think that is just going to make her a better director, even better than she already is. Now, maybe we come to Cleopatra and maybe it sucks. And if then that, then there are new discussions to have, but for now I have no, no worries, David. All right. Suthius writes, Cheetah look cool. When she stood still, you know, I, I still think it looked better than I thought it would. I still think it looked, did it look great? No, but I still think it looked better than I thought it would originally. All right. Ryan Loner writes, 
Escalators have been around since the 19th century, so it's a bit weird Steve was so freaked out by it. I'm not quite sure of the history of escalators or when he might have seen his first one. Uh, so I don't know. I thought that was a fun scene. Honestly, Chris Pine, Chris Pine does a great job in this movie. Chris Pine comes across wonderful. His performance was fantastic. He made me feel the awe and wonder that that a guy like that, that fish out of water, that crocodile Dundee sort of thing uh, would feel. And it was a reversal, right? Because in the first Wonder Woman, Steve is Diana's guide in this new world that Diana had never seen. Now the roles were reversed. Diana is Steve's guide in a world that she understands, but he doesn't understand. And and that was one of the things in the movie that kind of worked for me. Again, very much in thanks to uh, the performance by Chris Pine. All right, Suthius writes, Pine has great comedic timing, especially with Diana. Absolutely. Listen, you go all the way back. um, There there are a number of movies that Chris Pine has done where his comedic timing really stands out. He is a great... I said this earlier in today's broadcast. Chris Pine continues to impress me. And my my personal opinion of Chris Pine just continues to go up and up and up. I I'm starting to feel like he's one of the, he's like a Hugh Jackman. I think he can do anything. He may not be able to be a song and dance guy like Hugh Jackman, but he can do drama comedy. You name it. He can do it. I, I, I just like him more and more. Uh, James Lee writes, it was really weird to look at Pedro Pascal's face for a long time. It was, listen, we go back to this. It was, it was, it, it took me a little while. Cause I'm just not used to seeing him look like this. Right. I'm not used to seeing him look like this in the least, like at all. And it was hard to get used to. I did get used to it. I did eventually kind of wrap my mind around. This is how he looks here. Um, then, then yes, but still, still, it, it was, it's a little jarring seeing Pedro Pascal like that, right? It's a, it's a little bit jarring seeing him like that. Okay. Uh, next up, we've got Swimmy who writes, It was weird to have Trevor come back by possessing somebody else. Completely agree. Very odd choice. Made it awkward when she was uh, talking to the possessed guy at the end and flirting, knowing she's banged him. Is that rape? No, again, uh, again, we, I gave the example already. It's not as long, as long as Steve Trevor was in possession of that body, it was his body, right? Much like if you had bought a car for me for a week, whatever you did with that car during that week, it was your car has nothing to do with me. I'm not responsible for what you did during that time. I'm not, that was your car. And so to me, that's the same thing. As long as Steve Trevor was in possession of that body, the other guy just kind of ceased to exist. That body during that period of time was Steve Trevor's body. So that's fine. But it, it was, it was really weird. Um, I'll tell you, okay, little R rated here, forgive me, but we're watching the movie and that scene happens right at the end of the film when she's out and it's at Christmas time and the, the, all the snows on the ground, she comes across the guy that Steve was inhabiting his body and they start having this little flirty conversation and Anne goes, she should just totally say, Hey, yeah, your penis has been in my mouth. I mean, I just, which, which would have been, that would have changed Wonder Woman completely. Imagine if Diana had said that to the guy right there at that moment. Right there at that moment. Uh, yeah, totally, totally would have changed. <laughs> totally would have changed that whole scene if Diana had said that in that moment. Uh, but yeah, again, it, and if, if Diana had not recanted her wish 
forever that body would have now been Steve Trevor. That's that body was Steve Trevor's. It was his body. So whatever was being done in that body was Steve's choice because it was his body. That other guy did not exist at that point. So no, you got you guys got to let that go because that's uh that's just not the same thing. But again, it does raise the question of why was that how Steve Trevor came back? Like again, when the guy wanted his land back, a big giant wall just magically appeared. Well, if Steve Trevor was brought back, why didn't him in his body just appear? Why did it kick some other guy out of his, why did it snuff out the other guy? So Steve, Steve could take over his body. That to me made no sense. That to me made no sense at all. And I was kind of expecting throughout the movie that some sort of explanation would be given about that, but it never came. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was just a way they, you know, Steve needs to have his own apartment already. Well, let's say he takes over some other guy's body. All right. I guess. Uh, yeah, somebody, one, uh, one mega Chan in the live chat is saying they should have brought back zombie Steve. Wouldn't that have been hilarious? They had like a walking dead, Steve Trevor, Diana. And he's like, Oh, but yeah, that, that, Hey, maybe that would have made it even better. I don't know. All right. Uh, next up, uh, and this will be the, I'm going to, we're going to do this one question guys. And then we're going to take like a three to four minute break because we've been going for, uh, two and a half hours now. And, uh, I have had, uh, two glasses of liquid and I need to take a piss. Uh, but anyway, let's get through this one first. And then we're going to take a short couple of minute break here. All right. Raphael Castillo writes, the film gave me a bit of a Superman, the movie vibe. It had some issues, but I loved it. And again, listen, I'm sitting here talking about a lot of the negatives and the things that I didn't like, but the reality is, like I said earlier in, in the stream was that there are good things in this movie. There are a number of really good performances. I thought the actual human interaction was really good. Uh, there was some good visual elements that were done to it. I did not enjoy the film, but there's enough good stuff there that I could totally see why a lot of people would. And I'm glad that you enjoyed it, Raphael. And I'm glad you had that experience with it. And, and just like I see a lot of negative things, so I totally get why some people hate it. I don't personally hate the movie, but I can see why there are people who kind of really hated it. And I get that, and that's perfectly fine. But uh, the important thing here is, Raphael, is that you enjoyed it. You enjoyed it. All right. Uh, the next question we're going to go to is Levi R, but we're going to do that in just a couple of minutes. Like I said, for now, guys, I need to run, use the bathroom. I need to reload up uh, my drink so my throat doesn't uh, die on me here. So if you guys will give me just a couple of minutes, hang tight, don't go anywhere, and we will be right back. See you in just a couple of minutes, guys. Okay, guys, and we are back. Thank you so much for giving me a moment to uh, run downstairs there and take care of business. All right, let's jump in and keep this thing rolling, shall we? Uh, next one we got here is from Levi R, who writes, Hey, John, I found the movie to be very boring. I feel like the setting of the night of 1984 was pointless. I just feel like it was set in the 80s for Steve to be a fish out of water. Listen, I said this earlier in the show today. Steve let, let's let's back it up a little bit. Being set in 1984 is a very cool idea. There's a lot you can do there, like they did in Hot Tub Time Machine. But I felt like once you started watching the movie, 
there was literally no point to it really being set in the 80s. They didn't really play into that very much. Other than, oh, we needed a time when, when tensions were still high between America and Russia. and Okay, yeah, but these were all sort of auxiliary kind of issues that weren't really important and didn't really need to be a part of it. As far as Steve out of water goes, you could have had Steve out of water in any time period. You could have said it in the 90s and it would have been Steve out of water or a fish out of water. That's what Steve would have been. You could have said it in the 1970s and it would have been Steve as a fish out of water. You could have said it in 2010 and it would have been Steve as a fish out of water. I mean, so you didn't need it to be 84. And if you're going to make it 84 and it's so important that you're actually going to call the movie Wonder Woman 84, then make 84 an important thing and a part of it. Anyway, so that, that was kind of one of my uh, criticisms about it as well, Levi. So yeah, I totally see where you're getting from. And yeah, it wasn't, there are some good moments, but overall it wasn't the most exciting DC movie so far, but eh, it is what it is. All right, Levi also writes, hey, John, would you prefer Patty Jenkins still direct a third movie or would you prefer to have a new director step in to see their vision? You know what? I, I'm going to go with this. I am totally comfortable with Patty Jenkins coming back. She's a great director. I'm sure she's going to make a great Wonder Woman movie. But I also feel like directors shouldn't stay on one property for too long. But what Patty Jenkins is doing now, because I believe she's going to do Cleopatra before she does Wonder Woman 3, although they just said they're going to fast track Wonder Woman 3. So I'm not sure about that. See, what I think a lot of these directors should do is do what Christopher Nolan would do. Christopher Nolan would make a different kind of movie than make a Batman movie, then make another movie, then make a Batman movie, then make another movie, then make a Batman movie, right? So he kept on mixing it up. And I think that's the way to go. That's the way to go. It keeps you fresh. It keeps you sharp. So I wouldn't mind if, if Patty Jenkins would do another film before doing another Wonder Woman movie, maybe just to, to give her a different perspective to keep things sharp. But it sounds like actually that we're going to get this other Wonder Woman movie before she does the Cleopatra movie. I don't know that for sure. I don't know that uh, for absolute sure. All I know is this. Patty Jenkins is one of the best directors working today. This was her poorest effort yet. But everybody's got, every director has their worst movie that they've done. This happens to be Patty Jenkins. She did a great job on the first one. She's a tremendous director. But uh, yeah, I, I would honestly be okay with another director coming in just because it keeps it fresh. It keeps it different. And I kind of like that. So I'm good either way, to be honest with you. I'm, 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 I'm good either way, whatever way they decide to do it here. Okay. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> so, uh, two, two time Titus just wrote in the live chat, Wonder Woman 83, uh, Wonder Woman three to be set in 150 BC. That'd be interesting. Okay. Uh, let's move on here. A fan of peanuts writes one of six. Okay. We got a long one here. Hello, John. I hope you and Anne had a wonderful Christmas. We did. Thank you. Uh, well, I must confess, I was exceptionally disappointed. This is not a bad film. Uh, it was just disappointing. I love the first 10 minutes. I love the first 10 minutes. I thought the first 10 minutes on Themyscira was great. Excellent. I thought Pedro Pascal's acting was good. Uh, there were moments I appreciated with Diana uh, and 
and Steve, but only moments. It had choppy editing and I felt like it was quite convoluted. I liked the message in the film, but overall the execution was uh, my issue. Just a side mission film away from bigger things. 5.5 out of 10. I hope you will consider a soul spoiler discussion. Uh, This movie came out the same day. Um, this film screams profound discussion and banter among us fans about purpose, life, death, and the value of humanity. This is an opportunity, uh, to have, uh, such, to have such impactful and meaningful discussions with such a community you possess, uh, in this trying year, uh, and all share the struggle that we're in. Yeah. I I mean, again, my overall sense of disappointment with, uh, I, I agree with the overall sense of disappointment in Wonder Woman 84. I am disappointed in it. I didn't hate it. It has redeeming things, but yeah, disappointed. As far as soul goes, I don't know whether to do a soul spoiler review or not. Because honestly, I just don't know if enough people watched it. Like I know all of us were going to watch Wonder Woman 84. It's a comic book movie. So we were all going to watch that. I'm honestly not so sure like nearly as many people watch soul. Like I also, I remember I put out a, um, I put out a, and soul was the better movie, but I put out a poll. Uh, I think Christmas Eve before soul and Wonder Woman 84 came out. I remember asking everybody like, which movie are you guys going to watch first? And I think it was like two to one or something along those lines. Let me see if I can bring this up here. Um, uh, let me see if I can bring up my own Twitter. I don't know if th- this poll is still up there or not, but I asked everybody, which one are you going to watch first? And yeah, there it is. Let me, let me bring this up here. So, and asked which movie are you going to watch first on Christmas day. And it's like by more than a, yeah, by, by almost a two to one margin, people said wonder woman 84 over soul. Now that doesn't mean people weren't going to watch soul, but I just don't know if enough people, uh, have watched it that we could do a spoiler review for it. I'll think about it. I don't know. Maybe we'll do a soul spoiler review tomorrow night. Maybe we'll do a soul spoiler review tomorrow, but yeah, it is a deeper. Um, it is a deeper movie. It has definitely d- great profound things. But anyway, right now we're here to talk about wonder woman 84, but I did enjoy soul very, very much. I don't think it's one of the best Pixar movies, but I thought it was very good. Uh, I enjoyed it a great deal. All right, let's move on here. Thanks for that fan of peanuts. Next up NPE 94 writes, I love the plane scene. It was wonderfully character driven and reflected on the joy felt being together. Overall, I enjoyed the movie's earnestness. Listen, you just, that is something very good about the scene because what I, we have focused mostly here on the negative thing about the plane scene, which is the way they turned it invisible and all that kind of stuff. But beyond that, it was really a good scene them talking to each other, enjoying being with each other, but also that whole part where the plane is flying over the clouds, where the fireworks are going on under the clouds. That was beautiful. Come on. Even if you hated the movie, you got to admit that was pretty beautiful. That, that was pretty well done. And yeah, I, I like that part. Again, I didn't like that. Suddenly Diana was Gandalf, you know, Gandalf, the Amazonian and oh, I shall turn the plane invisible. Have you ever done something like that? No, but in 50 years, I once turned a coffee cup invisible. I mean, they should have figured out a way to do that better, but notwithstanding how they got to it, the invisible jet thing was pretty damn good. Both the character moments inside the plane and the wonder of the fireworks and everything outside the plane. It was, it was a pretty good scene. It was a pretty good scene. All right, next up. 
Um, Ted Wu writes, are the planes and other vehicles operation at the Smithsonian? See, this is one of the things I'm like, really? So it's just sitting there on the runway, fully gassed up, fully airworthy, fully ready to go. And all they got to do is jump in the cockpit and hit the power button. That's really, that's all they had to do. It reminds me a lot of the rise of Skywalker when they go into the desert and they find that ship that's been there for decades parked on top of a big rock. So you can't miss it. And it's been there for decades and it's totally operational, fully gassed up. They never locked the doors, just hit the button and opened up and it's ready to go. That's what it kind of reminded me a bit, me a bit of that, Ted. All right. Next up, uh, we've got uh, Chaz McGill writes. Steve could fly planes in 1917. What makes him able to fly planes in 1984? Uh, did the guy who got the coffee have to renounce his wish? Uh, what about, that's a good one too. Did he have to, I renounce my wish that I had a coffee. Great question. What about people who wish for a new job or to save a family member? Yeah, that's stuff we've talked about a little bit earlier. We've talked about the Steve magically being able to fly a much technologically advanced airplane today than before. So we won't cover that ground again. Uh, there are principles to flight that would be the same, but like he suddenly just knew how to operate the damn thing anyway. But that one about the coffee cup guy is great because in order, according to the movie, in order for the effects to be undone, everybody has to renounce their wish. Again, we've covered the whole thing. Really a parent who wished for their terminally ill child to not be sick anymore. They're going to take that back. But then again, what happens what about the people who already got their wish fulfilled and it's done like the guy who wished for the coffee cup? Does that guy even know he got his coffee as a result of the wish? Or does the way the undoing work that only like 60% of the people have to undo their wish? It's something that they should have addressed in the movie from a narrative point of view. But they didn't, Chaz. And I, I I admit, I agree with you, man. That is one of the things that just kept coming up that kept bothering me. It's like little stuff like that that just was inconsistent with the rest of the movie. It's just, eh, it bothered me. All right, next up. Um, uh, FG4 writes, Man of Steel derivative, Wonder Woman 84, sentimental, flight associated with loss, uh, unobtainable, avoided, uh, giving it up, giving it up love allowed her to heal and try to fly. Yeah. I, again, I don't, I don't know if that's an apt comparison myself because first of all, what had changed fundamentally from before Steve came back? Why had she gone hundreds of years of, of her lifetime without being able to fly? And now magically she can with man of steel. Again, we've gone through this. I won't repeat the whole speech, but man of steel had a major transformative moment for him. That was directly related to who he was as a Kryptonian. Having a heartbreak. What does that have to do with her magical ability to fly? I, I don't know. It just, it just, it's like the invisible jet thing. I love that they have the invisible jet. I just wish they came up with a better way of getting to it than going, I am now the magic Gandalf the Amazonian and I can turn things invisible. Boo! Like, I just wish they got to it better. I liked that she could fly and I liked the scene that they were doing it, but I just wish they got to it 
in a more important and practical narrative way. And because of that, they didn't do that. It just didn't sit right with me. Uh, let's see. Uh, Danny Sanchez writes, Pedro's face acting was cringe and silly. I disagree. I, I disagree. I, I, I don't have any objections that you feel that way. But like to me, I, I thought Pascal did a very good job with a, a mediocre to not very good character that he was given to do. And I honestly thought the way he, he, his facial acting in it as well, I, I thought was actually quite consistent with what we knew about the character and who the character was. So yeah, I was, I was actually personally good with that. I, that, that's just me though. I was personally good with that. All right. Uh, next up, Caleb crane writes, uh, what if just one guy wished for the world to end? I mean, look, somebody else brought up a comparable thing. What if just one person wished for world peace? Wouldn't, wouldn't that have fixed anything? What if one guy wished, I wish, oh, what if some like, like, uh, I don't know, some guy who hates Italians, just, I wish all Italians died. Okay. So they're all dead. All right. They're, they're gone. Did people who die come back to life? If the people who died came back to life, did they have to inhabit somebody else's body like Steve Trevor did? Questions, questions. So many questions. Chris London writes, what are your thoughts on reusing the Batman versus Superman music? A beautiful eye during the climax with Maxwell Lord. It took me out of the moment. Didn't take me out at all. Again, this is all music that is within that universe and within that world, right? It's all in the same cinematic universe. So to use notes and to use moments of music, if it applies well, I think can be effective. Let's look at Infinity War and Endgame for a second. When they get to um, the Red Skull's world, right? And they have that moment where uh, Gamora is being thrown off the cliff. They play that very powerful music. Then we come into the next movie and someone is falling off the cliff and they play the exact same music. Does that, did that take you out? I don't know if it was the right choice to use, but it didn't take me out of it there was still an inherent consistency. Like I'll say this, if they took music from outside of the cinematic universe, let, let's say for example, they get to that climax with Maxwell Lord and they start playing the Imperial March from, from Empire Strikes Back. Okay. That would have taken me out because that's a different, that's a different franchise. It's a different universe. It's a different thing altogether. Using music from within the same universe uh, it it honestly didn't jar me at all. It it didn't didn't do anything to me. Uh, but but I'm only speaking for myself. Some other people are saying it it kind of distracted them as well. For me personally, all I can say is that it didn't really distract me at all. But a good observation, Chris. All right, MPE ninety four writes. Just my opinion, but the movie was about wish fulfillment, not making you happy, and that honestly, uh, and that honestly had that pushing through suffering makes you hum human. Let me try this again. In my opinion. Just my opinion, but the movie was about wish fulfillment, not making you happy. Oh, uh, punctuation. Wish fulfillment doesn't make you happy. And that honesty and that pushing through suffering makes you human. I think that is kind of set up from that beginning scene in Themyscira when Robin Wright, Princess Buttercup, says, Diana, this is the truth and the truth is all that matters. And you know what? I don't want to get into soul spoiler discussion, but ultimately 
the the ultimate meaning in soul was kind of the same thing. Everybody thinks in all the movies and TV shows say, if you reach for your dreams and can achieve your dreams, that is your purpose in life. But soul actually says something completely contradictory to that. It's about the character finding out that no reaching for your dreams is not about fulfilling the purpose of your life. Life is what happens in between. And that's where you find joy, which is totally counteractive to everything else movies and TV shows tell us all the time. And maybe that was part of what they were going for here, NP, is that that happiness doesn't come from getting your wishes granted. That's not where real joy comes from. And so maybe there's a similarity between Soul and Wonder Woman on that level. That's a good observation. All right, Sears Maxwell writes, it was great watching in the cinemas here in Melbourne. I, I wish I could have seen it in the movie theater, man. I really do. But man, this film failed to hit home its message and life lessons compared to other Christmas movie I watched, Soul. We were just talking about that. Because, you know, if you guys saw me do my review of Soul, I didn't do a spoiler review of it, but I just did my review. I said, it's the thing that really makes that movie is the message of the movie that you only discover about halfway through. Because you're going through the first half of the movie thinking that the message of the movie was one thing. And then about halfway through the movie, you start to realize, oh no, the message of the movie is exactly the opposite of what we thought it was. And that's what made it so profound and deep. And that's the thing that really made me appreciate the film. The message of Wonder Woman is completely lost in all the noise. You know, NPE just brought up a great thing that the message of the movie isn't about, is that wish fulfillment isn't the road to happiness. It's living in the truth. And that message is really lost through the noise. Whereas Soul did it incredibly effectively. So that's a good observation, Sears. Well said. All right, a fan of Peanuts writes. Oh, we already got that one. All right, next up, Initial D's writes. Let's turn the jet invisible to avoid radar because that's how radars work. <laughs> that's, that's a good point because that's how radars work. Then fly through mini rockets exploding instead of stopping the bad guy. Um, yeah, okay, I'm not, listen, they, they were, they were still heading where they were going. Okay. They just have to take a minor little detour to be, remember Steve Rogers had never seen Steve Trevor. I should say Steve Trevor had never seen this before. So it was wonder. And so I don't mind that part, but yes, I thought the exact same thing. Um, turning invisible doesn't make you not susceptible to radar. Um, now, though, in Wonder Woman 84's defense, it's the same principle with Themyscira. Themyscira doesn't show up on anybody's radar. It is actually hidden. It isn't just plain invisibility. It actually hides the object from all perception. So the reason people can't find Themyscira isn't just because it's like visually invisible, like it can't be detected. And so in Wonder Woman's 84's defense, with all the other complaining we were doing about it, that if you are being consistent with how they hide Themyscira, then that would also apply to radar with their plane. So I'll give it a pass on that one initial. I'll give it a pass on that one. All right, next up, uh, Nick C writes, um... Where are we? Nick C writes, Hey John, my biggest issue with the movie was one, how the trailer showed every action sequence, uh, even the armor reveal, which was underwhelming. That's true. Um, 
and two, uh, the bad pacing con continuity problems. Three, the fish out of water, Steve Trevor. I like that. Actually, I like the fish out of water, Steve Trevor, him being shocked by everything. The whole movie was too much for me, but I, again, I, I will defend. First of all, I agree with most of what you said, but let me defend the Steve Trevor fish out of water thing. If you help forget 1917, if you fell asleep, if you went into a coma in the eighties and woke up today, you would be in constant awe and wonder. Constant awe and wonder. Let alone what the world looked like in 1917 compared to working up in the eighties. I, I would, I would contend that the, the fish out of water stuff with Steve to me actually worked really, really well. Worked really, really well. The pacing continuity problems. Absolutely. Uh, trailer showed all the action stuff. I don't hold the movie responsible for what the trailers do. Uh, so that's fine. But you're right. Every action sequence in the movie is shown in the trailers. You're right. That that's, that's a very valid observation. Every single action sequence in this movie is foreshadowed and shown, uh, in the, uh, in the trailers. It is. And that does kind of take away, but I, I will defend the fish out of water stuff. I actually thought that stuff worked, but that's just me. All right. Jim Kalura writes, they marketed this as an eighties movie, but no eighties soundtrack. What gives that's listen, we've talked a lot today about the fact that they, they call the movie wonder woman 84. And yet there was really no playing to nostalgia. There was really, I mean, yeah, there was the opening mall scene, there was some stuff in that, but then they just went away. The, like, seriously, most of this movie, not all, not all, most of this movie, you could have just said what was happening today, 40 years later. Like, you could have said that, and you really, for the most part, you wouldn't have missed a beat. There are some exceptions to that, but yes, I think not utilizing some soundtrack uh, probably was, was a bit of a missed opportunity there, Jim. All right, William Powell writes, uh, sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you, Will, for supporting our channel on that level. Uh, Snyder created this character to exist in a particular environment. Absent that environment that was still present in the original film, the character slash story suffer. Uh, Patty is great. It's like a transplanted organ being rejected. I don't know that I agree with that. I don't think I agree with that. First of all, let's be clear. Zack Snyder did not create this character. Let's just be real clear about that, okay? Just in case there's any misconceptions there, Zack Snyder did not create this character. Um, so, so there's that. And But he did bring it into the DCU on a very, very shallow level. And I think Snyder purposefully brought her in a very shallow level to leave it up to the people who were going to be making Wonder Woman movies to be allowed to flesh it out. What Patty Jenkins did in the first Wonder Woman movie was exceptional, just absolutely exceptional and went far well and beyond what Zack Snyder did with the character. And that was on purpose, went far well and beyond what Zack Snyder did in that. The problem was, I feel like Patty Jenkins, I, I quoted that other film critic earlier today about how it feels like she brought the wrong lessons from the first Wonder Woman movie into this one. And I didn't know what the critic meant by that when I first read it because I hadn't seen the movie. But after I saw the movie, I'm like, I know exactly what they meant by that now. Now I totally get what they're saying when they go with that. Uh, it just didn't feel right. Uh, much like, oh gosh, it's much like my four months without a haircut hair just doesn't feel right to me. Um, anyway, uh, so, 
so yeah, I, I, I don't think I agree with your assessment of the situation, William. I see where you're coming from on that, but I don't generally agree with your thing. This Wonder Woman movie could have worked great in the environment of the 80s. The story idea is a solid one. If you wrote out on one piece of paper the overall synopsis of what this was to be, that is a solid beginning for the idea for a movie. There's this thing called the Dreamstone. In the wrong hands, it can do this. You have this character who's a flawed character, not a bad guy, but just flawed and exemplifying the human desire for always having more. And that causes problems. Wonder Woman is now in the mid-1980s. She miss, She still lives in a world where she misses Steve Trevor desperately. When she gets her wish granted, Steve comes back as this fish out of water. And ultimately, she's going to have to face a decision to give up her heart's desire to try to do what is best for the world. Something, by the way, that now everybody else on the planet has to do as well. Everybody needed to make the sacrifice that Diana just made. Everybody on the planet has to renounce their wish, the thing they wanted most, in order for the betterment of everybody. And if you write that on one piece of paper, that is a great setting for this story and potentially a great setup for a movie. This could have been, just in its conception, a really wonderful movie. It just didn't execute. It didn't execute. So anyway, that's that's kind of my take it on, on it at any rates, William. But thanks for throwing in your observation there. I'm sure there are a lot of people who agree with you on that. I, again, I see it a little bit differently, but but I see where you're coming from on that. It's a good observation. All right, uh, let's see. Next up is Valeria262 writes, how do you feel about Diana and Steve not caring much about raping a man's body and essentially killing him during his possession? Again, uh, everybody's same thing. That That to me is a misnomer. Again, just throw that away. The moment Steve took over the body, that was his body, period. It was now his body. That other guy was gone. And by the way, it's not like Diana wished, take away that guy's life so Steve can be in that guy's body, which again makes it very, it it makes it very, very questionable to me. Like, why did they make that decision? There's nothing in the movie to explain why it made any sense that for Steve to come back, it had to, he had to inhabit somebody else's body and somebody else had to lose their life. They never went anywhere with that. But again, as long as Steve was in the body, that was his. And unless Diana like revoked her own wish, that was going to forever be Steve's body, period. But you're right. It does seem weird that at no point in the movie... Did Diana and Steve stop and talk about the ethical dilemma of, you know, we've taken this guy's life away from him. Like as they're going through his apartment, look, he had friends, he had family, he's got a mom somewhere. And they never once struggled with the question that while I, as long as I'm here, Steve, as long as I'm here, that guy doesn't get to have his life. That guy's life is gone. Now, if Steve wanted to have sex with Diana, if Steve wanted to do drugs, if Steve wanted to exercise, if Steve wanted to eat ice cream, if Steve wanted to turn vegan, vegan, all that's justifiable. That, as long as he's in there, that's his body. He can do whatever he wants with it. But it is kind of odd that as hero characters, they never even once had a single discussion about, let's talk about, like, we didn't wish for this. We didn't, Diana didn't ask for some guy to lose his life so Steve could have it. She never wished for that. She just wanted Steve back. But so I get that. 
But it is funny that at no point in the movie did they say, you know, looking around his apartment, this is a, this is a human being. And we just took his life away. We didn't mean to, it wasn't our intention, but we have taken his life away from him. What does it mean ethically for me to stay? And now I get to have a second round of life at the expense of that guy getting to have his. So this whole nonsense about, oh, they raped, get rid of that. Just get rid of that nonsense. That's that's just BS. As long as Steve was in the body, that was his body. But it does raise the question, why do they at least have a discussion about that? Not about the sex part, but it's just about the fact that me being, the price tag of me being here is that some other dude does not get to have his life. And we just took it away from him. And they never so much as had a conversation about that. That, to me, is the real question. Not what did Steve do in his body while he had it, because that was his body. While he's in it, it's his. As long as he's in it, it's his body. He can do whatever he wants. But the question about the fact that some guy lost his life in order for Steve to have it, and they never even talked about it, that, to me, is more interesting. That, to me, is the more interesting question. All right, next up. Uh, Caitlin Bennett writes, As a woman, I find it offensive that the same Diana from the beginning of the movie would willingly give up all of her powers and defending truth all for a man. And Steve has to tell her, no, what kind of superhero is that? It's a human superhero. I, I, I disagree with you on that, Caitlin. I disagree. And by the way, thank you for super chatting in 20 bucks. That's very generous of you. But I disagree. Superheroes to me are at their best when we're still reminded of their humanity. But John, uh, Diana is Amazonian. You know what I mean. Superheroes are at their best when we are reminded of their humanity. And there's only, in all two movies, over the span of centuries, there's only been one thing. It wasn't that Diana gave it up for a man. She gave it up for the one thing she has ever truly loved doesn't matter if it was a man or if it was a woman or if it was a dog or if it was a car. There's The movie sets it up in such a way that there was only one true thing that Diana really, truly loved. That, that she loved for herself. You know, there was, there was a really good moment in the movie when her and Steve begin to have the conversation and Steve brings it up. They're in the apartment. And Steve brings up the thing that you've got to undo your wish. And she makes, she, there's a great, this is one of the really good pieces of writing in the movie to me. Diana explains, I have basically, I sacrifice everything for this world. I live my life in the shadows. I live alone. I don't get to have my own life. There's only one thing I've ever wanted. And that's to have the love of my life back. I've never asked for anything else. And the cost to me, I pay every day by being alone, by staying in the shadows, by being low key and low profile. And that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm here to help mankind, but I've only ever wanted one thing in the centuries that I've been around. There's only one thing I've ever wanted for me. And that's to have the one thing I've truly loved back. And I'll tell you what, to me, it would have been much less satisfying for Diana to go, oh, 
Turns out, Steve, you being here is an inconvenience to the world. I recant my wish, because that's what heroes do. I like the fact that movies will, with, with heroes will sometimes stop to remind us of the humanity of the hero. That makes the hero more relatable. And when the hero becomes more relatable, it makes their great feats all the more astounding. And so at the end of the story, at the end of the day, Diana realizes that truth is what matters. That the reality is by her, her having Steve back was, wasn't real. It was just a wish fulfillment. And there were consequences to that wish fulfillment. And at the end, even though Steve has to be the one to convince her of it, at the end, she makes the choice. She decides, I renounce my wish. At the end of the day, she had to be the one to make the decision. And the fact that they highlighted her humanity, that it needed outside forces, in this case, Steve, the object of her love, to be the one to tell her, you know, this is the right thing to do. To me, it emphasizes her humanity and that, therefore, when she makes the choice, as she's walking away and says, I renounce my wish, without that reminder of her humanity, it would have made that scene meaningless. Because, of course, the hero makes the heroic choice. But she walks away and says, I renounce my wish. And that becomes powerful because they reminded us of her humanity. That her renouncing her wish was not easy. That her giving up the one thing she loved was not just a, a, a side note. I'm the hero. Of course, that's what I do. No, they made it difficult and hard. And she made that choice. And so when she says, I renounce my wish, there was a power to that moment. And that power, I contend, wouldn't have been there had it not been for the struggle of coping with her own humanity. And while I may not like this movie, there are certainly parts of it that will work. And, and I got to say, Caitlin, I, I think having watched the film twice, that is one of the more powerful moments to me because it showed her struggle with it, because it was the one thing she wanted. But anyway, that's just, that's just me. I'm sure, I'm sure there are many people who see it the way you do as well, Caitlin. Um, and I can totally see why you'd look at that way, but I, I hope I didn't, I'm not trying to change your mind. I just hope I effectively communicated to you why it worked for me. And that's why for me, that scene really worked, but that's just me. Anyway, thanks for writing that in Caitlin. Appreciate your, your point of view on that. All right. ZOMG ruler writes, um, uh, which is better birds of prey, uh, Harley Quinn or Wonder Woman 84. I, I think Wonder Woman 84 is better than birds of prey. Like I really disliked birds of prey. I really dislike that movie. It's the only DCU movie I dislike, but I really disliked it. Uh, so while I am, while I am very, very disappointed in Wonder Woman 84, I will take Wonder Woman 84 over uh, Birds of Prey. Q Floyd writes, this is now my go-to example of why you can't do Reeve era camp today. Maybe it's just me. I agree. I agree. Like when, when Man of Steel first came out and there were all these there was a lot of, look, there was a lot of people who didn't like Man of Steel because they just didn't like Man of Steel. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's totally fair. But I would hear from a, a lot of people 
his who would directly try to compare it to the Reeve era Superman. That's not my Superman. That's not what my Superman would have done. My Superman would have done this. And they're constantly referred to like the Christopher Reeve era of Superman. And it's like, well, I, that's cool, but I'm sorry, you can't make a movie today of Superman going, fear not, madam, I shall rescue your cat from the tree. And he goes and rescues the cat from the tree. I love apple pie and America. Like that, that worked fine when they were making the Donna era Superman, but that's not what Superman would look like today. And that's why I thought Zack Snyder did like an amazing job with that Superman. But you're right. This is kind of a little bit of a reflection of that Q Floyd. All right. Nick, uh, Nick figures writes, do you consider the Sonic movie a superhero movie? And would that still put as the best superhero movie this year? Sonic was better than Wonder Woman 84. Gosh, did, was there any other superhero movie this year? If we're not counting television series? um, Because like The Boys, Doom Patrol, Umbrella Academy, they were all better, but... I know, no, I don't count Sonic as a superhero movie. Maybe I should, and maybe I can be convinced otherwise. But for now, I'll say I don't consider Sonic a superhero movie. But I do consider it a better movie than Wonder Woman 84. All right, uh, the Alpha Nerd writes, The movie needed only one main villain. I think Barbara Minerva could have begun her heel turn in this movie for a payoff in the next and been one of the people who didn't recant their wish. Well, here's the problem, though. The problem then, of course, is if she doesn't recant her wish, does the world get set right? Because they said the mythology states that all those who had wishes have to recant their wishes. They have to renounce their wishes. So if she doesn't renounce her wish, does the world get set back right? And that, so that's a problem. I think there was more than enough room in this movie for Maxwell Lord and for cheetah there was more than enough room in it just like in infinity war there was more than enough room for thanos for all the four members uh, of uh, of his little the the black why am i forgetting the name of uh his little band the the four characters the black thing there's plenty of room for for several villains there's plenty of room especially in a two and a half hour movie there's plenty 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 of room that wasn't the problem the problem was execution I think the problem was was in, was all about the execution of it. Uh, but, oh, thank you, Sadie's writing. It's the Black Order. Thank you. I almost said the Black Hand. I was like, wait, it's not the Black Hand. Black Order. Thank you very much. But, um, yeah, I, I thought you could have. And listen, I think one of the few things that really did work in the movie was Cheetah. I thought Cheetah worked. Uh, other than the fact that they didn't make her an important enough part of the film. But uh, that's that. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Alpha Nerd. Next up. Uh, Valeria 262 writes, Star Trek and Mission Impossible did TV show, did better TV show cameos. Um, did, st- well, I, well, here's the thing. Star Trek didn't really do, their cameos were like when Dr. McCoy, for example, actually showed up in Star Trek The Next Generation. He was playing himself, right? Uh, DeForest, what, what was his name? DeForest Kelly? Is that, was that the actor's name who played Bones in the original start? I think it's DeForest Kelly. But when DeForest Kelly appeared in the uh, premiere episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, that wasn't really a cameo per se. He was playing 
Dr. McCoy. He was playing the same character. Uh, unlike um, something like this, where they brought in the actress who played in a completely different universe, Linda Carter, in uh, in a different iteration of Wonder Woman, but then wrote her in as being that character with the golden armor. I don't know, man. I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good, Valeria. All right, Ted Wu writes, Apparently, I was supposed to have an emotional reaction when Diana rescinded her wish. Sorry, I did not. And you know what? I think there's a lot of people who didn't. I, I think there are a lot of people who did not have that emotional response that they wanted the pe- the audience to have in that moment. I will say I thought it was one of the better parts of the movie. I, I, I did have a, a bit of an emotional response to it. I would have had a, a better emotional response, a more powerful emotional response had they executed the rest of the film and structured it better and give me some understanding about why Steve is in this other guy's body and all that kind of nonsense. But I thought it was one of the elements that worked, but like anything else, Ted, it's not going to work for everybody. And I know it didn't work for my wife. I know that that scene didn't work for Anne, but it did work for me. I'm going to say it it did work for me, that one part, but I totally get, I totally get why it didn't work for you, Ted. Totally do. Michael Bradley writes, Glad I saw it in IMAX. The flying scene looked awesome. You know, that is one of the scenes. The the car caravan action sequence, the cheetah fight, but the flying scene. I remember watching it and thinking to myself, I wish I was watching this on a big screen. I wish I was seeing this in a movie theater. Because I liked it, not how they brought it about, but I liked the, the, the actual flying. It, it looked really good. It, it had some kind of overtones of Man of Steel just without the narrative buildup to it like Man of Steel had. But uh, yeah, I wish I saw it on the big screen, Michael. I'm glad you did, man. I'm a little bit envious that you did. Uh, Okay, what's next here? HM writes, I liked it more on my second viewing. Oh, I wish I did, man. I actually liked it a little bit less on my second viewing. The drawback for me was that Wonder Woman had a clear motivation in the first movie, but was stuck in grieving mode with 84. Also, 84 in the title had me thinking Orwell. Yeah, there's a little bit of that, right? It's like, so wait a minute, is there... By why, like, why not 85? Why not 83? By having 84, you couldn't help but wonder, are there going to be some thematic, like 1984 Orwellian kind of things in this? Anyway, that said, I, with all the problems I have with 84, Wonder Woman 84, not the year, um, I really wasn't worried or too bothered by or distracted by Diana's motivations. Her motivations I thought were fine, but man, just a lot of the execution was just so bad. And, and I, I'm glad HM that you liked it more on the second. Again, the things I liked the first time I watched it, I still liked the second time, but the problems just stood out for me a little bit more. So at, again, at the end of the day, I did not hate this movie. Like some people hate it. I just didn't think it was good. You know what? You know how I feel about Wonder Woman 84. Here's a good comparison. I feel the same way about Wonder Woman 84 as I felt about New Mutants. Um, not terrible. This isn't this isn't going to go down as I, to me as one of the worst movies or nothing like that. But just not good. They're not not good. There're just too many drawbacks for me and the drawbacks stood out to me even more the second time around. But there are a lot of people out there who loved it. There are a lot of people out there who hated it. And there's a bunch of people like me who are kind of down the middle. But I was like ultimately disappointed. But I'm glad you liked it more in your second view. Maybe if I go back and try it again. I don't plan on watching it again. But maybe if I do, maybe I'll like it a little bit more. All right. William Bangs writes, uh, what do you want to see Wonder Woman do next, John? Oh, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I like to leave that up to the filmmakers. I don't like to create create my own fan theories because then we get too attached to our own fan theories and then they don't do what we wanted it to do. We get so I I don't know. Uh, just make a great movie. That's it. I don't care what she does next. I don't care if the next one she battles Ares again or now she has to actually confront Zeus or maybe Cheetah returns or you know it'd be interesting. One of the more interesting to me. Not everybody likes it. Let me see if I can look it up. Um, uh, do, 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 do. I'm not sure I can find this. Let me try this. Uh, I'm not sure I can find it, but I'm going to try. One of the more interesting stories in Wonder Woman in the comic books, and this, I think this was in the early 90s. I think it was in, in the early 90s. There was a storyline where like Diana, I think every certain number of years had to go back, um, had to go back to Themyscira. Yeah, I think this is, I think this is it. Anyway, every number of years in the comic, according to the comic books in this one storyline, Diana would have to go back to Themyscira and like participate in a contest for the title of Wonder Woman, who gets to be Themyscira's representative? Who gets to be the Amazonian's representative to the world? And that person would be Wonder Woman. And, you know, Diana would always hold that title. In this one run of the comics, if you, any of you guys remember this, uh, back in the day, she goes back and legitimately loses to another Amazonian named Artemis. And so then they had two different comic books. They had the Wonder Woman comic books, but now instead of Diana as being Wonder Woman, Artemis was one. And she was more of a edgier, badass, more serious kind of character. And then Wonder Woman, Diana had her own comic run, but instead of wearing the Wonder Woman outfit, she would wear like this black leather outfit and stuff like that. There's this really sexy black leather outfit uh, or any of that. Anyway, that storyline where Artemis maybe becomes Wonder Woman or maybe just Artemis as a true potential rival, maybe not enemy, but rival to Diana. That could be interesting. Again, I don't want to write the movie for them. I want them to come up uh, with, um, I want them to come up with any kind of story they want to come up with. Uh, and do whatever it is they want to do. But but yeah, Artemis wouldn't be a bad thing. I, I'd be down for an Artemis. All right, next up. Um, Max Papineau writes, Hey, John. Man, what a disappointing year for movies. We didn't get most of the movies we were promised. Uh, and to me, the movies we did get throughout the pandemic were either disappointing or bad. At least Soul was great. I, I mean, yeah, that's true. Like a lot of the ones we've been looking forward to, whether it was... James Bond, No Time to Die, Black Widow. I mean, a lot of films that we've been hoping to see got pushed off. And the ones we did get, I mean, there. listen, there was some good stuff, right? There was some really good stuff that we got this year. Um, Pre-pandemic, like The Gentleman, I still love The Gentleman. The Gentleman with Matthew McConaughey, that movie was great. I don't care what anybody says. I love that movie. My second favorite movie, uh, movie of the year so far. Uh, we got Netflix's Trial of the Chicago 7, which is my favorite movie of the year so far. 
We had Old Guard, which is really great. I enjoyed Charlie Theron's uh, Old Guard. I like that a lot. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was pretty. I mean, look, for many reasons, this year just sucked, man. <laughs> There's so many reasons. 2020 completely sucked. And a lot of us cannot wait, Max, for this year to be over and we move on and we move through it and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, there was also Tenet. Uh, Tenet came out. Tenet wasn't as good as I was hoping it would be. It was still really good, but it just wasn't as good as I was hoping it would be. So Tenet was there too. But but overall, yeah, this is a year we all cannot wait to be in our rearview mirror, man. We cannot wait. I cannot wait for a much better 2021. It's going to start off rough, but uh, here's hoping that 2021 will be a significantly better year. Here's hoping one year from now, guys, we're in a much better place than we are today. All right. I am nobody important rights. Uh, best shot max, max face power up with blue lights and wind. It was an interesting one. It didn't make a lot of sense to me, but it was an interesting one. Like for instance, here, here's a question for you guys. Let's see if you can answer this. When the, okay, the way the movie lays it out, the way the the soul the uh, dreamstone is supposed to work, right? You make a wish, the wish gets granted to you, but the dreamstone also takes something from you. Your most important thing for Maxwell Lord, it was taking away his health. For Barbara, it was taking away her humanity, her kindness, that thing about her character. For other people, they were losing their shares and whatever. The thing is important to you, right? So. If that's the way the soul stone works, soul stone, I keep wanting to call it a soul stone. If that's the way the wish stone or the dream stone worked, can somebody tell me how Max Lord suddenly had telekinetic powers? Who is he taking telekinetic powers from? Because, you know, he says, you know, I'll grant all these people wishes and I will take from them health so he can replenish his own health and I'll take things that they actually have. How did he suddenly magically have telekinesis where Wonder Woman's running at him and he can just like use a force push against her? Who did he take that power from? Again, listen, I understand that in comic book movies, we need to suspend our disbelief. I don't ask comic book movies to be consistent with our real world rules. All I ask is that a comic book movie be consistent with the rules they say are the rules in their world and their universe and their story. So you set up the rules for how the Dreamstone works. How did him suddenly having telekinetic powers, how is that consistent with the rules you set up for your movie? I don't know. Maybe it's just a nitpick. Maybe it's just a nitpick, but that thing kind of bothered me a little bit. Okay, uh, let's move on here. Initial D's writes, Diana used her Smithsonian badge to steal the jet. But it, no, all the Smithsonian badge did was open the front door. That's all it did. So all the jets, let me, if they got in that space shuttle, would it have taken off into outer space? Why was this Smithsonian jet sitting fully air, air ready, fully gassed up, fully ready to go, just sitting there. And all you needed to do was walk in the front door of the Smithsonian. That part bothered me. All right. Comic court writes, I kind of wish they didn't skip over Max Lord's origin story. Like in like three seconds. I really like him. I, I will say this though. His origin story wasn't all that important. And this movie was already too long. This movie was already two and a half hours long, which was too long for this movie. 
we really didn't need to know the origin story. I, I don't regret that they showed a little bit of, of his past, showing why does somebody like him having more so important, but that is a standard human trait. We all want more. We're all inherently greedy. I mean, let's, let's admit it. We all are. It's a part of our human makeup. We are inherently greedy. The question is, do we allow our greed to dictate who we are and what we do? But we are all inherently greedy creatures uh, at any rate. So, so showing that little flashback of him, it, it worked. It was fine. But was it necessary? I, I didn't think it was necessary, but that's just me. Uh, but I did like the little flashback showing him struggle and stuff like that. That was cool, but it wasn't needed. And I certainly don't think they needed it anymore, but I'm sure there are probably other people who agree with you on comic court and probably would have liked to have seen a little bit more. All right. Nino beats writes in the dark night words, things are worse than ever with this movie. Uh, again, I, I don't agree. Now, listen, it's all film is subjective, which means some people are going to love this movie, which I don't agree with. And people are going to absolutely think this is the worst thing ever, which I also don't agree with. I just think there's way too much. There are too many things in this movie that were done well to me, just from my own point of view, to label this as like a totally absolute garbage movie. But, you know, I say for a long time, we live in an era right now where it's a 10 and zero culture we live in. Everything's either a perfect 10 or it's completely zero, right? That That's kind of the culture we live in right now. If you like something, so many people say, it's a 10, it's a 10, it's perfect, it's a 10. And if it's something you didn't like, it's a zero. It's the absolute worst thing ever. Total garbage. You can't possibly make something worse. Everything's 10 or zero today. I don't think we today like learn how to live in the one to nine range at all. And to me, this movie is clearly no 10 and it's, but it's clearly no zero. It's clearly, but that's just me. That's just my own personal subjective opinion of it. And there you go. We all look at it differently. I, I find myself with Wonder Woman 84 a little bit more in the middle, a lot to like, a lot to dislike. Overall, I was pretty disappointed, but is it like, is it like Catwoman bad? No. Is it, is it Birds of Prey and Harley Quinn bad? I don't think so, but yeah, very disappointing though. Nonetheless. All right. Uh, Abley writes, feel sorry for the innocent person that had to disappear. I agree for Steve to take over his body. What if he had a family? What a strange decision by the filmmakers. I completely agree. Completely agree. And again, to me, nothing else. There was no explanation in the movie why you would have such an important plot point that Steve is inhabiting somebody else's body. Why you would have such an important, an important plot point while giving no explanation as to why it had to be that way. Dude wanted his land back. Magic wall appears around his country. Poof. Magic. Look, everybody, a wall appeared out of nowhere. It's magic. So why did, why could Steve not just appear? Why did it have, why did somebody else have to lose their life in order for Steve to come back? That was never something that was addressed in the film. And like we just talked a minute ago, why did Diana and Steve never once have a quick ethical conversation about the morals of, hey, for me to stay here means this guy never gets to have his life? And they never once had the slightest interest in having a conversation about that. I thought they, if they were going to use that plot device, which they shouldn't have, Steve should have just appeared. Steve should have just appeared. 
like the wall did around that country. But if you want to go with the route that he's inhabiting somebody else's body, number one, you got to tell us something in the movie to justify that. And number two, you got to have our heroic characters, at least for one quick scene, wrestle with the ethical dilemma of me being here means this other guy loses his life. And they did neither. And so that's, it was a very questionable decision. Very, very questionable decision creatively. All right. Casey Cotton writes, and Casey sends in like $50. Thank you so much, Casey, for supporting our channel on that level, man. Deeply appreciate that, dude. Um, and Casey writes, uh, Max and son relationship had my attention. I agree. I, I did like that a lot. Uh, the most grounded part of the movie. Think on this. Son wishes his father to come home. Then and only then, Wonder Woman uses the lasso of truth and Max recanted his wish. Hmm. Uh, just a thought. I mean, there was... How does the wish thing work? Dude wishes for a coffee. Instantly, coffee appears. Max sets up, okay, I'm now going to have you magically somehow get out of my way. And instantly, federal agents show up to arrest the guy on tax evasion charges. But then some other things get wished, and they take a while to happen. Like, as soon as the son said, Daddy, I wish you would come back, why didn't Maxwell Lord disappear from where he was and show up to where his son was? Dude wished for coffee, and he instantly got it. I mean... This is, again, another example of this movie just not being consistent with itself. I don't care what magic rules you want to say govern this universe, but once you tell us what rules govern this universe, just stick to your own rules. And so that, that was another instance to me, Casey, of, of radical inconsistencies. Now, then you can make the argument, well, eventually, he did appear back with his son. But here's a question. What happens if the son recants, did the son renounce his wish? And if so, if the son renounced his wish, then that means he never got his wish. He wished, dad, I wish you were back here with me. Never came. Renounces his wish. After renouncing his wish, then his father returns. So I, again, I don't understand the logic. But I will say, Casey, I will agree with you. Given the fact that... um. There's, there are things in this movie that I quite liked. There are some things in the movie I quite liked. His relationship with his son I loved. I love the fact that he wasn't one of these stereotypical villain dads who likes, oh, that, that child of mine is just a burden. No, he loved his son. And he wanted nothing more than his son to be proud of him and to be proud that he's... That, that was a part that worked. They just didn't do enough to make it more impactful, I think, throughout. Anyway, great observation, Casey. And again, thanks so much for sending that in, man. I really appreciate that. All right. Ben Rayner writes, in my opinion, the flashback scenes should have been earlier in the movie to make us understand where Max was coming from. Yeah, I, I think, first of all, I don't even think the flashback scenes were needed because I think that human desire to have more, we all recognize that. It, it's in everybody. It's in all of us. So we recognize that in Max. So I don't even think the flashbacks were needed, but if you're going to put them in, I agree. It should have been a little bit earlier. Uh, yeah, I agree. Plus I think there should have been a flashback scene. I said this earlier in the show. There should have had a Lord of the Rings intro 
where like Kate Beckinsale as Gladriel tell, narrating the story of the ring so that when the movie starts, now we already know what the ring is. Everybody's on board and we can move forward. They should have had some sort of little preamble like that for the Dreamstone as well. And I think that would have probably been really effective moving forward. Maybe you guys disagree with me, which is cool, but that's kind of my guess on that. All right. Uh, let's see here. Fernando Alvarez Juarez writes, I really enjoyed this film even more than soul this weekend. I, and you're not alone. I've, I've talked to a couple other people that actually prefer, I prefer soul over this movie, but I've talked to a number of people that actually preferred wonder woman 84. So you're not alone, which I was also disappointed with. I do see wonder woman 84's weaknesses, but I still enjoyed it, especially more than the first, which I really dislike. See, there is a perfect example, Fernando of the subjectivity of film, right? I really like the first film. I really like wonder woman. The first one I thought it was great. I was quite disappointed this one. Didn't hate it. Didn't hate Wonder Woman 84, but I was quite disappointed in it. You had a completely opposite reaction than I did. You saw the first movie, didn't like it all that much. You saw the second one, it worked much better for you. That, and that's beautiful. That's the great thing about film fandom is that we all see these pieces of art and we have different reactions to them and we can learn from each other from it. And I think that's fantastic. So I'm glad you liked it, man. I'm glad you did. I, I completely have different position than you. I prefer soul over Wonder Woman 84. I love the first one. I was disappointed in this. You think completely the opposite and that's awesome. So I'm glad you liked it, man. I, I kind of jealous. I wish I, I want to love every movie I watch. Every time I take time to sit down and watch a movie, I want to love it. So I am envious that you got to have the experience you did with the movie. And I ended up with the experience I had with it, unfortunately. So thanks for sharing that, Fernando. Uh, K Major writes, I would change two things. Remove the intro. Didn't help with the overall story. Oh, I don't know. The intro on Themyscira? That whole thing about the lesson she learned about truth is all that matters. That played in very important later on to the climax of the film. So I, I got to disagree with the end. I thought the intro was very important to the movie. Anyway, uh, replace it with Lord's uh, little origin montage and the whole Steve takes over a random dude's body. Come back was wonky. Seven out of 10. Again, we've talked a lot about how very awkward and ineffective that whole plot. It just caused a lot of questions and contradictions, Right with the way they had Steve just magically take over some guy's body. No explanation why that happened. No, no ethical questions about what does it mean for me to take this body and take over this other guy's life. I mean, it was very problematic. Again, I'm not sure Lord's origin montage was even necessary. All it did was to us was something that was tell us something we already knew. Max Lord is an individual guy who is driven by a greed and a desire to have more. And we already knew he was a guy who didn't have it all. He created this fake facade that he had it all. So he, we already knew that about him. Here's the thing. The montage was fine. The montage of his backstory, starting up his company, not having the love of his father, all that kind of stuff. That was all fine. There was nothing wrong with it. My only point was it really didn't communicate anything to us that we didn't either already know or that we needed to know. So I'm not sure it was necessary, but yeah, man, that Steve thing, that's still a big question mark in the air for me, K Major, and obviously it is for you too. All right, Thanos uh, Kovaris writes, it's more probable that a five-year-old would renounce their wish than the president would. I don't know about that because the president, at least, if presented with the facts, depending on the president, anyway, the president or an adult, 
any adult, when presented with the facts, could have the reasonable faculties to sift through that information and realize if I don't renounce this wish, it could mean the end of everything. Notwithstanding a parent wishing to save the life of their dying child. But aside from that, so that character, the president in this movie, realizing uh, I would be losing out on this, but if I renounce it, I save the world and there will be a world for me to enjoy. If I hold on to this wish, great, but the world's going to be destroyed soon. And I'm going to lose it. An adult would have the faculties available to them, the cognitive skills to rationally think through that and make a choice. Whereas a five-year-old, probably not. Yeah, that's just, that's just my take on that. A five-year-old probably wouldn't have the, the, the capacity to, you know, uh, be cognizant of that whole action, reaction, cause and effect sort of thinking. That's just my thought. That's just my thought. All right. A fan of peanuts writes, the more I think about this, the more I realized I felt precisely the same way with Wonder Woman 84 as I did with X-Men Apocalypse. I tried to love it five out of five. Yeah. X-Men Apocalypse is another one that I really wanted to, to love because my favorite comic book story of all time, not individual issue, but my favorite comic book story of all time is X-Men Apocalypse. Um, is, is the whole apocalypse thing, the age of apocalypse age of apocalypse is my all time favorite comic book story. And so when they finally announced they were doing apocalypse, I was like, Oh, and Sabanur is coming. Right. And I wanted to love it. And I just did not. So, and uh, yeah, you're right. I feel a little bit of the similarities to this. I wanted to love this movie. Because I think Patty Jenkins is a dynamite filmmaker and a dynamite director. I really like the first movie. I was excited about this one. Yeah, yeah, is it what it is? Can't win them all, man. Can't win them all. All right, Mogul Media writes, uh, sorry, but if Warner Brothers gave Patty Jenkins full control, then this is the real Patty Jenkins. Hire someone else. I think that is a very myopic and very limited way of looking at something. That's like watching a, a, a classic Michael Jordan game where he misses a free throw and go, oh, can't trust Michael Jordan anymore. Michael Jordan sucks. You see the way he missed that free throw? He sucks. Mm. And by the way, uh, he did miss free, free throws. You know, Michael Jordan in that great video of his, he talks about how he missed more game-winning shots than he hit. But is there anybody going to deny Michael Jordan is not, if not the greatest basketball player of all time, one of the greatest basketball players of all time? Here's the thing. You can't be completely reductive on anybody's career. You can't watch um, Sixth Sense and then only judge M. Knight's career on Sixth Sense. Because you'd think he's going to be one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. At the same time, you can't just watch um, Avatar The Last Airbender and only judge M. Knight's ability and career based on that one film either. Because neither of those paint a completely accurate picture. You take their body of work. Patty Jenkins' body of work. Uh, I, I'm sorry, films she's directed win Oscars. Actors she directs win Oscars. And lest we all forget, Wonder Woman 84, despite the fact of how much I love Man of Steel and I think everybody should love Man of Steel, although not everybody does, despite the fact that I like Batman versus Superman and I like Justice League and I like all these things and, all, and I like Suicide Squad, whatever, think what you want. Wonder Woman 84 was the first DCEU movie 
that everybody loved. I'm using hyperbole, but generally speaking, every other DCU movie that came out into that point was incredibly divisive. At least half the people hated it, half the audiences hated it, half the critics hated them, blah, 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 blah. Every single thing the DCU had put out up until that point was incredibly divisive. Patty Jenkins came along and made a Wonder Woman movie that was the first DCU movie that, for the most part, pretty much everybody got behind. The critics loved it, the audiences loved it, made a huge amount of money, all that kind of stuff. It was incredibly successful. She directs a movie, Charlie Theron directs Monster, gets tons of Oscar consideration, puts her on the Mac, wins Charlie's Theron, her only Academy Award being directed by Patty Jenkins. But I'm sorry. You can't be so simple-minded as to become re- reductive and go, oh, well, I just saw this one movie and I didn't like it. Therefore, she's not any good. That's ridiculous. It, it's, it's a ridiculous pop. Now, now, I say that But what happens if Cleopatra comes out and is no good? And then what happens if Wonder Woman 3 comes out and is no good? And then Rogue Squadron comes out and is no good. Well, now we've got her body of work starts to become slanted a different way, but we evaluate it on the overall body of work. And I'm sorry, I will have the debate and I will win. I will have the debate with anybody based on Patty Jenkins' overall body of work. Her body of work proves she's a great filmmaker. But I say that as somebody who will also tell you, I think this was her worst effort so far. I think Wonder Woman 84 was her worst effort so far. Effort's not the right word. She clearly gave effort, but this was her bad day at the office. This was her bad day at the office. Yeah, it was. There's no getting around it. I'm a, I'm a Patty Jenkins fan, but I'm telling you, this was a bad day at the office for her. Now, I believe what will happen is that like every good director, when they have missteps, they will learn from those missteps and make something better the next time. I believe Wonder Woman 3 will be the best Wonder Woman movie yet because I believe Patty Jenkins will learn. This is the first stumble Patty Jenkins has ever had. And it was a stumble. There's no way around it. It's a stumble. But it's the first one she's ever had. I believe she will learn from it and make an even better movie next time. We'll have to wait and find out for sure, though. We'll have to wait and find out for sure. But I am in agreement that this was a misstep. This was her bad day at the office. Now, whether it's just the bad day at the office or this is who she really is, well, then who is that Who is that person then that just came along and made this movie that won Oscars? Who was that? Who was this person that came along and made the first DCU movie that the critics love, the audiences love, and was a huge financial hit? Who, who was that? It was the same person. So let's not be so myopic that we re- become massively reductive and say, oh, no, 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 everything about this person we can learn from this one thing they put out. It's not a good, it's, it's not an accurate way to look at things. It's not a good way to look at things. But again, What happens if we have to revisit this conversation if she puts out two or three more in a row, bad films in a row? Well, then we we have to reevaluate it based on her overall body of work. But for now, I think her overall body of work is still really strong. But that doesn't change the fact that this was not a great movie. At least to me. Other people think it is great, and that's wonderful. To me, it wasn't. All right, K Major writes, uh, damn, John, uh, I actually like the invisible jet scene made me wish I was in the theater. The flying scene was weird though. No, listen, I, there's a lot of things about the invisible jet scene that I like. It's just how they came up with it. 
right? An unlocked plane, fully fueled, just sitting there in the Smithsonian, just ready to take off uh, down the runway airport scene. A guy who only flew things from 1917 suddenly knows how to operate all the technology in the plane. And then once they get up in the air, Wonder Woman turns into Gandalf the Amazonian and casts her magic spell of, I turn this this plane invisible. And then it suddenly, even though it's not something she's ever done before, really. And she's able to, it was that stuff that kind of takes away from the scene. But once you get past that and you just have the invisible jet, that's cool. Flying through the clouds and around the fireworks. That was really visually cool. Flying over the clouds and seeing the light of the fireworks underneath the wings. That was beautiful. There's a lot of things about that scene that I do like. It just bothered me how they got to it. That was the problem to me. But I see what you're saying, K-Major. All right. Next up, Zarp writes, ridiculous plot, even for a comic book movie. I Listen, I... Again, I think if you reduce this movie down to a one-page synopsis, the plot could have worked. I still contend that it was all about the execution. I think the general concept for the movie was pretty strong if it was done right. I mean, really, the plot is no weaker than uh, Magic Space Grimace, purple guy, wants to gather... Six magic stones to make half the universe disappear. Okay, well, depending on how you put it, that sounds ridiculous. But Infinity War was awesome, right? It was the execution of it. Uh, I don't think that basic premise of Purple Space Grimace wants to collect six magic stones to make half the universe disappear. I don't think just in principle is any better or any worse than the idea of... uh, you know, villain wants to find an ancient stone that can grant wishes to, to emote worldwide power. That doesn't sound any better, any worse than the idea of collecting six magic stones to make the universe disappear, but it's about execution. Do you take the premise and give it meat? Do you build narrative around it? Do you build compelling characters that drive that basic concept in such a way? And that's the difference between infinity war and wonder woman 84. One did it really well, and one did it very poorly, in my opinion, just in my opinion. But I think just the, the basic plot could have worked. It could have worked if, if it was done right, and I just don't think it was done right. Anyway, nothing Smith writes. Let's just all admit that DC is a dumpster fire. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. Man of Steel is one of the best comic book movies ever made. Uh, recently that Shazam came out. I think that Shazam is all kinds of fantastic. I thought Aquaman was really fun. I don't, I don't, I listen, DC clearly has some work to do. I think it's fair to say that DC has some work to do, but let's not pretend like they haven't put out some great stuff. They have, I believe they have, and I believe they have some great stuff coming. So let's, let's see, let's see how, how it turns out. All right. Eric Lynch writes, uh, I love um, every lasso scene. Some people don't like the way she uses it in the movie to do everything, but it's a magic lasso. It can do everything. My one problem with the lasso, there are two issues I had with the magic lasso in this movie. All right. Two issues I had with the magic lasso. Number one, the animation of the lasso looked pretty silly. That's not a big deal. I, I'm telling you right now, I don't consider that a big deal. I'm just, I am saying though, that every time she used the lasso, it looked pretty weird the way it worked. The other thing, and this shouldn't be a problem, but I thought this right from the trailers. 
lassoing lightning. That makes no sense. Lightning has no physical properties. And here's the thing. Lightning happens like, it's there, it's gone. It's there, it's gone. Like it's, it's literally the lightning doesn't strike and then hang around for three or four seconds and then just disappear the way light emits from it gives a certain visual illusion, but you cannot electricity aside, you cannot grab onto a lightning bolt and climb up it like a rope. The fact that there was a lightning strike, it just stands there for three or four seconds as she takes her lasso, whips out her lasso that physically wraps around the lightning bolt and has physical resistance and stays there long enough that she can then use her inertia and swing from it physically. I'm sorry, the lightning bolt would have disappeared the moment the light from the lightning bolt hit her eyes. But anyway, am I nitpicking? Maybe. Maybe I'm nitpicking, but that just made no sense to me. That made no sense to me, but whatever. It did visually look pretty cool. I mean, come on, swinging from a lightning bolt? That's pretty cool. Anyway, uh, ZMG ruler writes DC isn't a dumpster fire. In my opinion, the execs at WB definitely are. Listen, there, there's clearly Walter Hamada is the man. Walter Hamada has clearly began the process of turning everything around at DC, but there's still a lot of problems over there. Especially once you start looking at the way they're handling this whole HBO max thing and blah, there is a serious leadership culture problem at Warner brothers. There is absolutely a leadership culture problem at Warner Brothers. There's no getting around that. And where I got that phrase, leadership culture problem at Warner Brothers, was actually from a friend of mine who works at Warner Brothers. There is a leadership culture problem over there. They have some very good pieces of the puzzle in place, like a Walter Hamada, but they clearly have problems over there. And and, and until they get that fixed, it's going to be difficult to see them get some consistency. You're going to have some great things come out, but you're, it's, you're going to have a hard time seeing consistency. The type of consistency you get from a Marvel that has a very strong, healthy and consistent leadership culture there starting at the top with Bob Iger down to Kevin Feige and where you've had a consistent, strong, uh, healthy leadership culture there. And the result has been some very consistent stuff coming out of the MCU. Whereas in DC, they got to get that fixed. They got to get that fixed. Anyway, next up, uh, Harry Vanella writes, uh, loved Wonder Woman 84. Good on you, man. I'm glad you did. Uh, I will understand if people don't like it, but thought it was a fantastic movie. I even think it's better than the first one. And you know what, Harry, you're not alone. I, I, I know some people who thought it was better than the first one. I can, compl- I disagree. I didn't have the same experience as you did, but the important thing is you're a film fan. You went and engaged with it and it gave you a positive experience. And I don't knock you for that. I'm jealous of you for that. I wish I had your experience with it. You know, I mean, I didn't like it. Um, and, and it is what it is, but I'm not going to try to talk you into not liking it. I, and if anything, I'm just jealous. I'm jealous that you liked it. Cause I wish I enjoyed it as much as you did, man. I really do. As for me, I think the first one was a far superior film. I was very disappointed in this movie, even though I don't think it's a dumpster fire. I, I just was disappointed in the film, but man, I celebrate that you enjoyed it, man. I think that's awesome that you liked it. And I certainly think there are likable things about it. So good on you, man. And thank you for sharing your experience with us, Harry. All right. Next up, Caleb Crane writes, 
Uh, what's more disappointing, Wonder Woman 84 or Rise of Skywalker? Oh, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for two reasons. Number one, Wonder Woman 84, to me, is a better movie than Rise of Skywalker was. But in terms of disappointment, dude, my life revolves around Star Wars. So nothing can disappoint me more than a bad Star Wars movie. Like, nothing will disappoint me more in terms of film and entertainment. Nothing can disappoint me more. Like, Wonder Woman, I liked the first one very much. I thought the first movie was great, but it's not like I don't have this part of my whole identity and being wrapped up in Wonder Woman. Uh, But I do in Star Wars. That's not necessarily a healthy thing, John. Oh, I know that. Uh, I do. But, yeah, so for that reason and more, Wonder Woman uh, 84 was less disappointing uh, than Rise of Skywalker was to me. Uh, Denobi 2 writes... No one seems to discuss the soundtrack or shed love. Oh, dude, I was talking earlier. I think that was one of the big strengths of the film. I, I thought the soundtrack was actually quite good. That's one of the things I liked about it. Uh, I think it was one of the best scores from Hans Zimmer, even though it had hints of uh, R.D. Superman. I, again, I think the music in it was very strategically well done. I actually, I think the music was quite a piece of strength of the movie. It helped me engage with the movie more. Um, it just, it set the tone very well. It, they didn't overuse that Wonder Woman score. They only used it in certain places and they even varied it up a little bit. And I thought they did that well in all the other music. I thought it was quite good. So I'm with you on that, Danoby. I thought the music was, was, was one of the strengths of this movie. I really do. Uh, all right. Uh, cab, who, let's try this. Cab, bag, bag a bank. Right. Wonder Woman practically uh, hit on Wonder Woman practically hit on the scarf guy at the end and he walked away. Maybe he's a gay guy, but it makes a violation of his body that they didn't care about it worse. Well, again, to get I, I just dismissed this whole violation of his body thing at the time. It wasn't his body. It was Steve. It was Steve Trevor's body. So enough of that. But you are not the only one to notice that. Because we're watching that movie. The first time I watched it, I also Ray was over. My brother-in-law, Ray, was also over. And I think it was Ray and Anne both kind of said, it's like, okay, Gal Gadot is sitting there hitting on you. Like, practically hitting. Like, she's starting up the conversation with you. And clearly, is something into you? And you're the one who kind of ends the conversation and walks away? I don't know. Maybe he was a committed guy and he had a girlfriend already. And I don't know. Maybe. But... It did seem pretty, it's like, I don't know, dude, if you're a single guy standing out there on the street and somebody who looks anything like Gal Gadot walks up to you and starts hitting you up, you don't just walk away from that conversation. You, you try to see where that goes. But again, for all we know, maybe that guy was in a very committed uh, relationship and he had a girlfriend or something like that, or maybe he was gay or I don't know lots, but yeah, I remember we were watching the movie the first time. Both Anne and Ray were like, uh, yeah, as if that would happen. As if that would happen. Or as Anne would say, hi, did you know your penis was in my mouth a few weeks ago? I mean, it means, again, I don't mean to be vulgar, but I mean, that's kind of the truth of it. Okay, uh, next up, uh, Valeria626 writes, um, the Wayne's parents died in 81. Do you think Bruce would have renounced his wish to have them back and never mentioned that Diana had given, had given them up again, but that goes back to the other thing. Would a child have renounced their wish? Probably not. Would any family member 
somebody brought up the example of a parent of a terminally ill child who wished their child's illness go away. Would that parent renounce their wish? I don't think so. Certainly not 100,000 of them. And if a little Bruce Wayne had seen that broadcast, and maybe Bruce didn't see the broadcast. Maybe he was sitting alone in, the, in a bat cave, you know, contemplating becoming a dark Avenger sometime in the future. I don't know. But let's say Bruce saw that broadcast as a child. Of course he would wish to have his parents back. And of course he wouldn't renounce that wish. Not little Bruce Wayne. I, I don't know, but it brings up the same problem, Valeria. It does. All right, next up. Uh, Gabriel uh, Mangesha writes, one of two. The flying scene was really powerful for me. She finally allowed herself to be free and accepted the fate of Steve uh, that has always held her. Um, with Steve's voiceover and the soaring music, it was more than flying and more of her becoming whole, emotionally ending with Pedro's uh, character. Here's the problem with that interpretation of it, though, Gabriel. This is the problem with that interpretation. Diana is centuries old. She's centuries old. You can make an argument that the death of Steve has held her back, but that's only held her back since 1917. The Amazonians are ancient. Now, for all we know, Diana may be a thousand years old, but let's just go with centuries. Centuries old. What was holding her back before she even met Steve? Like, if we go on the assumption that um, that Steve's death has hindered her from realizing all of her power, well, then what's the excuse of her not coming into her power the centuries she's been around before she ever met Steve in the first place? Before she ever experienced the heartbreak of losing Steve? I, that, that, to me, I... That's why I don't buy it. Not to mention, once again, when you go back to the Man of Steel first flight scene, uh, Cal or, or Clark's transformative experience was directly associated with his physiology, with who he is, with where he comes from, with what he is to become. That whole experience on the Kryptonian ship, understanding his alien heritage, talking to his father, that was all directly associated with his understanding of himself and what he's able to do. Giving up Steve had nothing to do with that. And so that's why I still have an issue with that. I mean, they might explain it the way you are. And maybe there's a, maybe there's an argument to be had there, Gabriel, but to me, it doesn't explain why couldn't she have that power before she met Steve and how was the giving up of Steve in any way associated with the power of flight? I, I just don't see that as a connection. But I don't know. I could have my mind changed. I could have my mind changed. All right. Uh, Casey Cotton writes. Hey, John, uh, did you get the big super chat I sent? I did indeed a little bit earlier in the show. I had an interesting point. Please discuss. Thank you. I can't remember what the exact one was, but I know we did discuss it. Actually, let me, let me see if I can find it here. Um, let me see if I can find it here. Um, so the one you had sent in earlier was about uh, the, the father son relationship. Yes, 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 yes. And we did discuss that. And I thought that was a great point. And it's one of the things I really loved. I, I loved his relationship with his son and the fact that he had that attachment to his son that made it really grounded for me and all that kind of stuff. So I enjoyed it a lot. And Lone Wolf X61 in the live chat, just send in a super chat badge. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. 
all right. So yes, Casey, we did, did get it and we did discuss it and you probably saw that already. Um, and thank you for sending that in. I thought you made a really good point. All right. Uh, next up, Mr. Doug 41 writes, Cheetah is Wonder Woman's most iconic villain. She, yeah, pretty much she is. You could make an argument for Ares, but they already did Ares. Anyway, uh, Cheetah is Wonder Woman's most iconic villain. She should not be a side character. They didn't need two villains. This movie could have, should have revolved around Cheetah. Yeah, listen, I agree with you about that. Uh, multiple villains wasn't a problem. That, that was not a problem. But making Cheetah a secondary villain... That's like doing a Batman movie and having a movie where Penguin's the big bad guy and Joker is a little sidekick villain. No, no. Joker is Joker, man. Joker is like, that is the Yang to Batman's ying. Right. I mean, and, and that, yeah, while I liked cheat in the movie and I liked Barbara and I liked what Kristen Wiig did, you're right if not the most iconic, you know, synonymous with Wonder Woman villain, Cheetah, then certainly a top two or three. To have her as the secondary villain in a movie, that was a weird, that was a weird choice. I still liked the character in the movie, I did. And I still liked liked Kristen Wiig's portrayal, I did. But yeah, it's like having Joker in a Batman movie and he's not the main bad guy. He's a secondary bad guy. Like that that doesn't make a lot of sense. You're right, man. It, it was an odd decision for them to make. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up is Triple X Juice Savage writes. Uh, I think it was fine. Effects were bad. I could not ignore that. It's true. The effects were not great. I mean, there, there were some moments where the effects were quite good, but there were a lot of moments in the movie where it's like, ugh, that doesn't look right. There, there was a lot of that. But I still like the main characters, uh, like the first film. The story was weak, but I'm not worried about Rogue Squadron. Bring on the future. I, I Bring on the filthy. I agree with you, man. I'm not worried about Rogue Squadron at all. I think this was a bad day at the office for Patty Jenkins, but I look at the rest of her work. She's clearly a great filmmaker. I have no worries for Rogue Squadron whatsoever. We'll see how Cleopatra and Wonder Woman 3 turn out, but for right now, I have no worries about it uh, at all. And again, yeah, the visuals. Again, I don't think overall... Like there were, the reality is there was a lot of very good visual effects work in the movie, but visual effects are like flies on wedding cakes. If there is a fly on a wedding cake and you ask somebody, what do you see? You say, I see a fly. You don't see the 99% of the rest of the cake. That's perfectly fine. You see the fly and bad visual effects is often like a fly on a wedding cake. It's what stands out to you, man. And there is a lot of flies on that wedding cake. There's some very great visual effects shots. There are, but there's also some very questionable VFX work in it. So uh, I'm with you on that triple X juice savage. I'm totally, and I like the name too. That's really good. Uh, KM reviews writes, I think there might be a, a deleted scene to explain Chris Pine's quantum leap. Her neighbor touched the stone and wished to have, wished to have sex with her. Uh, the catch was his body got taken over thoughts. Um, okay. You know what? Theoretically speaking, theoretically speaking, and that guy was not her neighbor. If you did that in theory, let's say the guy whose body Steve took over, 
He touches the stone before Diane makes uh, touches it. And he he's wishing his men, man, I'd love to have sex with Diana. And then a couple of seconds later, Diana makes the wish, I wish I had Steve back. You could have then narratively set, narratively then there, it still creates some problems, but narratively that does connect a couple of dots. In a sense, he is getting his wish and Diana is getting hers. Sort of. It still creates some problems, but that's some creative problem solving there, KM. I like it. It's a good creative problem solving. All right. Phil G uh, sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you so much for that, Phil. Appreciate that, man. They should have used this film to set up Cheetah for the next film and not use the awkward geek turned hottie trope, but instead have their relationship start off as a friendly rivalry turned into jealousy during the film. I, I, I disagree. I agree and disagree. The, I think the, the standard trope of the mousy girl becoming powerful, I think that was effective. I think that works. I also don't think you need to set up a villain. Like I, I read, did Star Wars need to have another movie first to set up Darth Vader? No, they just did Star Wars and Darth Vader was your villain, became like the most iconic villain in, in film history. They didn't need to set him. I don't feel like Cheetah needed to be set up, but... They shouldn't, like somebody just wrote in a few minutes ago, they shouldn't have had Cheetah as a secondary villain. Should not have had Cheetah as a secondary villain. She should have been the villain. She didn't need to be the only villain. You could have had other characters as secondary villains. But, I mean, if you're going to have Cheetah in it, that's got to be the focus of the movie. She's the villain. She's the final fight. She's the main antagonist. That's how they should have done it. And you totally could have done it with the mouse turning into power. You totally could have done it all within one movie. You didn't have to build up. Hans Gruber didn't need to have a movie before Die Hard to set up Hans Gruber. You know, Hans Gruber was just like, uh, besides Vader, maybe the most beloved, awesome movie villain of all time. He didn't need a setup villain. He didn't need a setup movie. Cheetah doesn't need a setup movie. But she's got to be your main antagonist if she's in a Wonder Woman movie. So on that level, I, I agree. So, uh, But yeah, other than that, I was, I was perfectly fine with how they set it up. Close relationship because she's this mousy girl. She somehow, some way comes across as power. Now enjoying that feeling of power and confidence and strength that she has. She does not want to give that up. And it makes her bitter that somebody would want to take that away from her. Like all those story points could have worked totally fine. And to some degree, they did work fine in Wonder Woman 84. But again, the main problem with Cheetah was not the origin, was not the performance of Kristen Wiig, which I thought was actually quite good. But it all came from, they just brushed her and kept her to the side as a secondary villain. And that, I think, was a mistake. I think that was a mistake. All right, Jason A. writes, uh, where are we at here? Jason A writes, I didn't think she convinced everyone to renounce. Rather, they were being touched by the lasso and saw the truth. Not a great excuse, but I can buy it. Well, I mean, I, I mean, if we're going to play the game, Jason, I appreciate that you're doing this. If we're going to play the game that the lasso was in a way touching everybody because it was touching him and he was sort of in touch with everybody maybe that that is a stretch though 
And if that's what they were going for, that's a stretch. That is a total stretch. But again, I don't know how, even if you see the truth, I don't know how. Like you could tell a parent of a dying child, we can save your child, but 5 million other children around the world will die instantly. Some parents will go, okay, then my child needs to die. But a lot of parents are going to be to hell with those 5 million other kids. They're not my kids. This is my kid. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm I'm just saying that's the way it is. So I don't know. It's, it's a, I mean, again, I just feel like they didn't think out the ending to the film. I just feel like they didn't think it out or strategize it out properly or, or that kind of stuff, but eh, it is what it is. Um, okay. Next up square buzz HQ writes, I talked with a friend about the movie while I enjoyed it for what it is. He didn't. I feel that I hold the DCEU to a lower standard synonymous to a hallmark holiday film while I hold Marvel to a higher standard. Well, I mean, there's something to be said for that, right? There's something to be said for that, that, um, If you go in with low expectations, you can be pleasantly surprised. So, I mean, there there comes an advantage to that, right? To to going into something with low expectations and the movie being slightly better than what you feared it would be. And you go going, you know what? That was better than I thought it would be. An example of that for me might have been the last Power Rangers movie. Because I thought that last Power Rangers movie, the one with Elizabeth Banks um, as Rita, I preached for like two years. That movie was going to suck. I had no doubt that that movie was going to be awful. And nobody was going to see it. Nobody did see it. But that nobody was going to see it and it was going to completely flop and it did pretty much flop. But I said it was going to be awful. And maybe that's why. But when I saw that Power Rangers movie... I went, I walked out. Listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I walked out of that Power Rangers movie going, you know what? I thought that was pretty good. I, I kind of had some fun with that movie. And maybe a part of that is because my expectations were so rock bottomly low. But, but I walked out going, hey man, it was better than I thought it would be. And I smiled and I had a pretty good time. I didn't think the movie was great, but I went. And so maybe there's a blessing to that square buzz. Maybe there is a blessing to that. And you got to reap the benefits of it. I, maybe I should have gone into Wonder Woman 84 with lower expectations. Maybe my experience would have been different. Who knows? But anyway, thanks for sending that in, man. And, and you, you, by the way, you uh, tipped in $20 for that. So thank you so much for supporting the channel at that level, man. I really appreciate that. All right, next up. Uh, Fidel Riaz writes, uh, wishes can physically conjure up hundreds of nukes and a giant wall, but not Steve's own body. Thank you. The nukes is another great example of that. Did other people also get taken over by revival wishes? I mean, that's the other thing I was talking about the wall, right? Guy wishes to have his land back and just this giant wall magically manifests and appears. The nukes is an even better example of that. Thank you for bringing that up. You know, I wish I had more nukes and all of a sudden all these nuclear weapons just start appearing out of thin air. Suddenly has double the amount of nuclear weapons. They just magically appeared. Did the nuclear missile take over the body of a tree? No, it just manifested. So why did Steve have to bump some guy out of his own body in order to come back. Why couldn't he just manifest like the wall did, like the nuclear weapons did? And I'm sure Diana wasn't the only person on the planet to wish for a dead loved one to come back. 
There had to have been thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of others that made the same wish. Did that same thing happen? Did other people lose their bodies? And did everybody have the strength to do what Diana did to renounce their wish of having their loved one back? I don't think so. Anyway, again, that, that, that whole thing is massively problematic, massively, massively pop, uh, problematic. And your example of the, the missiles is a great example of that. Um, uh, Valeria, uh, two, six, two, your car analogy for a person's body is disgusting, but it's accurate. You, you can find it disgusting all you want. You can put names on it if you want, but it's completely accurate. This is a magical non-real movie. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, this might be a newsflash. Wonder Woman is make-believe. It's an imaginary character. Doesn't actually happen. Does isn't actually real in real life. People don't actually take over other people's bodies. I didn't know if you knew that. It's a completely fictional, hypothetical scenario. But in this scenario, what I said is completely accurate. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. It's completely accurate. That body was now Steve Trevor's body. Done. It wasn't a temporary takeover. If Diana had never recanted her wish, that body is now Steve Trevor's body. It is his responsibility. It is his thing to enjoy uh, all the benefits of having a body. It was his body. It was no longer that other guy's body. And as long as Diana didn't rescind her wish, it would have been like for the rest of Steve's life and the rest of the life of that body. It was Steve's body, not the other guy's. So you can try to muddy the waters and that's disgusting. No, it's, it's literally the truth. It's a totally imaginary sci-fi concept. It's not something that happens in real life, but that body now belonged to Steve Trevor. It was his and he could do with it whatever he wants. It, it still bothers me that Steve and, and Diana never had a single conversation about what are the, what's the ethical implications of that other guy who used to have this body, him losing his life so I could be here and use it. It bothers me that they never at least had that, that ethical conversation. That's a conversation that should have happened. But Steve now being the owner of that body and that body was now him choosing to have sex with the woman he loved with the body that was now his sorry that's the reality of it in the confines of this totally make-believe science fiction movie so it is what it is and you can call it whatever you want valeria but i'm completely right you can you can name call it if you want if that makes you sleep better tonight you go ahead and do that but i'm right and you're wrong so yeah, it is what it is all right next up uh square buzz hq um, where'd it go? There it is. Square Buzz HQ writes to clarify. I say this because most of the coming DCU is disconnected as a standalone. It's fine as a DCU film. Yeah, it's not good. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm, I don't really care an awful lot. Normally. Um, I don't care an awful lot. Normally about, how well interconnected certain movies are. I have been and traditionally been a real stickler for Canon, but I've becoming more flexible. I guess you could say with Canon, I've become more flexible with Canon. My main issues with wonder woman 84 really aren't connected to how it does or does not connect 
with the other um with the other movies in the DCU is it a mistake or weird or inconsistent to say Wonder Woman flies in Wonder Woman 84 but was not able to fly in Batman versus Superman yes that's an inconsistency but does that bother me as much as the fact that Diana suddenly magically knew how to fly when she didn't know how to fly for centuries? No. Does the fact that she could fly now but couldn't fly in Batman versus Superman, does that bother me nearly as much that other things could just magically come into existence, but Steve Trevor couldn't magically come back into existence with his own body instead of having to take over the body of somebody else? That's a bigger problem to me. In other words, to me personally, and I can only speak for myself, my issues with Wonder Woman 84 are the issues I have with it as a standalone movie. As a standalone movie, I just have more problems with its inconsistencies with itself than I do with its inconsistencies in relation to other DCEU movies, if that makes any sense. There are definitely inconsistencies with other DCEU movies. Honestly, for me, those don't bother me as much as the inconsistency this movie has with itself. And so on that level, I kind of have a bigger problem with it as its own standalone movie than I do as a part of, um, as I do, uh, as a part of the greater DCEU. So that's, that's just kind of my take on it, but we all see things differently. All right. Michael Bradley writes over under 10% Wonder Woman flies in Zack Snyder's justice league movie who, you know what? 10% is a real low number. So I'll take the over on it. I'll go over. I'm not necessarily saying over 50%. I'm not going to say it's more than likely, but 10% is a real low number. So I will take, I will say there was an over 10% chance that uh, Wonder Woman flies in the upcoming HBO Justice League miniseries. All right, Cameron uh, Lindro. Man, there's no way I'm going to pronounce this right. Cameron Lindo Armakanqui Modding. I apologize if I put your name right. I'm terrible at names, right? Uh, do you like the Highlander TV series? Well, we're here to talk about Wonder Woman right now, but I did like the Highlander TV series, not nearly as much as the original Highlander movie. Uh, C. Blakemore writes, when did Diana's ability to fly come? When did Diana's ability to fly come from? Because she couldn't fly in Batman versus Superman or Justice League. Again, that is an inconsistency uh, that is irritating, but doesn't completely bother me. It's a totally look. We just got to accept it's an inconsistency. It is. And why to me, it's a bigger question about why was she not able to fly for centuries? But now all of a sudden, just because Steve said, you know, flying is a lot like just riding the wind. And now she can magically fly. That means so me again, to me, the inconsistency it has with itself was even more, problematic than it is with its inconsistencies with other movies. But yeah, that's definitely one of the big things, Cy. All right. Jordan RTK writes, the continuity errors hurt me the most. How can you say the world was horrified by Superman when all of this happened not too long ago? Diana has not been hiding and she can suddenly fly glide now. Again, I'm not as concerned with how it connects in with the rest of the DCU. I judge every movie based on its own merits. I mean, I'm not saying that's the right way to do it, but just me personally, I judge every film based on its own individual merits. And then it can be kind of extra cool or a little bit irritating if it's consistent or inconsistent with how it ties into the rest of the movies around it. But for the most part, I just judge every movie on its own merits. 
And that's where I had most of my problems, Jordan, with Wonder Woman 84 was just in its own merits in its own problematic handling of things. Um, and that was disappointing to me. Uh, it was disappointing to me. Let's see here. Um, uh, anyway, that's the part that was disappointing to me. So it's, it's different. See, that's the thing. When Superman showed up, they had, the world had never seen anything like the Superman. Well, obviously they kind of did, right? They kind of had, but these inconsistencies between movies don't really bother me as much again as the inconsistency that the movie has within itself. And, uh, that's, uh, and you pointed out a couple of things that I've mentioned too, Jordan. So I'm on the same page with you there. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in Jordan. Next up, Jacoby Gully writes, I felt as though the plot of the Dreamstone was written just so they could bring Steve Trevor back. Yeah. I said that a little bit earlier in the show. I agree. I'm not saying that's what they did, but it feels like, and I'm not saying they did this. I'm just saying it feels like it. It feels like instead of starting with the story, we've got the story of the Dreamstone and this character, Maxwell Lord, who uses it to get more, but there are consequences to that and it drags out all this kind of stuff. And then they go, well, hey, if that's our story, we can use that as a mechanism to bring back Steve Trevor. Since the Dreamstone is, right? See, in the perfect world, that's the order in which it would have happened. Step one, we have our story of the Dreamstone. Step two, hey, since we have the Dreamstone, that gives us our mechanism to bring back Steve Trevor. But what it feels like they did is it feels like they did it in reverse. It's like, okay, priority number one, we have to have Chris Pine back, which I agree. They needed Chris Pine back, right? I, I, I can, I'm in agreement with that. They needed to get Chris Pine back. So I, I'm with them on that. We need to get Chris Pine back. How do we get him back? Okay, um, let's see. There's some, let's bring in a mulligan um, where... Did I just say a mulligan? A mulligan. Let's bring in a mulligan. Uh, let's let's bring in let us bring in a device. Emily said mulligan. Um, let's bring in a device that you know a, a MacGuffin, not a mulligan. A, a MacGuffin. Let's bring in a device that grants wishes, and that's how she gets Steve back. Okay, it's a way. Okay, should we just base the movie on that then about the wish making? Sure, let's do that. And again, I'm not saying that's what they did. I'm just feeling that's what it feels like they did. That they told the story backwards or that they came to their story the wrong way. And again, I'm not saying that's what they did, but I am in agreement with you, Jacoby, uh, that it does feel like they did it that way. It feels like they were, that the dream story was written just so they could bring Trevor back instead of bringing Trevor back was used as device because they started with the story, the idea of the dream stone. But hey, tomato, tomatoes, I suppose. All right, next up, uh, we've got Greg Scott Bailey who writes, I'm starting to feel like Steve taking somebody's body was some sort of bad homage to Quantum Leap, but that show started in 1989. Yeah, I, 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 again, somebody, if I ever have the pleasure of sitting down and talking with Patty Jenkins, I have got to ask her what was the process, what was the process behind that coming to that decision that, in order for Steve to come back, it had, he had to take over somebody else's body. Missiles just magically appeared. Wall, giant walls surrounding countries just magically appeared. What was the thought process of that? Why did that have to be the case? 
Because to me, that is one of the biggest problems in the movie. Um, yeah, it just, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I still don't know why, even after watching it twice and thinking about it a bunch of times, I still don't know why, um, they, they came up with that. So what are they going to do to bring him back in the third one? Because you know they're going to want to have Steve Trevor and Chris Pine in the third one. So what are they going to do that time? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. All right. Uh, let's see. What's next? Thanks for that, Scott. Uh, Greg. William Bangs writes, um, there wasn't nearly enough Wonder Woman action for me. Uh, I get why that is, but I wanted more Amazonian level takedowns. What do you think? I agree. I agree. The, the action set piece of the car caravan was a good action set piece. I liked it. It was, it was good. The fight with cheetah was good. I liked it, but this movie was two and a half hours long. It was two and a half hours long. And to only have a relatively short car scene, which was good, but she was fighting a bunch of cars. And then, honestly, a pretty short, although I liked it, I liked the fight with Cheetah. I did. I know a bunch of you didn't. I did. I thought it worked. But for a two and a half hour movie, that's, that's kind of wanting. I, and I agree. I'm not saying that one or two more action set pieces would have made the movie go from a disappointing movie to a really enjoyable movie for me, but it would have helped. It would have helped. So I agree with you on that, William. All right, next up. Uh, Two-time Titus writes, uh, mood and tone of the story and the use of Gal in Wonder Woman 84 conflicts with the continuity of Zack's portrayal of DC's future. Gal and fans deserve better. Again, I don't think... Uh, Gal, Gal, get, get, take, she's just the actress. Get her. She has nothing to do with it. Get her out of that. It, 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 she doesn't deserve anything. I say this all the time. As much as I love actors and they're awesome and wonderful, what actors deserve is a paycheck. That's what they deserve. Other than that, nothing else. Anyway, um, the continuity thing is inconsequential. Uh, I mean, they're changing it up a bit clearly. I think that's probably going to be something that we see. Somebody else was asking a little bit earlier, if we think that over under 10%, we'll see Wonder Woman flying in the new iteration of Justice League. I actually think there's a fairly decent chance. I actually think there's a pretty decent chance. Um, so we'll see, we'll see that. But yeah, they decided to make it inconsistent with those other movies. Uh, there was a time that that really would have bothered me. There was a time when I'm like, canon is canon is canon is canon. But I've, I've grown more flexible in that, I suppose. Maybe it's just surrender. Maybe I've just given up and I've just surrendered the fact that whether it's Star Wars or DC or Marvel, they have a very difficult time staying very consistent or staying perfectly consistent like canon should be. But it is. It is what it is. If it's to tell your story, then you tell your story. But yeah. Uh, whatever. And honestly, I don't think the fans really care. To be honest with you, two-time Titus, I think the vast majority of people who watch this movie really didn't care that the fact that she doesn't fly in Batman versus Superman. I think the vast majority of, um, I think the vast, vast majority of fans who watch this movie don't care that she flew in this one but didn't fly in Batman versus Superman. I think there are some of us who clearly did notice that very dominantly and very clearly, 
and we'll talk about it. But honestly, I think the vast majority of the people who flip on HBO Max this week and watch that, they're not going to care. They're not going to care that, I mean, they may like or not like her flying scene, but I think the vast majority of the people who watch this movie aren't going to care that she didn't fly in Batman versus Super. How can she be flying now? Like me, like me and you right now are kind of like, how can she fly now when she doesn't fly then? I think the majority of people are, are just not going to care. They're just not going to care. It's not a big deal to most fans. It is for some, but I think for most fans, it's just not. So and it is what it is. I'm okay with that. All right. Next up, uh, James Welsh writes, uh, the reason he needed a body to return because only his spirit returned. His body was worm food. His spirit needed a host like how Swayze possessed Goldberg in ghosts for him to physically interact with Molly. See, I thought about that. I thought about that. Then why didn't he just reappear in his body as it was? Right. The Dreamstone created out of air. These complicated mechanism nuclear weapons with their metal hulls, their internal circuitry and wiring, their plutonium cores. If nuclear missiles had plutonium cores, I don't know. I'm not a nuclear scientist. But, you know, this huge, massively complexing just poof made it magically appear out of thin air. Just appeared. There were this number of nuclear weapons. And now there's this number of nuclear weapons just poof appeared out of thin air. So why didn't his body just do the same thing? I mean, it, it, it is a wish, right? Why did it only bring his spirit back? Why didn't it bring back a brand new or a rejuvenated old body that was now restored? Why didn't it do that? Why? And, and there was no part of the wish that this other guy lose his life. So why did it do that? I mean... Again, I just think it's an inconsistency. I like, James, that you're trying to think of ways, and we should all be doing this, and I like that you are. You're trying to find the consistency in it. You're trying to find the consistency, and you're doing exactly what we should all be doing. But the, the nuclear missiles, the wall, all that kind of stuff, it kind of suggests that they could have just, um, they could have just, you know, manifested it out of thin air. But it didn't, and we are where we are. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, James. Uh, initial D's rights. Those kids would have been broke up during the truck scene. If you're talking about the kids in the road, I mean, if you're talking about the kids who were in the road that Diana saved, yeah, when the rope, when she let go of the rope and couldn't hold on to the lasso anymore, I don't care that she's holding them. She dropped like 30 feet to concrete. Little kids' bodies dropping that far and then coming to a sudden stop, every bone in their body was broken. Every bone in their body would have been broken. Again, superhero action scene. I didn't let that bother me so much, but you aren't wrong about that initial. You're absolutely right about that. All right. Uh, Lion King. Um, where are we at? Yeah, the real Lion King writes. Uh, just tuning in now. Sorry, but do you think losing Snyder made a massive difference in the direction of the movie? Film felt a lot like Jeff Johns uh, went Green Lantern on this. No, because the reality is Zack Snyder didn't have a lot to do with the uh, the original Wonder Woman movie. Um, the original Wonder Woman movie is very much Patty Jenkins's movie. And just like in this movie, you know, if you watch it again, like Zack and Deborah Snyder are listed as producers of this movie. They didn't have a lot to do with it, granted, but they didn't actually have a lot to do with the first one either. 
right? They, they help come up with the basic story, but the basic story again of Wonder Woman 84 isn't the problem. Like the basic story of Wonder Woman 84, the quick elevator pitch of Wonder Woman 84, there is a dream stone, an ancient dream stone that was made by one of the ancient gods that bestows wishes, but it comes with a price and a power hungry dude comes in, comes into possession of it and it causes problems and all this kind of stuff. That doesn't sound any worse of a concept than there's a giant purple space alien who wants to collect six magic stones so he can make half the universe disappear. Right? The concept of Wonder Woman 84 sounds no worse than the concept of Infinity War. The difference comes into the execution. And uh, Infinity War was just executed far better. They built character around it better. They built narrative imperatives into it much better. A lot of the things that Wonder Woman 84 failed to do. Uh, so, no, you got also got to remember this. Every Zack Snyder movie half the audience and half the critics hated. Sorry, that's the truth. That is the statistical truth. Now, I love Man of Steel. It is one of the great, to me, it's one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. I like Batman versus Superman. Hell, I even like the theatrical version of Justice League. But the fact is, the truth is, including my beloved Man of Steel, Every Zack Snyder DC film, the uh, half the audience and half the critics hated. So I don't know how, not to mention, this wasn't Zack's movie. This was Patty Jenkins's movie. I don't know if Zack had stayed around in the DCU the whole time, how it would have made this movie any better. When it all really comes down to the execution, I thought the concept was fine. You could have made the concept work. Patty just had a bad day at the office, man. She had a bad day at the office. And it didn't work. At least to me, there are a lot of people that the movie worked very well. A lot of people love this movie and that's great. Uh, there, there are people who are writing in today saying they really enjoy this. As a matter of fact, there are people writing in today saying that they like this movie more than they like the first one. And that's great. That's great. I'm not one of them, but that's terrific. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think the, the, the presence or lack presence of Zack Snyder would have helped or hurt uh, the movie in any way. This was Patty's movie. It's, it stands on her shoulders for good and for bad. And unfortunately for me, in the case of this one, it's a little bit more bad, but she'll rebound. I have no doubt she'll rebound. Anyway, thanks for writing in Lion King and don't worry about just joining us. We have now been going four and a half hours, four and a half hours. We've been going on this. My throat is starting to get very sore. I will continue to go for as long as I can, guys. I'm not quite sure how much longer I can go because my voice is starting to die. Might have to rip out a companion video for this one, but we're, we'll keep going for a while for now. All right. Uh, Adrian Rosales writes, John, are you wearing Anne's uh, Wonder Woman shirt in your thumbnail picture? I, no, no. I, that, although that was a borrowed shirt, but it was not Anne's. Like, that obviously the one in the, sh in the picture looks kind of tight, but if I was trying to wear one of Anne's shirts, oh, it, it wouldn't get around my shoulders. Anne is, uh, is, you know, 100 pounds of Filipina fury there. I could, I couldn't even get my head through the thing of any of the, if it was Anne's shirt. All right. Thanks for asking Adrian. All right. Chad Furlong writes, uh, this movie was Bruce almighty plus liar, liar. You know what? That's not, that is not a terribly far off analogy. 
it really there you can make an argument this movie is a cross between bruce almighty and liar liar all they needed was jim carrey in there somewhere all right scott brooks writes I think with a two and a half hour runtime, Wonder Woman 84 was clearly way too long. I agree. This was this kind of movie, the way it was, did not need to be two and a half hours long. I agree with you. Uh, what would you have cut to make it tighter and, and better film? Oh, man. There's another th- number of things you could have cut out of this. I think I would have to sit because there was a lot of moments that felt unnecessary and dragged and, and all this kind of stuff. I need to sit down. I would need to sit on it for a while longer, but I, I think there was a number of unnecessary things in this film. There, there are entire sub storylines that probably could have been removed to be honest with you. But yeah, this, this was a movie you're just watching it and you knew, you knew it didn't need to be this long. This film actually you probably could have made this thing 30 minutes shorter and it might've felt better. I don't know, but it's it's a great question, Scott. But it's not, I only watched it for the first time forty eight hours ago, so I it's something I need to sit on longer to start analyze because I've been just trying to watch it and enjoy it. I haven't really been analyzing the film. I've just been sitting down and trying to enjoy it. I haven't been doing a great job of enjoying it, but I that's all I was doing, just sitting down and trying to enjoy it, just like any other movie. Uh, I need to sit down again with it from a more you know uh, a critical point of view to try to come up with the things that I just simply don't, that I think could have been removed. But, uh, but maybe I'll do that sometime. It's a great question though, Scott. Uh, Marley Marr writes, I thought Wonder Woman 84 was good. I believe for Wonder Woman 3, they need to turn up the visual fighting style of uh, Warrior Wonder Woman a la Winter Soldier style and have her wrecking fools. True, but here's the problem. Just adding more action without improving your narrative structure is just visual noise. I, I came up with that phrase in talking about, or I first started using that phrase in talking about a lot of the Transformers movies. The Transformers movies have a lot of action. Unfortunately, most of the action was completely void of any narrative purpose. And so action without narrative purpose is just visual noise, right? You could have thrown in a few more action sequences and that would have helped the, the feeling of the pacing of the movie, but it doesn't fix the major problems of the movie that we've talked about ad nauseum here right today. And so whatever they do in Wonder Woman three, a couple of things they need to do completely revolve around character and narrative. Number one, understand what the purpose of the film is. Where do you want Wonder Woman to be at the end of this film? And how are you going to get her from a to B? Because in Wonder Woman 84, she's just in the same place. She was at the beginning of the film. Really? There was no real purpose. So that's that. Number two, your main plot points construct narrative rationale for those plot points happening, right? An example of their failure to do this in Wonder Woman 84 is Steve Trevor coming back and just had to bump some other guy out of his body. Why? Why why did Steve, why could nuclear missiles magically appear, but Steve couldn't? Why did they have to have Steve take over another? Why did some guy need to lose his life in order for Steve to return? You have that major plot point with no narrative underpinning, and it creates this huge gap in the rational flow of the story, right? So one of the things you got to do in Wonder Woman 3 is when you establish what your major plot points are, Give us narrative purpose and narrative rationale for why those plot points happen and come to be. That'll create for a much tighter, much more solid, much more believable movie. 
The third thing they need to do is know why your characters are there. The characters you choose to have there, why are they there? And, and make sure you communicate to the audience what those characters are for. And again, it has to go back to the second point too, giving yourself narrative rationale. There's a lot of, there's a huge lack of narrative rationale in this movie. This happens. Why? Just because Wonder Woman can fly now. Why can she fly now and she never could for, th- for hundreds of years? Just because. Wonder Woman has the magic powers of wizards as she can turn the jet invisible. Why does she have that power now and she's never done it before? No reason. Hey, Steve, Trevor's back in this guy's body. Okay, why did Steve have to come back in another guy's body? Just because. Okay, like they, they just have all these things happen and give no story rationale for why they happen. And so what that communicates to me as an audience member is if you can't be bothered, if you don't think these things, these plot points are important enough to give us narrative rationale for why they're happening, why should they be important to me as an audience member? Like, I don't need to see why Maxwell Lord is greedy. I understand in the heart of humanity, we all have essence of greed and we all want more. I get that. But you decide to give a flashback to that. Why not give a little bit of effort to explain to us why does she suddenly has magical wizard powers? Why can she suddenly fly? Why does he need to take over another person's body? Why does the wish stone act this way here, but does, but then acts completely the opposite over here? Like there's a lot of these things that they just had these plot points, but no narrative rationale. And I think when they go into the next film, whatever they want to make the next film about, whether it's the second return of Steve Rogers or as keep saying Steve Rogers, Steve Trevor, or whether it's another return of Cheetah or whether it's Wonder Woman fighting the gods, she's got to fight Zeus in the next one, whatever it is, none of it will matter. Even if you put in a lot more action sequences, none of it will matter if you don't fix your narrative problems. Because it's the narrative problems that lost me, even though they did several really good things in the movie. It's the narrative problems that lost me. Anyway, sorry. That's just kind of my take on that. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking for going into the next film. All right. Uh, Chris 24M writes, do you like X-Men Apocalypse better than Wonder Woman 84? Ooh, that's a good question. I, mm, you know what? I'm going to push on that one. Because I just watched Wonder Woman 84 for the first time 48 hours ago. And that's a close one. That is a close one. My Okay, I will say for now that I, I think I liked X-Men Apocalypse f- just fractionally more than I liked Wonder Woman 84. But if you ask me the same question two weeks from now, I might give you a different answer. For right now, I will say... Maybe fractionally, I liked X-Men Apocalypse more. That's tough. They're two very, very different movies that had different sets of problems and different sets of strengths. So for now, but I reserve the right to give you a different answer weeks from now. For now, I'll say I marginally liked X-Men Apocalypse more. All right. Jason Bryden writes, Will the age of you either hate movies or love them, no nuance, uh, ever end? Feels like I have to hide my like for a movie or hear how I am wrong. No, see, that's part of the problem with today. Honestly, that is part of our problem with today's movie going audience. 
And it's not an age thing. It's just where everybody is right now. We live in an era right now where it doesn't matter if you're 15 or you're 65. It seems like today we live in an era where every we are in the 10-0 era of film fandom. If you slightly like a movie, it's like 10, 10, 10. It's a 10 out of 10. It's a 10 out of 10. I give this movie an eight. Why did you hate it? Or if you didn't like the movie and the movie's pretty poor, it's a zero. It's the worst thing ever. Like everything is either perfect or the worst thing ever. It does feel like we live in that. And we've lived in this era for a while now. At least as long since I've gotten my, my last haircut. God, I need a haircut. Please, COVID vaccine. Open up my local hair place so I can get my hair cut. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, man, I have thick hair. I have thick, thick, stupid hair. It's hard for you guys to imagine now, man. But there was a day when my hair was like down to here. I used to pull my hair back into the Bono ponytail. I used to have the long flowing locks. I had, I had long hair. And I, it's, it's hard for you because ever since I've kind of been in the public doing public stuff, I've always, I've had short, tight haircuts for a long time, but yeah, there was a day when back in my band playing days, I like had hair down to here, dude, but it's like, woo, my hair is incredibly impossible to manage. So I always keep my hair short or I wear a hat. I need a haircut so bad. I need haircuts so bad. Anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, I think it will end at some point, but right now we're in this, like everything happens in waves and phases, but we are in this really irritating phase right now, which is one of the reasons why I don't give numerical scores to movies anymore. Like I give a movie a seven out of 10 to me, a seven out of 10, that's an accomplishment. That's like a solid movie. That's a solid movie. Not perfect. Maybe not even super close to perfect, but a good solid movie is a seven out of 10. I would get movies seven out of 10 and I would literally, I'm no hyperbole. I'm not exaggerating. I get all these people writing to me. Why did you hate it? Campia hated that movie. Campia is crapping on the, what are you talking about? You give it a seven. That means it sucks. No, two means it sucks. One means it's anyway, it's one of the, it's one of the reasons because of this ridiculous 10 or zero error we live in right now. That's one of the reasons why I just don't give numerical scores to movies anymore. And I haven't for a few years because it carries no meaning. If giving a seven out of 10 to something means diff something different to one person than another, then what's the point of giving it a score? So that's, that's me. All right. Anyway, sorry. Next up. Sorry, Jason. I got off on a sidetrack there. Uh, Suthius writes, I wonder if scarf guy biologically was the most best matched of a human being for Steve and his biology. Who knows? Maybe I'm grasping at straws. Well, no, no, no. The, okay, the thing with that Suthius is you're looking for a reason of why did it have to be that guy that Steve took over? My question is why did Steve have to take over anybody? Why couldn't Steve just physically manifest like the nuclear weapons physically manifested? like the magic wall physically manifested. Why did Steve have to take over anybody's body? I mean, your explanation as to why he took over that guy's body as opposed to somebody else's, that's a good explanation. Maybe there was some kind of scientific formula of how physically close are they to, because what's the point in having him take over somebody's body that was in Istanbul, right? So, is physically within a certain distance of Diana and certain meets physical statistics and blah, blah. Sure. But that addresses the question of why that guy, when my question is why any guy, why did he need to take over anybody's body? That's, that's the question that, uh, that I have about that. All right. Uh, next up, 
Valeria626 writes, they stole his body, John. They had kept it. Uh, had they kept it, then it's murder. Patty is disgusting. You know what? I'm just, I'm not even going to bother with you anymore. Uh, nothing Smith writes. It's likely uh, they didn't want to kill off Trevor again. If Chris Pine came back full bodied and then died again, it'd be incredibly repetitive. Well, would it though? I mean, think about this. Think about this. Wonder Woman, in the scene in Wonder Woman, they have the conversation and she comes to, she agrees with Steve that she's got to renounce her wish. And then she leaves before renouncing her wish. And after she leaves and we no longer see Steve, she renounces her wish. And we don't see the guy go, whoa, where am I? How am I out here? My, my, why, why am I? What day is it? Like, we didn't see that, right? Steve was just gone. If, now remember, when the wish was rescinded, the magic wall just disappeared, right? It just, it just vanished. So my kind of feeling is, if Steve had physically manifested, and that's the way I think they should have done this in the movie, that he should have just physically manifested. If Steve had just physically manifested, then the scene would have, could have been the exact same. She's talking to Steve behind that wall off the street. And she agrees that she's got to renounce her wish. And she leaves him and walks away and renounces her wish. Then what probably happens, and we don't need to visually see it, just like we didn't visually see it in the movie. We just assume Steve disappears. We didn't need to see it. Just like we didn't see Steve leaving that guy's body, all they would have had to have done is have her walk away and we don't see Steve disappear. Then just like the wall and the nuclear missiles, he just would have vanished. So I think they could have done it that way, but eh, you know, that's just me. Uh, let's see. Initial D's writes, did the weird body swap make you think of quantum leap? It's funny how many people are mentioning quantum leap, especially when Steve looked in the mirror. All we needed was a Ziggy reference. Maybe it was a nod to all the old body swap shows slash movies. Maybe, but here's the thing. Doing little nods are cute, except for when they hurt your story. And to me, that decision hurt the story. Now, I don't think it was a quantum leap reference or anything like that. I, I don't think that's what was at play. But you cannot deny the similarities to quantum leap. It was totally a quantum leap kind of thing. I don't think what Patty Jenkins was doing was trying to do an homage to, to quantum leap. I don't think that's what she was doing. But yeah, the whole quantum, the whole swapping bodies thing. Uh, just, yeah. All right. Next up, David Coker writes, one of two. Cheetah feels like a bad ripoff of Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, nerdy chick who becomes hot just by changing her hair and getting rid of glasses and becoming a cat. Um, uh, Cheetah is supposed to be Wonder Woman's Joker, but she's just a throwaway and becomes human again and never seen. Did she did she go to jail? Same with Maxwell. He almost destroyed the world. I mean, there, this was an interesting thing. Anne and I were talking about this. Um, Anne and I were talking about this after the movie's like, well, wait, does he go to jail? Well, for him to go to jail, you would have to prove in court that he came in possession of magical, mystical abilities that the world had never seen and that he was granting wishes 
It's like, can you prove that he was granting magical wishes to people? You can't prove it. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. What do they do with that? As far as the bad ripoff of Michelle Pfeiffer, I, I disagree with that because, again, the standard Hollywood movie trope of a mousy girl coming into power, not necessarily supernatural power, whether it's confidence or belief or whatever, or job, whatever, but a mousy girl coming into power, discovering her own power, and then becoming totally different. That is something that has been in movies for a long time, a long time. That wasn't created with Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. This is something that's been around for a long time. So I don't see that as being any sort of copy of that. To me, it was a standard Hollywood thing, and I thought it was used pretty effectively. Listen, I've, I've got a lot of criticisms about Wonder Woman 84, but I, I thought the way they handled Cheetah was pretty good, except for the fact, as you were pointing out, that they made Cheetah an alpha Wonder Woman foil into a B-level villain. Max Lord was the main villain. She was the secondary villain. You don't do a Wonder Woman movie with Cheetah and make her the secondary villain. Anyway, so I agree, man. It did feel like a little bit of a lost opportunity there. I, I, I agree with that. All right. NP94 writes, apologies if this is too personal, John, but what would you wish for? For me, it would be one more day with my granddad who passed away seven years ago. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. What would I wish for? I mean, that's, that's the classic question we always ask each other and ourselves, right? Like if you had a billion dollars, what would you do with it? If you had one wish, what would you do with it? If you could have one comic book superpower, which power would it be? I'm not really sure. I mean, on the one hand, um, a wish for, there's certain wishes that could cover a lot of bases, right? Like if you wish for a billion dollars or hell, let's say $10 billion, if you wanted to wish for $10 billion, you could do that and then accomplish a lot of good things in the world. You know how many good things you could do with $10 billion? You could feed a lot of people. You could house a lot of people. You could finance a lot of research that could cure diseases. You could take care of yourself and your family and other people's families. I mean, there are certain wishes you could make that would cover a lot of ground. There are wishes you could make that would be fleeting and disappear. Like the guy who wished for a coffee. He didn't know he was getting a wish, but there he got his coffee. He drank it, but now the experience is done. And there's a lot of people who would make wishes that are give you just that quick momentary. My hiccups are back. I started this show with hiccups and now my hiccups are back. Sorry, guys, you're just going to have to deal with it as I'm going to have to deal with it. Anyway, I would probably try to think of a wish. <sighs> I would probably try to think of a wish. Oh God, this is going to get tired real fast. These hiccups. I would probably try to think of a wish that would be one of those lo longer stretching wishes. One of those wishes that could have multiple positive effects, whether that would be $10 billion or a century of world peace or everybody have, I don't know. I, I would have to think about it. It's a great question though, NP. It's a totally... It's totally great. Oh, damn thing. Hiccups. Um, it's a totally great question. I would just, I would have to think about it more. All right. Next up, uh, Fernicus Maximus, 
Maximus writes, I thought you were only able to get one wish, but Cheetah got two wishes. The movie clearly stated it was one wish per person. Yes. That, that was a problem to me too. However, at the moment that she made her second wish, he became the stone. So he could do whatever he wanted. I, I guess, um, my guess is that in making the second wish, it also took more from her, right? For example, the first thing that her first wish took her humanity from her. It took that compassion, compassion and empathy and all oh, these hiccups, her compassion and empathy and humor. It took that from her. Well, now she, she loved her beauty. She loved her beauty now because she's hot now. She's the hot girl now. So in wanting to become an apex predator, the next, the next thing it took from her was her beauty. It took that away from her and made her look like this creature. And the rule is one wish, but even though I consider that to be an inconsistency, I will say that being as Max was now the stone, it was, he had the prerogative to say for you, I'll make an exception because he is the stone, right? So he can, he could change the rule for her for that one moment. Mm. Again, I think I'm stretching a little bit, but if I had to come up for an excuse for it, or I had to come up with something to kind of explain it, uh, that will be my explanation for it. All right. Now, uh, these hiccups. Ted Wu writes, I thought when Maxwell Lord rescinded his wish that all wishes made were reversed. Am I wrong? Well, I, I, I don't know that that's how it's supposed to work. Like, if that's the case, then the whole speech that Wonder Woman made to get everybody in the world to renounce their wishes was pointless and didn't need to happen. Right? If all they had to do was get Maxwell to rescind him, was to get Maxwell to rescind his wish, then that whole song and dance at the end of the movie, everybody around the world, we must embrace the, you know, the truth, the truth, and we have to rescind our wishes. And that whole scene becomes absolutely pointless. Just because Max rescinds his wish and he, he himself is no longer the stone doesn't mean the rules of the stone no longer apply. There were a lot of people who made wishes. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's like picking your poison, Ted. It's six of one or half dozen of the, out of the, or half to, six of one, half dozen of the other. So, uh, yeah, it, it is what it is. All right, next up, uh, we've got Matt uh, Sanders writes, the movie was okay. Acting was good. The act, I, I agree. I think the acting was good. Uh, Pedro stood out. He had humanity. If you think about it, Whoopi Goldberg's bangs, a uh, Whoopi Goldberg bangs Demi Moore in Ghost. Thanks, John. Okay, yes. But to the people complaining about it, though, in their defense, you can't really use the Whoopi Goldberg example of that because Whoopi Goldberg kind of g- gave her consent, right? In both ways, she consented to having her body taken over and it was still her body because she consented for a moment to have that happen. So it's kind of, again, six of one, half dozen of the other. Like you got to pick your poison on that about which way, the, ah, this is getting so tiring, uh, which way does it contradict itself? So 
Anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult. Uh, all right, next up. Just Plain Steve writes, we can all what if this movie's story to death. Personally, I'm disappointed they didn't pay, uh, play more into the 80s theme. I agree. Uh, nothing really screamed 80s to me. The soundtrack alone could have been amazing. And that's one of the, the issues that I brought up earlier. Like, you actually called this movie Wonder Woman 84. You literally called the movie that. So why didn't the the theme of the 80s play more into it? The Dreamstone had nothing to do with the 80s. Max, Maxwell Lord being a villain who wanted more out of life had nothing to do with the 80s. Um, you know, Ch- Cheetah being small in life and wanting to be something bigger that had nothing to do do with the eighties. It, it just, I just don't see why you call the movie Wonder Woman eighty four if the eighties literally have nothing to do with the film, nothing to do with the film. There are a few minor things here and there about you know satellite satellites of the sun, but there was no point. Like, why didn't you call this Wonder Woman in the Dreamstone? Like, if you're gonna call it eighty four then really make the era of the 80s a focal point and center point of the movie. I'm not saying they should have done that. I'm just saying you shouldn't call the movie Wonder Woman 84. But that's just me, just plain Steve. Uh, Okay. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Gary in the live chat is saying, it's called Wonder Woman 84 because 84 people liked it. Anyway, there you go. Um, uh, Oh, leave me alone. Max, or no, uh, Jay, who, who has he just said that? No, Maxi S in the live chat is teasing me saying, I haven't watched Wonder Woman 84 yet, but I hear it had major hiccups. <laughs> and Carmack is saying, wish your hiccups away. That's right. I wish for my hiccups to go away and I won't renounce that wish. The world be, the world be damned. All right. Parker writes, did anyone else really hate the last scene where Max Lord was standing in that whirlwind type of thing and Wonder Woman magically convinced him to, to reverse wishes? Now listen, they're, that whole ending scene was so problematic. It was so problematic. Like you had to physically be in contact with somebody, but the airwaves is like you're in contact with somebody that makes no sense. You might as well say, well, the air connects us. I am touching. Think about it. My brother is in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada right now. In a way, we are physically in contact because the air that is touching me is directly connected to the air that's touching him. So we're in physical contact right now. That made no sense. No, no sense whatsoever. It was, that was dumb. You set up a rule that you had to be touching the stone. And they said, well, the airways is like, we're t- that was so dumb. Anyway, it was just one of several problematic things with that ending. The ending was badly conceived and badly executed. Uh, so anyway, yeah, there's that. All right. Uh, Herman, uh, Herman Muller writes, Diana did not say her wish aloud. Others said it aloud and it ha- happened instantly. Diana's took a day. Well, no, no, no. Diana's remember Diana's wish didn't take a day. Diana's. Diana's wish happened immediately. It's just that he wasn't right beside her. Cause remember he said he woke up in that bed. He went through the phone book, had to find out where she lived, found out where she lived, then followed her to the party and all that kind of stuff. So her wish did come true, but you're right. Everybody else had to say their wish out loud, but 
Diana didn't. Why? How come, how come Maxwell Lord had to get everybody to say their wish out loud and she, Diana didn't? I don't know. Uh, that might be nitpicking. That might be nitpicking. But that, it, hey, hey, it's a valid, Herman, you raise another valid little inconsistency in the movie. All right, guys, uh, listen, I've been going for five hours now. I did not think Wonder Woman 84 would cause us to go for five hours, but we have now gone for five hours. Uh, my throat is pretty much done. I'm, I'm afraid if I keep going too much longer, I'm going to actually damage my throat and I won't be able to do a show tomorrow. And the hiccups are bothering me too, but I've been going for five hours now. So I'm going to take this one last question and then we will get all the rest of the questions. There's not actually too awful many left to go, but I have simply run out of steam here. Um, my voice is out of it. It's been five hours. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer this last question and then we will get the rest of them answered in a companion video. Maybe I'll get, I'll see if I can get Robert to uh, address the final ones or just do it myself. But in the next couple of days, we will put up a companion video to this. All of you who sent in questions, they will get answered in a companion video to this one. So, uh, thank you for sending them in. I, and I wanted to get through every single one of them, but I never dreamed we'd be going for five hours today. So we're going to have to call it here. Uh, and, and, and I, and thank you for your understanding of that. Uh, so listen, we go on now. Um, last question I'll answer today. Fan of peanuts writes. They didn't utilize the lesson in the beginning. Diana learned uh, and bring that back around connecting her journey poetry. I was waiting, but no, I don't know. I, I think they did at the end of the movie. The, the appeal from Diana was, listen, we got to embrace the truth. And it feels like even our perception of reality needs to be important that we can't just perceive whatever we want. And that's, that's good less, lesson for today's world. We live in the real actual facts and the real actual truth, not wild stories or perception, perceptions of truth or anything like that, but the actual truth has to matter. And to me at the end of the movie, her appealing to everybody to accept what's real. I think that did tie into the original part with all, all the problems that I have with wonder woman, 84 fan of peanuts. I got to say, I think one of the things that was done right was that that whole lesson that whole, the whole point of the opening scene on Themyscira does does come back into play later in the film it's the whole reason she rescinds her wish in the first place and then it's the basis of her appeal to everybody else to rescind theirs maybe i'm wrong about that but that's kind of how the way i saw it and uh and i thought it uh i thought it kind of worked all right guys uh, to everybody else who still has questions to come from uh, Marie Seifring, Caleb Crane, uh, Brandon Caterpillar, and on, all of the rest of your questions will get answered properly in a companion video of this. I, it won't come tonight. Maybe it'll come tomorrow. Maybe it'll come Tuesday. But keep your eyes open in the next 40, 48 hours. You, you will have a companion video for this. So keep your eyes open for it. Guys, what can I say? This has been five hours. Thank you so much for those of you who've been around for this whole thing. I'm sure not all of you have been around for the whole thing, but thank you so much to all of you guys for hanging in there with me and coming and jo joining as we talk about Wonder Woman 84. Some of you guys loved the movie. Some of you guys totally hated it. Some of you felt like me where it's not terrible, but we're pretty disappointed with it. But wherever we are in that, it's always fun to talk about the movies we all watched. And I miss that so much. 
Like whether it's something we love, hate, meh, whatever, talking about a shared experience. We all watch this movie and we all get to talk about it together. I miss that so much. Here's looking forward to doing more as I try to get rid of these damn hiccups. I wish I could wish it away. All right. Anyway, guys, don't forget to come back and join us tomorrow. The John Campion Show returns tomorrow. Me and Robert Meyer Burnett. I'm sure we're going to be talking about Wonder Woman 84 a little bit more. We got some other things to discuss as well. So make sure you guys come back and join us for the John Campion Show tomorrow. Also, guys, if you're visiting it here and you haven't done so already, why don't you take a second and click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to the YouTube channel. It'll keep you up to date on all the things that we've got going on around here. Okay, guys. My throat is just about gone. These hiccups are killing me. That will do it for me. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campion. Guys, please remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, take care of the people around you. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.